We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Thank God Howie Klein is here. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive, some socialist candidates around the country. Read them. It's required reading for all my listeners. Go to Down With Tyranny. Were you at the Bernie event on Sunday? Are you joking? You think I would go to an event with full of people? I'm so freaked out I barely leave my house. I, and when someone when someone comes to the door to deliver something, I put rubber gloves on. In fact, speaking of that, I want to recommend something to all of our listeners. So, uh, listeners, get a get a pen and paper uh, because this is important. So, um, Purell is like now selling for like nine hundred dollars a bottle or something. So you can't get it anymore. But when I was in the hospital, um, my doctor recommended something to, to for me uh, that that's used by all surgeons. So it's very very serious stuff. It's not like Purell, which is, you know, sort of like, you know, teeny bop music compared to like, you know, something really heavy duty like uh, Neil Young. <laughs> so this is Neil Young. So it's called Hibiclens. So it's uh, spelled H-I-B-I-C-L-E-N-S, Hibiclens. And it's an antiseptic, antimicrobial. Um, and it's just really strong. You don't use it every time you go to wash your hands. You use it like maybe once a day. Uh, or, or if you touch something you shouldn't be touching okay. uh, on someone else. So anyway, uh, it's very, very strong. It's very good, and it's still available. Uh, I, I noticed a friend of mine um, ordered it today, and he got it, you know, still like, you know, the big giant bottle of it, uh, which lasts for forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, 32 fluid ounces, and it, um, it's $17. And he and I got it on. I got more on Friday. I still have stuff left over from when I was in the hospital two years ago. Uh, but it's um, I got uh, two more bottles, one for me, one for my friend. And um, the price didn't change. It will. It's and it will be gone. But people don't know about it yet. So David Feldman show listeners, you're getting a tip <laughs> that will hope. Uh, save your life if you if it needs to be saved. All right. I, I want to ask you about Bernie and the California primary and uh, Mayo Pete. And you Amy. must by mail if you can. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> because those machines are so touchy. I mean, uh, it's scary. I mean, I went in and I voted over the weekend. Fortunately, I had my gloves with me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you got to you know, touch all these machines and everybody else is touching also. So you voted for Bernie and still held your nose. Oh, no, I didn't hold my nose. You don't even touch your nose. You don't go near your nose. You should put a thing over your nose so you can't touch it. Do not touch your nose. Uh, let me just ask you a quick question about the coronavirus. Oh, good. Why bring that up? Yeah. I don't know. It just popped into my head. Uh, in January, it was World War III. They killed General Soleimani, and it was World War III. This, or last month, there was coronavirus. In two weeks, it's going to be something else. Do you really no, think this thing? Yeah, I do. I, I really think. I think this is not the end of the world, but I think it's uh, extremely serious. I, I, I've been watching it ex- ex- very, very closely because 
as you probably remember, uh, uh, Roland and I were in uh, Thailand when it was breaking out. Mm-hmm. So when we got back, uh, I was completely freaked out. And it was not really that commonly known in the United States yet. Uh, but I already started watching it very, very, very closely and taking precautions. I mean, you wouldn't believe the gigantic uh, bags of um, non-perishable uh, vegetables that I have uh, stocked up now. I mean, celery root, turnips. <laughs> I'm not joking. You're a, you're, you're like a prepper. That I love. Uh, I have like, you know, daikon root, uh, you know, all this like great stuff that's, you know, just in case, it's, but it's all stuff I would eat anyway. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, getting stuff that I won't eat, um, but it's, you know, boxes and boxes of pasta. <laughs> but, I'm ready. But, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness. Yes, you think I'm not being serious? The, the, first of all, if you get the coronavirus, it's not a death sentence. Well, at my age, if I get the coronavirus, I'm pretty much... Uh, not going to recover. Well, they, they say it's not a death sentence. And well, no, for my age it is. Nah, that's not well, what I, I, I say that. It's not, I, it's not a death sentence, it's, uh, but you're more likely to die if you're uh, over 50. Okay, so just to, just to, what I've read is that there are more cases of the coronavirus than are being reported, which means the fatality rate is much lower than we think, because there are a lot of people who get it and their body gets rid of it and they move on. The, the fatality rate is much lower. I know Trump said this, but it could be true that warm weather kills the coronavirus. And in about a month, it's going to start dying. So I don't know. It, it, let me tell you something. OK, the coronavirus has devastated uh, uh, much of Thailand now, even though they're not they're not um, talking about it very much. But it, the the weather in Thailand, a, a cool day would be um, you know about 85 uh, in in the winter. So I don't know why they're saying that the the, the warm weather kills it. I, I don't get that. Okay. So the the message from Howie and the David Feldman show is now is the time to panic. This no, is. not panic. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to say. So I'm sorry if I'm making anybody panic. Right. It's just to be prepared is what's important. To be prepared. I mean, you know, people were trying to get um, uh, things that they could that they couldn't get, and now and they they panic. You don't want to panic. You want to get the stuff that you need so that you don't have to panic. Okay. I mean. Suddenly, they start saying everybody uh, is is has to be self quarantined. Uh, you know, you could you could be in, in for some trouble. I mean, you you, you know, you, you should be prepared. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, and and and, and uh, I would recommend that you uh, maybe watch a few shows by this guy Chris Martinson. Uh, and you can watch them on YouTube. And just randomly go to and watch a couple of his videos, and you'll see how serious this is. He takes it extremely seriously. He, he's been the things that he talks about. Two weeks later, you start reading about it in the newspapers. So you, you get a two-week head start on everybody else. Theoretically, we could scare everybody talking about the flu. More people die per capita in America from the flu than are dying per capita in China from the coronavirus. We don't know. First of all, the, China, the Chinese statistics are worth exactly nothing, zero. Uh, we'll find out more 
about uh, what the reality of this is as more statistics come out of South Korea and uh, and Italy. But the Chinese statistics are zero. They mean nothing. I mean, if China says 8,000 people died, that could mean 8,000 people died or it could mean 80,000 people or could it mean 8 million people? There's, there's no way to know. Uh, China just says whatever they want to say. And the, the first whistleblower who alerted everybody to it was killed. Yes, but he wasn't killed. He died from it. Uh, yeah. How do you know? Because he was tweeting on his deathbed. Uh, he, he was he? Yeah. He, I mean, he disappeared. I don't know that he was allowed to get have any contact with anybody after the um, after the Chinese authorities took him into custody. Is it possible? Is it possible that everybody is filtering the coronavirus through their agenda? For example, you know, Trump cut funding for the CDC specifically. Of course, Trump is. <laughs> yes, Trump is filtering everything through his agenda. Well, what I'm but, what, on Trump. Well, I'm saying that in the last budget, the CDC cut funding for handling pandemics. So, politically speaking, it would be in the Democratic Party's best interest or the scientific community's best interest to scare the hell out of everybody about the coronavirus to get more funding for the CDC? No. I mean, whether whether someone is thinking that way, which I doubt, or, or they're not thinking that way, is, is, is very different from what's really happening, which is that there are people dying. There are, you know, now six people in Washington state died. I just heard from a member of Congress that they're talking about uh, just adjourning Congress for a while and just not not coming in anymore since, you know, they all go out to their every part of the country, shake hands with everybody, come back and all sit together and go out and shake hands again. Uh, and they're thinking maybe they, they need to stop. And that, that Congress is taking this ultra, ultra seriously. I mean, this is what they're all talking about there now, and this is uh, a very serious thing. I don't know, maybe the Republicans will stay in, stay in session uh, and all spread it among each other, but I think that the Democrats are going to, uh, you know, not, not like tomorrow, but I think pretty soon they're going to just stop, uh, stop Congress. COVID-19 kills six people in Washington state. The World Health Organization says that. And how long did that? How long did that happen? I mean, it was, what was it like three days ago that we first heard about Washington State having a, a case? Okay. This thing really fast. Right, and then again, you know, uh, I'm just throwing this out there. Sometimes uh, they say somebody died from opiates because uh, there's op you know, an opiate in their system, but they drank themselves to death. But the new thing is opiate addiction, and we need funding for that. So let's say this person died from opiates instead of alcohol. And you don't know. I'm sorry? It has nothing to do with this. This is something, this is something different. David, don't mislead your, um, your listeners into thinking that everything's okay, because it isn't. Okay. By the way, that sound is not Howie traveling. That's me traveling out of the country. I'm coming. I, I want the airport to be empty. Oh, so I'm anywhere near an airplane. Are you joking? <laughs> a friend of mine, by the way, uh, flew today, and she texted me from the airplane. She said she is practically the only person on the flight for, between New York and New Orleans. I'm selling a Guy Fawkes anonymous mask that filters out about 98%. Of uh, the coronavirus. All right, let's talk about uh, the real sickness in our country. Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete 
have dropped out. Does it surprise you that people who have such strong core beliefs and passion would drop <laughs> would drop out before their voters get to express their love for them? No. So um, last night, so, so I, I should say Sunday night, uh, a friend of mine who is a, uh, a Democratic operative, generally a, a pretty reliable guy, called me up and he said, it wouldn't tell me what, what he was really getting at, but he said to me, tomorrow, meaning Monday, you are going to see the power of Obama. Of Obama. Hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, just watch. Monday morning, just watch. And... Uh, you know, Steyer had just dropped out, and then came um, Mayo Pete, and then came Amy Klobuchar, and then came in just dozens, dozens of centrist. Um, oh, damn. David, you know what's happening right now? What? This guy that I've been wanting to talk to for so long is calling me. I see his name coming up on my screen. I'm not going to take it, obviously, but, oh, man, do I want to talk to well, you? Well, you know what? Quick. You want to you uh, take the call? No, I'm not going to. To do it, I'm not, I'll call him back. Hopefully, he, he'll leave his number. But it's it's Charles Booker, who's the uh, he's a state senator in, in Kentucky, who's running uh, against um, uh, Mitch McConnell for the U.S. Right. Senate, right. and he's very very progressive. Unlike Amy McGrath, who's sort of a in between nothing kind of candidate, just a person who wants a job, and he's. Uh, he just endorsed Bernie. I don't know if you, if you knew that or not, but he endorsed Bernie Sanders with a really, really good, uh, uh, passionate speech explaining why. So uh, I wanted to talk to him, and he's just getting back to me. And he's anyway, African-American, isn't he? After. He's African-American. Isn't he African-American? Af State senator. Yeah. Very, very, very progressive guy. We're, so we're, I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, no. Not uh, you, but also myself. Where was I? You really? Okay, let's go over the 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 what happened in South Carolina. I'm telling you about how all these uh, centrist uh, can, uh, uh, members of Congress and other you know in other positions all came out and endorsed Biden today. And what my friend was trying to say is this isn't just a coincidence that's just happening. This is all orchestrated by Obama. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's true, but he told me about it in advance without, speci not specifically, but he said that Obama was going to be behind something very big that happened today. And I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe it's what happened. Maybe this. And Amy Klobuchar has officially endorsed Joe Biden. Mayo Pete, not yet. Right. Well, he, he, I don't know if he's done it yet or he's about to, but he's already said he's going to do it. I mean, it never makes sense to me when people say they're going to do something and then do it. I mean, Clyburn said three or four days before he endorsed Biden that he would endorse Biden. So, like, okay, that, does that mean it's, he's endorsed or he's not endorsed? What, what is with that? Right. But, but Count Mayo Pete is an endorser. And a lot of people have already voted. I mean, it, a lot of people have already voted in California, so how much do yes, you... Yes, like me. Right. If only I would have known that Mayo Pete was dropping out or that Amy Klobuchar was dropping out, maybe I would have voted, I would have voted for Biden instead of Bernie. Well, the early voting, Sanders in California, you write that he has like a 15-point lead over Biden. Where does Buttigieg's vote go where does amy's vote go and that isn't enough to give biden the boost in california three people in uh, santa clara that were thinking about voting for uh, Buttigieg, and those three people may decide to <laughs> you know, vote between bernie and uh 
and Biden. I don't know. Okay. We'll have to see. So uh, Bernie wins California. Does anybody pass the 15 percent threshold to get any delegates out of California? I, I, I'm sure they will. Let, let, instead of talking about California for a second, we can come back to it. Let, let, let's talk about something that's uh, maybe more uh, relevant to what happened today. Minnesota. So Minnesota has 75 delegates. So it's, it's fairly big. It's not like California or Texas, but it's still pretty big. And what's going to happen there with Amy Klobuchar, who is pretty much neck and neck with Bernie? So some polls said that she was going to win. Some said that he was going to win. It looked to me that she, that she would probably take it. But that in, in effect, they would split the vote. The two mm-hmm. of them would split. So now she's dropped out of the race. People have already voted, of course, uh, maybe for her. I would assume they have many have voted for her. Others have voted for Bernie. Maybe some of them have voted for the, uh, you know, the lesser candidates. But the thing is, what happens now? And I don't know the answer to that. Will her her candidates, will some of them say, well, I really wanted a girl. I'm going to vote for Elizabeth Warren. Right. Others will say, you know, I really wanted a conservative shithead. I'm going to vote for Biden. <laughs> Others will say, well, you know, I was just with her because she's from my state. And, you know, my second choice was Bernie all along. I'm going with Bernie. So we won't know that till tomorrow. Uh, and that's really a better way to look at it. I would say that most voters most, and there's some who do, like we do, but most voters don't just vote because of um, ideal, ideal, ideology. They don't even know what the ideology is, and, and it's, not why, it's not why they're voting. Right. Minnesota has a, a long tradition of ultra-left politicians. Paul Wellstone, I don't know if Al Franken is ultra-left. He's kind of in the middle. He's against Medicare for all. Amy Klobuchar is in the center. But uh, the second, didn't a lot of, in Vegas, didn't, didn't we find out that Bernie was second pick for people who voted for Biden? Wasn't Bernie Biden's second Bernie pick? Bernie was, and he was second pick for a lot of people. I mean, you know, it, again, it goes to what I was just saying. People vote for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, character is a big deal. Um, you know, sometimes it's identity politics. Uh, you know, I'm going to vote for, uh, you know, a gay person because I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, or I'm going to vote for a woman because I'm a woman, or I'm going to vote for a Jew because I'm a Jew. I mean, that, so that's a factor. So it's a lot of different things. You, 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 it's very, very hard to just say, well, all of her, uh, supporters are going to go to Biden right now because she endorsed Biden. No, they're not. It's right. not the way it's going to work. Texas. There will, there will be some, not I don't think many, but there will be some people who just love her, and they say, "Well, she said I should vote for Biden, so I will." I don't know how many people that's going to be, but I don't. I don't think that that's going to be some huge number. I think that uh, there'll be a, a, a lot of people that do vote for Biden, a lot of people that vote for Bernie, and uh, perhaps some of the other candidates as well. What about South Carolina surprised you? Were you surprised by the margin? A victory for Biden? Uh, mildly surprised. Not not really surprised. I mean, you know, I, I, I was going over the numbers today. So first of all, Bernie won uh, second place. And what percentage of counties do you think Bernie won second place in? I would say zero. Oh, oh, a hundred. I, I would think a lot. Right, a hundred percent. That's right. Yeah. He won a hundred percent of the second place. 
and he won 100 percent, obviously, of, of all the congressional districts. So, you know, uh, second place. So, you know, it really and, 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 uh, and then put that together with the fact that the real landslide was in the sixth district, this very gerrymandered district that tries to get in as many African-Americans as possible in one constituency, which is Clyburn's uh, seat. And that, and that is where Bernie just, uh, I mean, not Bernie, um, Biden just absolutely stomped everybody. He, he won them all. He won the whole thing. You know, what got me about this, and it's, it's not a surprise, but what got me about it was the people who, especially on MSNBC, you know, some, especially some of the ones who don't know much about electoral politics. I mean, some of them do know about electoral politics. Obviously, Chris Hayes knows a lot about it. Even that little sort of chipmunk guy that does the maps, he knows a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, Rachel knows a lot about certain things. Like she knows a lot about Putin-gate and uh, maybe some other things. But when it comes to electoral politics, I've never thought of her as someone who knew anything. She just, you know, she's I'm not saying she's stupid. It's just not what she she knows about. So for her to start pontificating out of the blue that uh, South Carolina, now we see a Democratic, uh, a, you know, a state that reflects the Democratic Party. You know what? That's not what. That's not true. Not even close to true. The, you know, the, all of the states together represent the, uh, the Democratic Party, but South Carolina. That first of all, two thirds of the voters are African American. Is that too, is that a reflection of the Democratic Party? Second of all, it, 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 those those votes in the Democratic primary are way way more rural than the Democratic Party is. The, the, we're talking about relatively conservative, rural, older black people, uh, and and not the kind not the. Not the African Americans who live in cities. This is that that's that, not related to that to that experience. It's it's a different different kind of people who have different things that they're thinking about. They're black I mean, senator. They have a black senator, Scott, and he's a Republican. He's a Republican. That's right. They didn't elect him. Um, he, in fact, he got appointed. Oh, okay. but um, the, the thing the thing is um, these uh, the, the, you can't say that the that South Carolina Democratic Party is more representative of uh, the of the Democratic Party. It's just it's just crazy, and uh, it's you know the uh, commentators like Matto don't know what they're talking about when they say something's foolish like that. Well, you uh, write just, about you wrote about African Americans in South Carolina. How Rachel Matto was saying that they're indicative of African Americans. All over the country, and that this is, this is. He was saying that, but it isn't true, right? You Ber- tell us what you wrote because well, you wrote about Bernie this. is 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 winning among African Americans all over the country. I mean, watch what happens tomorrow uh, in um, in California when when the returns come in from heavily African American uh, precincts in Los Angeles. Bernie's killing there. And, and same thing in Oakland, same thing in, in San Francisco. You know, that's not that's not Biden territory. It's not. These are African. First of all, these African-Americans happen to be, you know, have more. They happen to have more education and they're not as old. These are these are tend to be younger people and tend to be more educated people in the city. They're people in cities. They're not people, uh, you know, in rural uh, rural communities. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying you can't say that the one represents the other. They're different. Just because they both have you know black skin doesn't mean they're the same. 
you know, uh, when I talk to African Americans here in Los Angeles, I'm not finding like some gigantic Biden groundswell. Yeah, there are some people that like him. Of course, there are. And there are some white people that like him. There aren't many, but there are some. I don't think Biden is going to do that well. He'll, he'll do okay, but and I think he will probably win some delegates. Uh, but but he uh, he's it's not it's nothing like South Carolina in terms of the African American community. Not not even related. The the stars are lining up for Bernie and the the left of center or the leftists in the Democratic Party because now they're saying it's between Biden and Bernie. Period. No identity politics. It's two white septuagenarians fighting it out. It's all on policy issues and your political history. This is the fight that you, Howie Klein, have been waiting for, isn't it? I mean, it was always going to be Bernie versus uh, either, you know, a conservative. So it looked for a minute there to some people that it was going to be uh, Bloomberg, which I was had my fingers crossed it would be Bloomberg because how how easy would that be for for Bernie to dispose of? That would have been a cinch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it, it looks like Bloomberg is going to be forced out of the race. He says he won't be. I'm hearing that um, that he's going to be uh, very quickly uh, no longer in the race. Okay, so tell me what happens after... One more, yeah, go one more thing about Bloomberg before we move on. Uh, Bloomberg, uh, as you know, is, it has millions of dollars worth of ads every day. And uh, as of uh, Wednesday, he has zero dollars in ads. They haven't taken a single ad. They stopped everything. So that tells you something about how long he's going to last in this thing. Let's say tonight... Well, tell me how you think tonight plays out. What do you, is it going to be great for Bernie? It's going to be, yes, it is, Bernie is going to win. So the question is, how much is he going to win by? If at the end of the night, Bernie has three or four or 500 more delegates than Biden, uh, you know, we're riding to uh, a, a situation where the only way that Bernie's not going to get it is if the, the, the Democratic, uh, you know, the DNC basically, but the Democratic hierarchy decides to steal her from him, which could happen. And that will that will guarantee that Trump will have four more years. Okay. So that's the scenario to guarantee a, a victory for Trump. The DNC stealing the race from Bernie at a at a brokered convention. All right. So tell so me that's possibility. the other possibility is that we're wrong and that Bernie doesn't do as well as we think he's going to do. And he is le- leading, but he's leading by, you know, I don't know, 50, 50 delegates. If that happens, then it's going to be a real slugfest between Bernie and Biden. And that should be, you know, that should make some for some very interesting debates. I think that, um, you know, I don't think uh, obviously Tulsi is not going to be in those debates. And the only the only question at that point is what role uh, Elizabeth Warren decides to play. Yeah. I, and I, and I, I believe that Biden, uh, that Bloomberg will be gone. So, so, so the, the future debates could be, could be best case scenario, Bernie versus uh, Biden or worst case scenario, Bernie and Biden and Warren. And then, you know, it's very awkward and bizarre. How much are you salivating over a race between Bernie and Biden? How ugly, if it just gets down to Bernie and Biden, you said that Obama called up or may have called up Klobuchar and Mayo Pete to step down. 
there, I don't like, know that he did himself. He may have, uh, but I, I'm not. I didn't say he did. But the maggots are going to come out. The D, the rot inside the DNC is going to come Look, out. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz already endorsed Biden over the weekend. Did you know that? So they're all going to. They're all coming out in favor of Biden. Uh, yes. It's cons- all the garbage. All the garbage. I mean, what this should be, it should be a, a signal to 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 progressives to sit on their hands and not not vote for these uh, people uh, uh, who are you know not to vote for someone like uh, uh, like Debbie Wasserman Schultz again. Right. The that, maggots. The maggots are the maggots. Maggot. Have, the maggots have come hair, out. You know that. Yeah, they, they're they're coming out. Uh, he may, Bernie. He may destroy the Democratic Party the way, as we know it, kind of the way Trump destroyed it. I don't see Bernie destroying it. I I could see it being destroyed, but I see more of the possibility that it's going to be destroyed by the Democratic establishment, not by Bernie. Bernie, if Bernie loses fair and square, if he loses the nomination fair and square, he is going to get behind someone far to the right of anyone I would ever get behind. And I mean, that's because he that's because that, that's he's a, he's an institutional player and he'll do that just like he did with that awful Hillary. I mean, you know, I didn't vote for her mm-hmm. and Bernie urged his supporters to back her. Right. Do they genuinely when you watch MSNBC, when you hate watch MSNBC, do they genuinely not see watch? I don't watch it anymore. Oh, okay. But do they genuinely? I, I watch Chris Hayes at five o'clock, and uh, I turn him right off as soon as he's done. Turn it right off. I don't want to hear uh, Rachel Maddow anymore, and I'll, I'll tune her back in uh, after the election. Do they genuinely not see the revolution, or are they trying to stop it? Yes, true. They're trying to. They don't neither. They don't see it, and they're trying to stop it. Right. So neither and yes. Uh, you know. The, remember, I don't know what all their salaries are. I know Chris Matthews. Makes five million dollars a year. Wow! You think he wants Bernie? Right. Bernie is every word out of Bernie's mouth is against him. Right. He's the bad guy that Bernie's talking about. All of these uh, media elites, yourself excluded, are, um, are are very, very, very wealthy, and and Bernie is not their guy. Right. He, Bernie is literally the working class's champion that's who he's for and these people who are on the other side of that these the you know the very very wealthy who are making millions of dollars a year they're going to have their goats gourd right is that is that phrase i've gored some goats yeah they're going to have their goats gourd they are going to be paying higher taxes and they don't want that you know someone who's making five million dollars you may think oh that's you know who needs more money than that well, ask them. They think they need more money than that. So, someone who is very, very wealthy isn't looking down and saying, uh, oh, I'm so much richer than, than they are. They're looking up and seeing people who are making more than them. I, I think I've told this story before, but I worked for someone at one time in my life who was like that. It, it used to shock me. This was a guy who was making millions and millions of dollars a year, I don't know, worth $50 million at least. He was very, very, very wealthy and very greedy and very selfish. And he was always looking at people who had more than him. He never enjoyed his money because instead he was always miserable that David Geffen had more money than he did. Right. And I used to think, how, how what a horrible, horrible way to live. 
Right. Because you're never going to be the richest man on earth, so that means you'll never be happy. So what I'm saying is, uh, you know, so these wealthy, wealthy, greedy, selfish people like Chris Matthews will do anything to stop Bernie. Right. Bernie's program isn't free. Right. Right. The United States is the country where progressive income taxes began. I was listening to Thomas Piketty explaining this today. Hmm. And now now there we don't really have progressive income tax i mean we have a vague idea of progressive income tax but we don't really have progressive income taxes if 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 90 if if you could have a marginal rate of 90% under dwight eisenhower why why is it only you know what is it now it's like 37% is that the marginal something, rate something like you know, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that Bernie is going to bring it up, and, and he's never spoken, at least publicly, about bringing it up to those kind of rates. But I wish he would. Right, right. All right. To be continued, this is an exciting day. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive and some socialist candidates around the country. Required reading is down with tyranny. We will talk to you next week, sir. Yavol Kamrad. <laughs> I think that was what they said after the, uh, the 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 Stalin pact. What was it when Hitler and uh, Stalin made a pact? That's what they said. Yavol Kamrad. All right. Stand line for one quick second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Well, with Chris Matthews being fired from NBC, I, I know our next guest is very, very upset about this. Please welcome <laughs> Professor Harvey J.K., author of Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Welcome, Professor. Sorry about Chris Matthews. And, of course, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. This must be a very sad night for you. Yeah, I, I'm in mourning. <laughs> I'm in mourning. Look, you know, you know, we, we, Chris Matthews. Yes. Chris Matthews has been a farce for years. Okay, I mean, he's so pompous. And how many times do we have to hear about uh, what was the congressman he worked for? Tip O'Neill. Um, Tip O'Neill. How many times do we have to hear about Tip O'Neill? I mean, and how Tip O'Neill got along with Ronald Reagan? I mean, give me. <laughs> My God, yeah. <laughs> give me a break. Or how many times we had, you know. You know what it was with him, if I may interrupt? They have this, this, these halcyon days, this vision of a time when Everett Dirksen would call LBJ a son of a bitch in the well of the Senate. Then he'd go up to the Oval Office and have a drink with LBJ that night. Yeah. And you really right. gave it to me. And Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan would go at it, but they'd have a drink. at the Because to those people, except for maybe LBJ, it didn't mean anything. They didn't care. Yeah. Right. They didn't believe right. in anything. That's right. In fact, in, in fact, what what endears me to Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan is they both despise Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Jimmy, now I, I was going to tell you, I don't know if you saw and he voting voted. Bernie. I know, I know. Even in even in his nineties, there are people who can grow, right? Yes. What can you do? Yeah. So uh, uh, Tip Tip O'Neill. Uh, um, 
Chris, uh, Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews. That was my Actually, tribute, by the it way. May be to, the, that was my tribute to Ronald Reagan. Person. It may be the same person, by the way, Tip O'Neill and Chris Matthews. Well, now, Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House during the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. He had yeah. Jack Kennedy's seat. He told us all politics are local. And he stood athwart history and said, speed up. Didn't he stand athwart and say, speed it up? Athwart. <laughs> That's a great word. Athwart. <laughs> he, he was a big guy, Tip O'Neill. <laughs> athwart. Is that that's that's one word A T H W A R T. That's that's uh, going to be on the quiz tomorrow. By the way, right, right. I'm sorry. I, I'm you know what I have walked around today in an outrage. I'm just outraged all day. In fact, one of my younger colleagues, my dear friend Allison, starting as the chair of our department, said to me, "So you okay today?" I said, "Why do you ask?" He goes, "Well, you just seem like you're upset about something." I said, "You better." And then I just, and I just went off. You know, mm-hmm. I just you know. I was so so sad that uh, Tom Steyer and then uh, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar were announcing their uh, stepping down. It was just getting to me. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? I'm only half kidding because the other part is that I'm hoping Steyer sees the light and comes out for Bernie. Not that his, his, it's a major influence in the election if he does. But Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, I mean, my students, these are my students have asked me, so what deals did they cut? What, what did they ask for to, to drop out? And I said, well, first start, they were probably both running very, very short of money. Okay, B- Pete Buttigieg, what rumor had, one of my students said, did you hear the rumor? He wants to be the ambassador to the United Nations if, when, when Biden gets elected. Wow. Well, I said, okay, fair enough. Somebody else I heard said he, he wants to be Secretary of State. I mean, the rumors were flying. Um, and then Klobuchar, I don't know, what does she want? You haven't heard any rumors? Uh, I, I just am disgusted and repulsed by those two. They are emblematic of everything yes. that's wrong with centrists. They don't believe in anything, including themselves. Right. Well, I say, in fact, I asked my students because we got into a lengthy discussion about what was going on. This was in a class called Power and Change. And I said to them, could you all, t-? I said, remind me, what did Pete Buttigieg stand for? What did Amy Klobuchar stand for? And they assumed I was joking and they laughed. I said, no, no, help me understand. Mm-hmm. And then when you've done that, please help me understand why all of these centrist Democrats are rallying to Biden. What does he stand for? And and, and, you know, they were, they threw out some funny remarks, and I said, the saddest, most tragic thing is, is that what he, Biden, and they stand for is, we can't afford that. We can't afford health care for all. And, you know, I, you and I, I've, well, I've gone on about this any number of times. It is, it is absolutely impossible in my mind, for people who claim to be Democrats to stand before the American people and say we cannot afford national health care, that we cannot afford universal health care, that we cannot afford Medicare for all. I mean, we could lay, even if we assume, even if we assume that there's, you know, a massive deficit, it still doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. We can, we, yes, we can. Is, where, where, where's Obama when you need him? Yes, we can, right? I mean, give me a break. And it's the hollowness of Joe Biden's message when he keeps repeating the platitude, Americans can do anything if they put their minds to it, you know, except raise the payroll taxes to stop millions of people from dying. 
Yeah, right, right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, so the Democrats, they're, 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 they're rallying to the, to the Biden campaign. Nobody knows what the Biden campaign is about. Um, I do remember he said he has friends who are conservatives. He has friends who are Republicans. He can, you know, reach across the aisle. They don't even, there's no way in which, well, if they reach across the aisle, they're going to yank his arm, right? They're going to pull him right over to their side. Right? You know, you know, I tweeted this week and I, and I said, isn't it, uh, my, my daughter's boyfriend said to me, this is remarkable that there it is, South Carolina, the overwhelming majority of Democrats are African Americans. And, they, and they're voting for a guy who was a friend of Strom Thurmond, right, mm-hmm. who opposed busing. I mean, he lays out all the grounds upon which you think an African-American might think twice, or any, any you know, white or black, it doesn't even matter, might think twice, given his, his record. And then, and then he wins. But I saw a good one tonight. Sorry, I'm letting everything fly here. I saw a good one tonight. Somebody, I was, on, I was listening to the Young Turks, watching the Young Turks, and somebody... Uh, named Fiona wrote in to Anna Kasparian and said, "Let me know when Biden can win a blue state. Call me then." Right, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, are we being disheartened too soon? Because we knew Bernie wasn't going to win South Carolina. We were hoping for a miracle, but well, I mean, no. Here's the. It's not. I'm not disheartened. I still think Bernie has it. Really good chance. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not finished or anything like that. And tomorrow's Super Tuesday could be very telling. But here's the deal. Let's suppose that Bernie does move towards the nomination right. and gets the nomination. Along the way, all of these Democrats have literally cursed his campaign. And, and cursed his campaign. In fact, this is as perverse as it comes. Uh, uh, Trump tweeted this evening, it's a coup against Bernie. Mm. Well, you know? He should learn the meaning of the word coup. Well, maybe I'm misquoting it. Maybe no, no, he did. I saw that tweet. He said it's oh, a coup. You did. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not okay. a coup. It's politics. This is politics. politics. Yeah, but it's, but, but, but it's so clear that they are prepared. This is my point. They're prepared to literally run the party into the ground, split the party, rather than rally around the one candidate who I know can beat Trump, because I'm in Wisconsin, and I know who can win in Wisconsin. And Hillary Clinton didn't. Trump could beat her here. Bernie Sanders won the primary last time. He won the pri- essentially won the primary in Michigan. He could easily win this coming election over Trump. I have no idea what Biden can do. And in the meantime, Democrats will be utterly 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 distraught about what's going on right now and who knows whether they'll even turn out later I mean, it's just pathetic well let's turn to but, history for a second you are well, yeah well, yeah please okay every four weeks there's a crisis in january they kill general Soleimani. next thing you know everybody under the age of 25 thinks they're going to be drafted into world war three we didn't have World War Three. Now we're told it's the coronavirus. There's, there's going to be this pandemic. We're all going to be wiped out. And, uh, you know, the coronavirus, maybe it's run its course in terms of being able to scare us. Now there's the civil war within the Democratic Party. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible that this is very good for the Democratic Party, that this is healthy, that we have... For the first time in decades, 
a, a stark contrast. Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden. What a gift. No identity politics at play here. It's two septuagenarians, two white men. They can't play any card other than what they believe in. This is a gift. This is how you cleanse and purge the party of either the leftists or the the Republicans. This is a good thing, isn't it? Well, it is it, it placed in those terms. But when you look at the larger picture, the larger picture in which um, many, well, let's put it this way. In the meantime, the Democrats are failing to mobilize not only the base, as it's called, but those who might not normally vote. Okay, in other words, so these are two old white guys, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the people that we need to appeal to if we're going to win are not, are not even necessarily those who voted once upon a time for Obama and then voted for Trump. Them, they too we need to appeal to. We also need to appeal to the folks who may or may not vote at any given time, say African Americans who want to see a reason to vote. Mm -hmm. Okay, who want, the Democrats need to get their act together in such a way that they, that, well, look, I think Bernie's got the greatest chance, but the point is they need to see that this is a party that's not merely going to repeat the, the mistakes of the past. Now, you could say they're given that we're seeing this stark choice, okay, of neoliberal versus social democrat. But in the meantime... What are, what are people seeing in this battle? They're seeing these, these tepid liberals running to the, to the likes of, uh, of Biden. We see a billionaire who you know as soon as he decides to, maybe Wednesday not to, to pursue the campaign, he's gonna turn around and he's gonna probably endorse Biden and put all of his money there. I mean, the real question is, is gonna be not so much Biden versus Sanders, the question is going to be to what extent Americans can are outraged enough by the billionaire class and their toadies to literally you know rally to Bernie. I, I mean, sorry if I seem confused about this, it's because I am. I mean, it's a, you've asked a good question, but I I still believe what we needed this year was that Bernie should emerge from the pack quickly, and mm -hmm. moreover that Democrats should be willing to rally around him. Because in my head, you asked about history. In my head is is Franklin Roosevelt. In my head is what the Democratic Party for much of the 20th century was all about. Mm -hmm. And what I see now is not, it's, this is the only person right now who's truly a Democrat in the FDR tradition is the one guy who doesn't belong to the party, and that's Bernie Sanders. Right, right. Okay? And what I want Bernie to do, as I, I think it was just a week ago when I said this, I want Bernie to stand up and, li and really make that the issue. Okay, right. not the issue of democratic socialism, but the issue of whether or not we're going to be the party of Franklin Roosevelt, the party of social democracy, the party that, for all of its faults and failings, is determined to raise working people's standards of living to what is considered an American standard of living. Are we going to raise the minimum wage so that it's a living wage? Are we going to create a universal health care, not, not just to save lives, which is fundamental, but literally imagine if you provided national health care, I'm, I'm predicting in a prophetic-like way that if everyone had health care coverage, that we would not only see a healthier America, we'd see a truly greater America, because we would see probably an economic boom engendered 
by the joy of having not to worry about making of surviving of not worrying about whether you can afford to take your kid to see a doctor of whether you can of whether or not you can get your your children eyeglasses whether or not you can address a toothache i mean think of the joy in liberating people from that kind of drudgery and and, that, uh, and the and the entrepreneurial spirit of telling your boss to take your job and shove it yeah right to go try right. something they, yeah I mean, you know, it's just that's why that's why these Democrats are killing me, because they have utterly turned their back backs, I should say, plural backs on the tradition that created the New Deal, the National Labor Relations Act that transformed the American landscape in terms of fighting soil erosion, planting trees, building building hospitals, building schools, building libraries, building parks. You know, creating sewer systems, providing farmer farming families with electric power. That tradition. Where where are these people? Right? Where are they? Okay. And by the way, I, I would like to segue soon into the thing that, that really has me outraged, and that was that's David Brooks. All right. I, hang on, I just ate, so give me some time to digest my food <laughs> before we get to David Brooks. Okay. okay, sorry, but don't, don't, let's not forget to do that, okay? Yeah, and he stayed in your house, and I'm going to send you some sage to light <laughs> to exercise those demons from your home. Yeah, right, uh, right. Bernie! Because, you know what, I was just, I'll just make it clear. What I'm reminded of, and I swear, I, I promise you I won't go completely off on David. Whatever you want to do, whatever you are, okay. it is an honor to have you, wherever now, here's you want to go. Thing. David Brooks became a national, nationally known writer nationally known writer in the late 1990s when he was a, really an, a writer editor for the weekly standard the rupert murdoch magazine of neoconservatism headed by bill crystal the son of irving crystal who was considered the godfather of neoconservatism so david brooks was like a, a major player in the neoconservative uh, uh, roster okay now David Brooks, with Bill Crystal back in the late 90s, was pushing the idea of national greatness. Okay? And what he was pushing at that time was that we, that especially he was angry with the Republicans who had turned their backs on the idea of great projects, that Americans should be makers and doers, and they must be engaged in great projects. And he referred to things such as the interstate highway system as an example or further back than that the creation of the library of congress in other words americans need to be building and creating projects you with me yeah okay so you would think you would think david brooks wouldn't run like a like a chicken with his head chopped off when people started talking about the bernie sanders campaign Remind me to, to to talk about that okay yes we'll get we'll get to that in a second uh, yeah. i'm still I just want the, the sandwich to go completely down. That's why I said the chicken with its head chopped. I thought it would help your digestion. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking with <laughs> Professor Harvey J.K. His latest book is Take Hold of Our History, Make uh, Make, make America Radical Again. Uh, the reason I stumbled through that is I want to talk about taking hold of our history because that has resonated for the past week. And I thought, what a genius title. And I finally got, I was watching the debates mm -hmm. and, 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 and reading about Chris Matthews, and I thought, oh, my God, take hold of our history. Let me read you a quote that Chris sure. Matthews, 
said after, uh, I believe, two debates ago, he was talking about socialism. And this is a famous quote, but this is when I finally got what take hold of our history means. He said, uh, I have my own views of of the word socialist, and I'll be glad to share them with you in private. Of course, he didn't share them in private. He immediately went on to say, and they go back to the early 1950s. I have an attitude about them. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Fidel Castro. I believe if Castro and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed, and certain other people would be there cheering. That is somebody who is, I went, oh, he's taking hold of our history. He's twisting it for his yeah. own sick, twisted right. agenda. Yeah, right. We have to take yeah. that back. Well, first start, and this will also play into when we turn to Brooks. First start, what he did is he conflated Stalinist communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and anyone, look... It is un, unacceptable and unbelievable that somebody who has held down a seat for 20 years on MSNBC and before that was deeply involved in congressional politics, it is inconceivable that a man like that would completely would conflate socialism and Stalinistic communism. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, look, when we won the Second World War, when we basically rescued Western Europe, okay, with the Marshall Plan. When we did these things, what emerged from that were, in most, in many cases, were two major political parties, Christian democracy and social democracy. And although Christian democracy was the conservative party, Europeans moved very soon to create social democratic societies. Social democratic societies, that is, societies in which certain kinds of insecurities would be addressed. There would be national health care. There would be, as in the case, say, of Scandinavia, there would be literally payments to new families to enable them to have children. I mean, I mean to, to fight the insecurities, literally to make life more reasonable, which was always FDR's project. So how does he possibly, how does he possibly conflate socialism with Stalinist communism. The Western European economies have had, as we did for a while, mixed economies. Theirs might have had more nationalization than ours did. But they were not state-run economies. They were not what used to be called command economies. Mm -hmm. They were not dictatorships. I mean, how dare he make that kind of conflation, right? And and appeal to this, this sort of, the fear of the images of Stalinism, and then as a way of trying to smack down Bernie Sanders, who has been, whatever remarks he might have made, possibly admiring the literacy p- programs in, in Cuba, or the fact that the Cubans have national health care, in spite of that, which may or may not have been smart politically, the fact is he in many cases spoke truthfully. And he has always been a critic of authoritarianism, Bernie Sanders, which we cannot say for all of the other folks who've been involved in politics, who have regularly turned away in order to vote on some, you know, some military aid plan to some country which, which was involved in, you know, shooting down, you know, shooting down, uh, sorry, not shooting down, bombing its neighbors or whatever else. I mean, I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm 
stumbling over my own words because these kinds of things that we see out of these folks' mouths are utterly unacceptable. They've become Trump. They have become Trump is what they've become. Right. They, you know, that's, that's what we've seen. The Democratic, these Democrats have become Trump, and their media allies have become like Fox TV. They lie about the past. They pervert the truth. They literally exaggerate us into the abyss. They exaggerate us into the abyss. Absolutely brilliant. It's journalistic malpractice. And I, when I say journalistic malpractice, I'm headlining that David Brooks is coming up in a second. You don't watch MSNBC. I go through fits and starts with MSNBC, and I hate watch them on election night. And I think to some degree you need to go back and watch it because we got Chris Matthews fired by hate watching and tweeting and writing letters. And and Bernie called MSNBC to complain about this guy. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I did all of that, too, but I was able to do that because some people were smart enough to put on to Twitter people like yourself. I thought, you know, you, 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 you made me aware of things that I could see on Twitter and thus respond to that. I didn't have to watch a whole hour's worth of Chris Matthews spit at, uh, at, spit at the people who are literally across the table from him. This country, the level of debate, and it serves both parties, you, you watch the debates or you watch election night coverage. They never discuss policy. I'm talking about MSNBC or any of the news channels. They don't discuss the 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 differences, the fine points between the public option and Medicare for all. They don't talk about the new Green Deal. They don't talk about the budget. They don't have any packages from reporters explaining where the candidates stand on the issues. They horse race us into and so we have anthrax. There's no journal. It's, it's journalistic malpractice to focus only on the horse race, because what happens, I see this when you talk to people now in America, all they can talk about is electability, because that's all that the news networks talk about. They don't talk policy. Everybody's yeah. an expert right. now. Everybody's right. an expert as a, a political consultant. They can discuss they can discuss electability. They can't discuss anything else. Because MSNBC is a disgrace, and CNN is a disgrace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. CNN is is just empty headedness. Okay. Why Why should we be surprised that both Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg were platitudinous? They said nothing ultimately, because we've gotten to this point where nobody's saying anything. And even and then how about this one? When they asked Bernie Sanders about, I don't remember who asked it or how, but in the debate last week, once again, how are we going to pay for it? Right. Mm-hmm. How are we going to pay for it? And then he begins to answer them, and before, and he, there's no way. There's no. First of all, he doesn't do a great job in answering. I fully accept that. I'm not going to apologize for Bernie Sanders on that one. Okay, he, he's not handling those questions the way he should. He's allowing these other the, the folks around him to get under his skin. Okay, you can see it in his eyes, right? The fact is that he's obviously getting angry and he's trying not to completely lose his temper. But what he really ought to be doing in order to raise the level of the discussion, is basically say the question should be, how can we afford not to do it? And then go on to explain how it is that national health care, Medicare for all, would operate and has operated effectively elsewhere and, ha- and could easily operate effectively here 
because we have had public education all these years. Why couldn't we have a, a federally funded public health care program? Right, come on, this is just utterly, it's like, this is class war, is what we're witnessing. Yes. I mean, yes. we had 45 years of class war. Think about it. Capital went after labor, right? The conservatives and the reactionaries got on board in order to literally go after women's rights, in order to go after the right to vote, which had supposedly been assured by way of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So that's class war. It's also class war when neoliberals said, we can't afford these things. We're going to have to live in austerity, starting with Jimmy Carter and then Bill Clinton in his own little fashion, and then Barack Obama, right? Making it out as if the federal government handling its financial situation is like a family sitting around a table. Families can go bankrupt. States can, might well be on the verge of bankruptcy. The federal government cannot go bankrupt, okay? It creates the money to begin with, okay? It doesn't create the value that, that's created by labor. But the money that circulates in the system is essentially created by the government. And so we've got to stop bullshitting people. And these folks on MSNBC, CNN, they're no better than Fox these days. And the debates themselves never, on the one hand, they never allow for the critical questions you ask about regarding policy. They have no historical memory, no historical imagination. And when all, everybody gangs up on Bernie, I can't blame him for what he does, but he's got to learn well, now it'll be fewer people to debate. He's got to learn to stand above the bullshit and talk to the American people. Trump understood that, okay? He basically made mincemeat out of his Republican opponents mm -hmm. because he knew he had an audience out there in America. Well, Sanders, in a more honest fashion and less crude fashion, needs to remember that, the, that before this moment he had these idiots morons alongside of him who were just after their you know were just basically after who knows what uh, vice presidential nomination something like that he's got to stand up to the, and talk to the american people that in a way that both is endearing but and also direct we've heard already about the inequality we've heard already about the system is rigged he's got to explain that this is all addressable we can we I hate to fall back on obama we can do it I mean, it's blatantly evident we can do it. If you think about what FDR did in the face of a massive Great Depression with American labor behind him and a, a unified coalition of liberals and socialists and radicals and progressives. I mean, it, it's doable. Yeah. You know, the Republicans made an unholy deal with the evangelicals and the Christian right. Bernie seems to be running on morality, not religion, but morality, that there are some issues that are not political, they're moral. And yeah. I think Medicare for all is a moral issue. So when you say, how do you pay for it? At some point, he's going to have to say, how do you pay for your your kid's cancer? Answer, yeah, I'll tell you how to pay for Medicare for all, but you tell me how, how you're going to pay for your kid's cancer. It just throw it right back at them. This is a moral issue. The workers in Nevada last week, well, 10 days ago, I guess it was mm -hmm. now, they showed the way. The media said, oh, look, the culinary workers union leaders, they don't want Medicare for all. And then what happened? The workers themselves, they voted for Bernie and Medicare for all. And when they were asked, why did you why did you do that? Why did you sort of go against the, uh, the, the directives of your union leaders? And their answers were simple and real and family-based. 
My brother doesn't have health care. So it's all well and good maybe that I've got this health care program, but my brother needs health care. My kids are going to need health care when they're over the age of 26. They can no longer be on my plan. I mean, you know, you can, at that level, you're talking in an intimate way that m- Americans will understand. And then at the very same time, let Bernie sort of stand up and say, and that's the kind of thing that Franklin Roosevelt understood, and that's the kind of thing that real Democrats understand. Right, 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 right. The, the, the culinary workers are sick of sharing their insulin prescription with their cousins who don't have yeah, health care. Right. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren, do you have oh, less, less respect yeah. or what, what are your thoughts? If Bernie were to put her on the ticket. OK, so let me let me make it clear to everyone listening that I I I, I thought Elizabeth Warren had, had been wonderful back um, prior to 2016, uh, like many people, not knowing Bernie was on the on the on the cusp of, of deciding to run, but was waiting for Elizabeth to make her decision. I thought, okay, Elizabeth Warren should run against Hillary. So, uh, because she had what seemed to me a progressive and social democratic, if you like, agenda. Right mm-hmm. now, okay. So here we are. We're into this campaign. Everyone else is falling out. Her position in the campaign was far weaker than Pete Buttigieg, right? Mm-hmm. And, in, and, and in some ways, in light of what happened in, uh, is it New, where, where was it that, um, oh, Klobuchar in New Hampshire did very well, right? Mm-hmm. I think she actually outpaced um, um, Warren, yeah. her, you know, who's yeah. from Massachusetts. Right. So, so, you know, you'd think, okay, Warren should be the one who should be stepping out. And embracing Bernie. I mean, look, their campaign platforms were not that different. What may have been different is that she placed a great deal of emphasis on planning and policy. And Bernie places a great deal of emphasis on mobilizing working people. That's that's the difference. But she she was pretty weak on Medicare for all. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, hold on. The platform, no, she came out strong at first. And then when they asked her how she'd pay for it, she backed off. And then she said, well, we'll phase it in. We'll have a public option. Okay? And now, so that, along the way, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I want to make this clear. So along the way, she backed off. And when she backed off is when she started really losing support. Mm -hmm. Not because she was, not, probably not because of the embarrassment of backing off that she lost support, but rather because most people said, if we're going to go for Medicare for all, we want it now. Right. Right? Okay. So here's, so here we are now. She has then, she was then asked, along with the other candidates, if this has to go all the way to the convention, What's your position on this? Will you, would you favor that? And she said, yes. And I thought, what's that about, given her weak position? Is this her warming up? Is this like her, her slow but sure warming up to the Biden campaign, hoping maybe Biden will reward her with something major? Now, you asked me, what do I think about Warren on the ticket with Bernie? I mean, in one sense, if we didn't live in a race-conscious America, and a racially oppressive America, an America that needs to be shaken up in many ways, then yeah, that would be wonderful. Although I do think she'd make a, she'll make, she'd make a great uh, leader in the Senate for the sake of getting Bernie's policies mm-hmm. uh, initiative enacted. But, it's, but we live in an America where we need to make sure that those who have been underrepresented in the past have reason to come out and vote because they will believe in the candidates for whom they're voting 
that they will not turn their backs on them. And it, I still don't get the Biden story in the South, but let's leave that for another day. More importantly now is Bernie, if he's the candidate, is going to have to figure out who to recruit as a vice presidential candidate who is ready to possibly become president. Everyone should have that in their minds when they choose a vice presidential running mate. Somebody who is um, able to help out in getting legislation passed, even though the president of the Senate, which is the vice president's role, isn't, exa- isn't, isn't a voting position unless it's a tie, but somebody who can help cultivate the democratic and possible larger ma- majority. But, and last but not least, somebody who is going to help bring out African-American and other persons of color to vote. And I don't see Elizabeth, I don't see Elizabeth Warren mobilizing people. Elizabeth Warren might well appeal to, you know, the upper middle class chattering classes in the East and the West, but I don't see her, I don't see her as a major asset on the ticket. I, I, I mean that. I mean, I think she's wonderful in her, in her legislative Senate fashion. But what does that do for the, for the larger question of, of mobilizing Americans to vote? Right, right. I, you know, I'll give you names that have been floated. But like, like, well, obviously everyone talks about Stacey Abrams, and I was one of those who have. Um, Barbara Lee, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is is another one. Um, the only one who voted a, against Afghanistan, I believe. It was that her. I thought that was. Uh, you sure that was her? I thought it was. We're not talking about Maxine Waters, right? Or is that Maxine Waters? No, no, I think it's, uh, yeah. Barbara Lee. Well, it's interesting. I I apologize to everyone listening for my failure to remember. Um, Okay, and then there have been white white women whose names have come up. Uh, Tammy Baldwin from here in in Wisconsin, okay, who is a progressive, but she hasn't made a major statement in any way in the Senate. Although what's interesting about her is despite the fact that as Wisconsin went went red towards Scott Walker and others. Here she was, a Democratic uh, politician who, who was gay, and she won. Mm-hmm. So she may have appeal that, I, that I'm not aware of, that, that appeals across the gender lines and across the gender identity lines. Um, so there are, there are people out there, and, and I, don't see, I don't know what Elizabeth Warren brings to the ticket, especially when you consider that it's possible Bernie will actually win Massachusetts tomorrow in super tuesday and not her so how before we get to david brooks how wise is bernie what what does he know that we don't know in terms of politics oh that's that's well one thing for sure is uh, this may not be wise but he's been committed okay he he he's stood from start to finish basically to on creating a social democratic america an america that fdr had sought to create in the 1930s and the 1940s from the beginning when he took call for an economic declaration of rights during his campaign of 32 in 1941 when he projected a promise of four freedoms freedom of worship freedom of speech freedom from want and freedom from fear and then most clearly in his call for an economic bill of rights in 1944. And so Bernie, in many ways, has been very consistent himself in reaching back to FDR. He doesn't, you know, the funny thing about Bernie is what he's very, he, he, he knows all of these things. Sometimes he doesn't talk about them enough. Similarly, he doesn't talk enough about his own experience in civil rights. He doesn't talk about his own experience on the things that might make him 
a more appealing candidate to folks who are willing to point a finger at him and say, well, maybe blacks won't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 you know, they'll say he's, he lines up with, as in the case, I hope to segue pretty quickly to David Brooks, that somehow he's praised Stalin. The guy is, a, is an FDR Democrat, which the other candidates are not. The term brain trust, does that come from Roosevelt? Yeah, yeah that, it's actually brains trust, but that's okay. The Bra- brains trust. The brains trust. Yeah. Does he have a brains trust? Well, that is a good... He has some very smart people. The question is, to what extent he's open to taking advice from those very people, okay? I don't, I don't know who his most immediate advisors are. I hear different names bandied about. I, I, you know... I just I mean, don't know. S- Stephanie Kelton. You know, David, I don't know because I'm, yeah. I'm not a surrogate. I'm not inside the campaign. And in fact, although I have, I, have, have, I have friends who are surrogates, right? Even though I have friends who are surrogates, it is the case that it's very, very hard to connect to the campaign. But that's probably true of every campaign because they're always afraid of people who are trying to get something from them. Okay. Let us now turn... To the Book of Revelations, David Brooks. Uh, this is going to get ugly. Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, I, I've been tweeting the fact that tonight I was going to, you know, just lambaste him. And, you know, I know you've had our, our mutual friend, Ben Burgess, on. Uh, Michael Brooks has been on regularly. You know, Ben brings his masterful powers as a logician to mm-hmm. bear on columnists of the New York Times or Washington Post or elsewhere. And I want to bring, I want to bring my political sensibilities and my historical knowledge to bear on David Brooks. And I want to preface it by saying very clearly that this may well be the worst column that David Brooks has ever written, and he has been a hack for some time now. (laughs) 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 And and as you said at the outset, I I mean, I was friendly with David Brooks. I actually always thought he was a pretty smart guy back in the late 90s, and he wrote in an entertaining way. I mean, you know, for all of his faults and failings, he used to ask good questions, but he's literally, I, I think he's lost it. He's literally become just simply a hack now, and mm-hmm. it's just a shame. It's right. just a shame that it's that the New York Times has become that kind of place. Okay, so he wrote a piece last. Uh, was it what day was Thursday? Was that February twenty seventh? I'm it's looking a, it's at it. February twenty seventh. February twenty seventh. Yes. Okay, and it's, the title is "No, not Sanders, not ever. He is not a liberal. He's the end of liberalism." Okay, and he starts off and he says, "Well, you know." First of all, he, he, he's always despised Donald Trump, but we should never forget that he is one of the chattering class who helped create Donald Trump because David Brooks was a conservative and a neoconservative. So basically, the policies that he was willing to endorse time after time, which created the anger in working people towards the establishment, David Brooks helped to cultivate. Right. And then when he finally realized what he and, and his ilk had brought down upon America in the form of Donald Trump, he started talking about the need for national therapy. And as, as you know, and you've noted in the past, I have two pieces in Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again, which take on David Brooks. Those were at least pieces that, that I was responding to that asked good questions. What is America for? What do we need to do in the face of Trump? Good questions. Utterly ridiculous full of shit answers, but the point was he asked the right questions. Now, 
listen to what he does, okay? He said, you know, he might, I mean, basically implies he would have happily, he would have happily voted for Warren if he had had to, right? Mm -hmm. But no way is he going to vote for Bernie. And then what does he do? He goes off in this utterly, utterly Cold War-like way. We all start from personal experience. I covered the Soviet Union in its final decrepit years. And he lays out the fact the Soviet Union and its allied regimes had already slaughtered 20 million people. Now, if in your second paragraph you talk about 20 million people slaughtered, and then you go on to conflate, to conflate communism and socialism, there's no conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, David. 20 million people were executed. 20 million people were killed. Uh, there were intentional famines. The Soviet Union was probably the counterpart to Hitler's Germany, period, right? And in World War II, uh, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. And there was that, uh, that alliance in order to defeat fascism and bring an end to the Holocaust and so on and so forth, right? And I have a note on my paper here that says WTF, right? And then what does he do? He immediately says, Every day we find more old quotes from Sanders apologizing for this sort of slave regime. Now, let me tell you something. No journalist should be able to make that remark without providing evidence. Right. And he goes on to do this for, for a few short paragraphs, and he, has, he, makes, he quotes nothing. He mm-hmm. cites no evidence. Now, he might have pointed out the fact that Bernie had visited the Soviet Union, but sure as hell, every, every politician worth his salt had visited the Soviet Union. Okay, number one. Number two, Bernie did acknowledge the fact that in Cuba, which had been a Soviet-style regime for many years, had indeed made some great strides in its literacy program and its health programs, despite the boycott, despite the ban on, on, on trade from North America well, at least from the United States with Cuba. I mean, that's just reality, okay? All he did was pointing out the things that were accomplished, period. Now, he goes on and on, right? He says, for for Sanders to talk this way in the 1980s is morally unfathomable, and today, literally, it's utterly unacceptable. Now, here's the thing, okay? He's now literally turned Bernie Sanders into an apologist of the Soviet Union, which is utterly untrue and on those grounds alone like Dave, like Chris Matthews and MSNBC David Brooks should be yanked from the editorial page of the New York Times I agree with it, you 100% okay. 100% I mean, okay. to misrepresent now, yeah, to misrepresent right. this uh, Bernie's position not just on the Soviet Union but on the Sandinistas Go ahead. Yes. Oh, sorry. I hadn't even gotten to Nicaragua. Yeah. And, and in the case of Nicaragua, which is even more bizarre, because let's not forget that the Sandinista Revolution was a, was, was a revolution that we should all have welcomed against this brutal dictatorship headed by Somoza. I mean, give me a break. And then what did we do? We underwrote the Contras to literally do everything in their power to undermine the Sandinista revolution and basically to have uh, Nicaraguans look at each other, uh, fearing each other that you might be a country, you might be out to kill me. I mean, literally, we did everything we could to undermine the establishment of a stable, quasi, if not fully democratic regime in, in, in Nicaragua. Okay, but then he gets even worse. Okay, what he did in those few paragraphs was literally to do what the likes of Chris Matthews did, the likes of of all of the all of all of the these these what do they call them these pundits 
who know nothing, right, and can only resort to fear. But now look what he does. He says, Bernie Sanders is not a liberal Democrat. He's what replaces liberal Democrats. And here's the line. Traditional liberalism traces its intellectual roots to John Stuart Mill, John Locke, the social gospel movement, and the New Deal. When I read that as a historian, I thought to myself, is he kidding me? He's got to be joking. John Locke and the New Deal in the same sentence, right? John Stuart Mill and the New Deal in the same sentence. David Brooks never cared for the New Deal, and he stuck it in there without any idea as to what he was doing, basically because he wanted to show that he, was a, that he too, had liberal sympathies, right? Right, right. Now, but look, the fact is that the New Deal was a radical transformation of the liberalism of John Stuart Mill and John Locke, and it was a transformation that rightly should have been called social democracy. And I, and I can tell you that from the very early days of his political career, Franklin Roosevelt was struggling to find a way to refer to the politics that he wanted to pursue and develop. As early as 1912, he was searching for it in a speech he gave to the People's Forum, where he basically said, you know, there's co- he talked about competition versus cooperation. And what he said, and what he worried is, if I talk, basically, if I talk too much about cooperation, people will think I'm talking about socialism. Didn't want to use the term socialism to refer to the new politics. And evidently, if you look at the policies that he eventually promotes and then pursues in the course of the New Deal and even in the course of World War II, it is the making of social democracy. You want to, I mean, Bernie Sanders wants to call it democratic socialism. That was, that was unfortunate. It was social democracy. Empower labor empower old folks so that with, with Social Security so they will not die from starvation, the cold, or, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, the worst form of poverty in those days was the poverty of the elderly. There was no way to take care of them because there was no Social Security. So the New Deal was, if you like, the, the premier example of social democracy. But he had yet to coin the term to use it to describe himself. Now, then, it, and then Brooks goes on, this liberalism believes in gaining power the traditional way, building coalitions, working within the constitutional system, and crafting the sort of compromises you need in a complex pluralistic society. Well, WTF again. What has Bernie done? He's sought to build coalitions. He's created the most diverse campaign Americans probably have ever seen, okay? Mm-hmm. He's worked with... There, when has he not worked within the constitutional system, right? Right. I mean, how dare he try to associate Bernie with anything less than democracy? Then he goes on and he says... This well, is back what, that up what? for a second. Hang on for one second. Back that up. He worked with John McCain on Veterans right. Affairs. He changed Obamacare, so it would include billions and billions of dollars spent on... Uh, public, uh, you know, health care. Yeah, right. No, I mean, exa- sorry, thank you. Thank you. Don't hesitate to, to add to anything I say. Well, please. no, it's just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, to fill it out. Sure. I mean, here I am accusing Brooks of not giving examples, and I need you to help me give the examples. That's great. So then Brooks goes on. This is why liberals like Hubert Humphrey, Ted Kennedy, and he throws in Elizabeth Warren, were and are such effective senators. They worked within the system negotiated and practiced the art of politics. Well, so what? Bernie Sanders has done that too, okay? But then he drives it home without any evidence. 
populists, it, it switches gears. That populists like Sanders speak as if the whole system is irredeemably corrupt. Warren was the one who said the system was rigged before anybody else did, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Well, but, Bernie but and thinks, Bernie. Oh, no, no, what I'm getting at is he, she, she, he includes Warren as a reasonable politician and Bernie as an unreasonable one. And, and Warren had far more television attention when she was saying the system is rigged. That's all I mean, okay? Right. And, and then he says Sanders was a useless House member. What the fuck does a useless House member and has been a marginal senator because he doesn't operate within the system or believe in this theory of change? This is utterly ridiculous. Bernie Sanders, as you said, has been a significant figure in the Veterans Affairs. And given the situation in the Senate these past several years, you tell me any politician in the Democratic Party who's been anything than useless mm-hmm. in the face of the McConnell regime in the Senate. Okay, he was the amendment king as a congressman. At one point, nobody had gotten more amendments tacked onto appropriation bills than Bernie. Yeah, and then he goes on to link Bernie. He says Bernie believes in revolutionary mass mobilization, and once an election has been won, ruled by majoritarian domination. Well, wait a minute. Isn't a democracy supposed to be majority rules, and you protect you protect the, the the minorities against? You know, persecution. When has Bernie Sanders ever indicated that he's going to persecute a minority other than maybe the billionaires, right? Mm-hmm. Who have for 45 years persecuted everyone else and piled up sums of money that is beyond imagination. Okay? Right. So, I mean, this is over and over again. This is a, this is trash that he's written. And then he, wait, so then he goes on. I'll skip ahead a little bit. No, good. Says, take your time. I'm, I'm, this is like, okay. this is clearing my sinuses. Okay. Okay, good. So he goes liberal, then he, he comes back to liberalism. Liberalism celebrates certain values. Reasonableness, conversation, compassion, tolerance, intellectual humi- humility, and optimism. But I love the next word. Next words. Liberalism is horrified by cruelty. Wait a minute. Liberalism is horrified by cruelty. If indeed he wants to think of Biden and Klobuchar and Buttigieg as liberals, Tell me how they can stand before the American people and say we can't afford national health care. That is as cruel as it comes. Yep. Okay? Yep. As cruel as it comes. Bernie is the one person who, as you said, is running a far more moral campaign. Are we on the same page? Absolutely. Okay. Then he goes on. Sanders' leadership style embodies the populist values, which are different. Rage. Bitter. And pointless, no, relentless polarization, a demand for ideological purity. When has Bernie Sanders ever demanded ideological purity? Where does he come off saying this stuff? There's absolutely no evidence afforded, and he's making these outrageous accusations. Okay? Right. right. Now, before I, I'm not even finished. (laughs) A liberal, he says, sees inequality and, and tries to reduce it tries to reduce it. A populist sees remorseless class war and believes in concentrated power to crush the enemy. We have seen 45 years of remorseless class war that liberals have retreated in the face of. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. And then he says, now this is the line that I, this is the line I want to, oh God. These days, Sanders masquerades as something less revolutionary than he really is. He claims to be nothing more than the continuation of Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal. He is 5% right, 
and 95% wrong. Well, I, and by the way, what was that thing back in that old debate when um, it, was, uh, it was, I knew Jack Kennedy, you're not Jack Kennedy? Oh, Lloyd Benson to Dan Quayle. Okay, well, I, I didn't know Franklin Roosevelt, but I know my Franklin Roosevelt. I know every one of his speeches. I know his policies, and I can tell you that Bernie Sanders is not masquerading as Franklin Roosevelt. He is, in his own fashion, trying to redeem the legacy of Franklin Roosevelt and make it relevant to the 21st century. Franklin Roosevelt wanted national health care. That's what Bernie Sanders wants to fulfill, the Roosevelt vision, the Roosevelt promise that he could not fulfill. Okay, And then he goes on, David Brooks, there was a period around 36 or 37, 1936 or 37, when Roosevelt was trying to pack the Supreme Court and turning it into the sort of arrogant, majoritarian strongman the founders feared. But this is not how FDR won the presidency, passed the New Deal, beat back the, the socialists of his time, or led the nation during World War II. Franklin Roosevelt did not beat back the socialists of his time. The, the coalition that he created in the 1930s involved as a united front liberals, socialists, communists, radicals and progressives, a very diverse political assortment. Roosevelt did not embrace the communists, but it was pretty clear that his political coalition, at least at the intellectual level, involved all of these. He was not running to beat back the socialists. He was running to beat back the capitalists, okay? The capitalists who came after him, the capitalists who wanted to undermine and effectively overthrow his presidency. It was not the socialists. Let's make that absolutely clear, okay? So anyhow, take hold of our I history. This, this uh, is a piece of trash. It this is, is this is disgusting. Take hold of our history. I was in Washington D.C. last month. I walked around the Capitol and I thought they've taken hold of our Capitol. The Koch brothers, the moneyed class, and the ninety-nine percent have just given up. They have no access to the to our nation's capital, and they're taking hold of our history. If you don't study, argue, and debate history, people like David Brooks will take hold of it, twist it, and then you end up with presidential debates about nothing. And that's what's happened. Yeah. They have, they've mm -hmm. taken hold of our history, and we need to take it back. And you need to buy, take hold of our history, make America radical again. It's written by Professor Harvey J.K. It's a great read. It uh, I, This will surprise you, but it it might make you a little angry. I know listening to my conversations with the professor, he's, you know, measured and reasoned and, you know, but believe it or not, in Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again, we get to read some of the professor's essays and some of his speeches and you might be surprised by some of the fiery rhetoric. Is, is rhetoric a bad word? Not at, well, it depends on who's using it. Listen, you know, I, can I, the main thing is this. I want to go back to something that I don't know if everyone walks away from the book with this, but when we have faced crises, crises that threaten the very meaning and purpose of America, whether it was the, in the 1770s before the revolution, whether it was in the 1850s with the advance of slavery, not the retreat of slavery, the advance of slavery and the threat to the stability of the United States, 
And then in the 1930s, the Great Depression, 1940s, the, the threat of fascism east and west of the United States. What did we do? We mobilized and we founded in ourselves to transcend, to beat our enemies, whether they were foreign or domestic. And how do we do that? By making America more radical, not less radical, by making us freer, more equal, and more democratic. And what have we got with, with Biden? He wants to restore the status quo. What have we got with Buttigieg and Klobuchar running to align themselves with him? The status quo. Bernie Sanders is called over and over again for a political revolution. Okay, what does that mean? It means going back to the founding, remembering all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, sorry, unalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he understands what Franklin Roosevelt understood, that life requires that your necessities are made available, mm -hmm. that you have food, clothing, and shelter, that today you have health care, that you have education. In other words, FDR understood that, and he argued for that. Bernie Sanders understood that. They both understand that needy people are not free people. When Roosevelt began his first inaugural, to paraphrase it, he said, I see millions of people unclosed, unfed. I, I don't remember the exact phrasing, and I hope that was his first inaugural. No, I think it was actually his um, second inaugural. Okay. Uh, and I, I hope it was Roosevelt. And It was Roosevelt, <laughs> yes. It was Roosevelt. Okay. I, conf <laughs> I confuse him. But it was not Teddy. Okay. It was Frank. <laughs> Sometimes I, I confuse him with Tony Danza. But, you know, uh, I, okay, see, <laughs> I see these people unclosed, unfed, and... Uh, you know, seeing unclothed and unfed people is a form of terror. Forget, you know, it's bad enough that these people don't have clothes and aren't fed, but are witnessing. These not, I'm laughing. Not at, I'm not laughing at those people. I'm laughing. I'm laughing at you. Sorry. Oh, you're, you wouldn't be the first at me. <laughs> but we are terrorized by what we see on the streets when we see. Families. Yeah, we are. You're right. We are terrorized. We our greatest fears are when we see people without, and basically we allow the fear to overcome our sympathies. Right. And 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 you know what? You know, to go back to my real, real hero, Thomas Paine, in in the 1790s, Paine wrote a pamphlet, Agrarian Justice, and he took issue with, uh, I guess it was an English. A minister or, or or bishop or whatever, who basically said the poor, you know, basically the poor will always be with us, sort of paraphrasing mm -hmm. Jesus. And Paine was outraged that, you know, that, that this minister, this cleric, had failed to recognize that poverty was humanly created, that civilization had generated poverty, not some kind of divine law. And he said, you know, that it was imperative for us to, to address this. But one of the things he said in the course of, of the pamphlet was, that he couldn't even understand how those who have could bear to enjoy what they had when they could see others who did not have. Right, right. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Last question, and by the way, thank you. It's, it's an honor and a privilege. You, you know. say that to all your friends? No, uh, oh, because I don't I have am, any friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm your friend. Keep that in mind. Right. No, but, what I, but you can keep complimenting me. Thank you. Well, I really got 
I really understood this week what take hold of our history means. Because if we don't, they will. And they have. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, My last question is the Bernie bro. Because we are angry. Let's assume tonight, God willing, that uh, Baldwin, Biden does a facelift plant he lands right on his facelift and doesn't doesn't score and yeah bernie becomes almost the presumptive nominee now i taste blood my instinct is well we got rid of chris matthews mm-hmm. we're going to start cleaning house we're going to purge not just the democratic party of Rahm emanuel and the clintons and the obamas we're going to start cl- we're going to get rid of uh you know, uh, I don't know who's on, over at MSM. You know, they they have David Pluff on MSM. You know, start cleaning house. Yeah. Uh, do we go for blood? I mean, I, is there blood lust? Do we go crazy? Well, you know, the part of the problem is that the media is corporate media. Okay, so what they'll do is they'll question whether or not they're going to lose audiences and thus revenue. So, of course, if 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 let's face it. There's nothing that says we shouldn't want to take on the folks who've literally, you know, sort of dumped on on the good versus evil. You know, I mean, denying people, people who ask the question, how can we afford national health care? Clearly should be driven from the House. Yes. So do we purge the Democratic Party? And this is a long question. Maybe we should. Let's tease this. God willing, you'll, you'll want to come back next week. The idea of purging a party. Now, I have it in my head that... Well, wait a second. Yeah, look, Trump purged the Republican Party. He did. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and basically, the Clintons purged the Democratic Party. I mean, they, you know, and, and they basically set it up in such a way so that they, they would be, even after they were no longer in office, they would be able to dominate the party. I mean, if, if you look at the DNC... The DNC was created between the Clintons and Obama, okay, in such a way as to try to prevent Bernie Sanders from taking hold. I mean, who is who is Tom Perez, the head of the of the party? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's Obama's guy, right? Right. And now the fact is, if Bernie wins, if Bernie becomes the, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, the leader of the Democratic Party, then indeed he gets to name the president of the party, the chair of the party, whatever the title is. And you bet. Yeah. I mean, so if I say, because I've said this at parties, I've said this online, that when Bernie takes over, get in line or get out. You're not you're not entitled to a seat at the table. If you're a multimillionaire, get in line or get out. Am I wrong for saying that? And doesn't that benefit the party? I'm going to first, first, the, the, the simple answer is it's a free country. You're entitled to say what you wish. Okay. Okay. Tell that to my mother. Sorry. You're going to draw <laughs> listeners away if you talk that way. Tell me, right. dial it back right. a little. There's too much right. moral but, certitude but, in your voice. But let's put it this way. I don't think we have to start calling for purges of the party because it's going to, they, it would happen anyhow. In fact, how's this? Consider this. Given all of the talk of, of uh, Bloomberg and all this crew, let's suppose Biden does fall flat on his face. And Bernie, quickly enough, is not only the leading figure in the Democratic Party, but is all but assured the nomination at the convention. 
right? Mm-hmm. I worry. I still worry. It wasn't too many months ago that we worried about the likes of Bloomberg running a third-party campaign. Right. Right. It's not out of the question that Bloomberg could do that very thing. The guy's got money to spare, and even if he could never, never win, it's not unlikely that he could pull so-called. Well, there's no such thing as a moderate voter. The more centrist voter away, or or drive them to stay home. I mean, that's the biggest part of the problem for the Democrats, is how can they get people who may or may not vote to vote? Mm-hmm. That's not the problem for the Republicans. They've rallied their base. They know where they're going. Trump realized he was never going to win a national election. He had to win particular elections, like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, right. Ohio, those kinds right. of things. Let me, let me tease a question. Let me ask you. I'll uh, charge you extra. Okay, good. <laughs> Okay. Uh, let's. You know, we may be depressed next week. Uh, if well, we... I have a question for you after we get off. By the way, okay, I have a question. Okay. So, what happens if Bernie purges the party the way you said Clinton did? And of course, you have people in the press going, "It's a Stalinist purge. This is just what the Politburo did in Russia, and this is disgraceful." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the Bernie Bros say, "You got it, pal. You want to you want to call this a Stalinist purge? Now we're coming after you the same way we went after Chris Matthews. You want to you want to <laughs> and we you are looking. You know what? It's funny. You know what? This conversation reminds me. I had an exchange with a Canadian friend of mine, this young uh, Canadian grad student." Who, who was really outraged, something she was reading, and she said she was going to definitely go after that person somehow or other. And, you know, we got to be careful of our language, David. That's the only thing to remember. We can be outraged, but we shouldn't be using the language that the, the vilest of the vile would use. Okay, mm-hmm. That's what I would say. I mean, it's going to be the case that if Bernie should be able to win the nomination and, and lead the party, that it's going to happen anyhow. Because so- they're either going to... They're either going to rally to Bernie or they're going to be useless, in which case you fire them. Right? Right. Right. So we can't have bloodlust. We shouldn't enjoy Chris Matthews getting fired, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Have a drink. Well, I'm sorry. You don't drink. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, You know. Or, Or pretend you're not thrilled that Chris Matthews is. All right. Oh, look, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that he's going to be gone. And and if I haven't said it earlier, now's my opportunity. I want everyone to go on Twitter or on Facebook and tweet or or whatever one does on Facebook. I don't even know what the term, you know, whatever it is in Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm not on Make sure the message gets out. Sam Cedar should get the slot that Hardball previously had. Yeah. And let it be called, if he wishes, Majority report. Okay? Amen. Amen. Sam Cedar. That's my. I'm pushing for Sam Cedar. Then Michael can take over hosting the majority report, and life goes on, and we're all happy. From your mouth to what's his name, Griffin. Oh, the Michael I was referring to is Michael Brooks. In case yes, the great Michael Brooks. Yeah. Professor Harvey J. K. is the author of Take Hold of Our History: Make America Radical Again. Buy this book. Read it. It's. Again, it's a, an easy read. It really Thank is. Thank you, David. It's, it's Thank a, you. And anyone out there who wants to hear, hear or at least read more of my ranting or upset or historical references, 
Um, Harvey JK on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Can you stay on the line for one quick second? You bet, because I have a question for you, too. Yes, stay on the line for one second. Okay, all flight controllers, going to go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're a go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. It's Super Tuesday. Amy Klobuchar and Mayo Pete have dropped out. And Alan Minsky joins us. He is the executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. Big election today in California. Were you at the Bernie rally? I actually didn't go to the Bernie um, public enemy rally. Uh, had family obligations that day. And, of course, I've been to loads of Bernie Sanders rally. I, I am a longtime big fan of Public Enemy, so I watched it live, actually, uh, while I was with my daughter. And how was and, Sarah uh, Silver? I actually, I, for some reason, on the live feed, uh, they didn't um, transmit the Sarah Silverman uh, section of the event, but I actually went back and watched it, and she was great. And she Dick Van Dyke? Good. I heard Dick Van Dyke was amazing. <laughs> yes, um, and he, um, I think Sanders announced it Actually, people have anticipated that Sanders, if he gets a nomination, would choose a woman as a VP, but I think he's going with Dick Van Dyke. I think ah, he said it at the event. I think that's a good idea. I won't do uh, a joke about his last name. We'll move on. Uh, maybe five years well, they, ago? They were, they, were, they were chanting his first name. Yeah. I think he might have heard. Yeah. We, we, we'll, we'll move on. So, California, does Bernie... Get all the delegates. Is anybody going to get the fifteen percent? Are anybody going to crack the fifteen percent threshold? Yes, now almost certainly. Um, this is the one uh, almost certain impact that Buttigieg dropping out. Not so much Klobuchar because she was doing very poorly in California, but Buttigieg dropping out. You know, regardless of who um, people his supporters go to. I mean, some of them clearly will go to Biden. Um, some will go to Sanders, some will go to Warren, et cetera. Um, with fewer candidates in the race, uh, the ones that are competitive are now, in, you know, maybe in second, third, and fourth even, much more likely to get to the 15% threshold in congress individual congressional districts and across the state. So that actually will very much lower the number of delegates that will be collected by the winner. This um, is the lesson that. that the Democrats learn from Trump that nobody would drop out, although Jeb had dropped out by now. Uh, well, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy process. And, you know, California moving up to Super Tuesday, this incredible imbalance where all of this time is spent in Iowa and New Hampshire. And then uh, there's a good, there's a week there, 10 days to focus on Nevada, and then a week to focus on South Carolina, and then bang, three days later, and the two biggest states in the country. And, you know, if Joe Biden ends up the nominee, uh, you know, it's been a very um, unique process this time around where the whole logic of what is still 
positive about Iowa and New Hampshire. You meet the candidates, you see how they are interacting with people, being actually responsive to people's questions and people's needs, you know, actual people, not, you know, uh, media figures getting, you know, on MSNBC, CNN, and so on. And he completely bombed. Mm-hmm. He just was a complete failure. Um, he did a little bit like Tom Steyer, right at towards the end of the New Hampshire phase, decide to put most of his energy into South Carolina. And of course, as of, as of this hour, it revived his campaign and, and worked out for him. But you actually can look to, to Nevada, actually, as also helping revive Joe Biden. Both South Carolina and Nevada, the biggest just came from the political, established, traditional Democratic political machines in the state. And while the culinary workers' refusal to endorse any candidate, um, and they're sort of being at odds with Bernie Sanders, um, it's not so much that, that aspect of the Nevada political machine as the even older Harry Reid political machine. I think that won Biden a second-place finish, and it was that second-place finish, after he had completely bombed in Iowa and New Hampshire, that I think uh, Clyburn in South Carolina looked to as thinking there was still life in the candidate. And, of course, he has an even tighter machine um, with um, a much better delivery um, the South, South Carolina establishment Democratic Party machine, of uh, which he's the, the figurehead. And, and that was absolutely essential to delivering the huge victory for Biden in South Carolina. And then the last couple of days unfold in which I, you know, I don't know how this is going to be written into history. Um, but at this hour, I think anybody who doesn't see this as what you were just pointing out and an, an effective coordinated effort to block Bernie Sanders from getting, becoming the, you know, runaway front runner with a line on getting the nomination. You know, this was very choreographed. One day Buttigieg drops out, then Klobuchar drops out. She announces she's endorsing Biden. Buttigieg then follows that up by announcing he's endorsing Biden. And then they both go up here with Biden. And, you know, very clearly, they are trying to achieve what the Republicans could not achieve last time. But it still, I think, is going to be very divisive for the party. Um, and, you know, because I, I think Sanders is a much better candidate than Joe Biden. Um, he's uh, much better at talking about the issues that matter to the American people right now. I mean, there's many, many people who are better at that than Joe Biden is right now. And so, you know, it's, it's a party in crisis and a party that doesn't seem to want to be, you know, responsive to actual needs of, of Americans and, and the issues that their experiences, um, you know, um, the, the things that they connect with are the kind of policy proposals put by, put forward by Bernie Sanders and, you know, which are often given lip service by moderate candidates, which then, you know, they win votes for giving them lip service, but of course they have no intention of ever pursuing them in earnest. And that's why they need to block Bernie Sanders because he would, he would change things so dramatically that um, their politics would be um, uh, no longer the, the you know, prominent in the democratic party. Will history possibly look back at Monday as, as uh, the Waterloo for the Democratic establishment, where they revealed how stupid and out of touch they are, that when 
Klobuchar and Mayor Pete drop out. They endorse Biden. They circle the wagons against Bernie. They show their hand, and it's not good. They don't have the support that most Americans no longer trust institutions. They don't trust the Obamas or the Clintons, the Democratic establishment. And the more they circle the wagons for Biden, the more people are going to come out for Bernie to reject that. Doesn't, um, doesn't this show how out of touch the Democratic establishment is? Well, I think that's a possible outcome of today's races. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, clearly, you know, I think if, if Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden in their 2020 incarnations uh, were in a vacuum um, running for any office imaginable, I, I think Bernie Sanders would just trounce Joe Biden. Um, running for the presidency of the United States, um, just the, the sharpness of Sanders' messaging, the um, relevance of the things he's putting forward versus where Biden is, I just don't think it would be even close. Unfortunately, that's not the world we're living in. Um, they've built up to a much greater degree than in 2016. Um, a lot of public anxiety about Sanders' electability. Um, I don't think most people buy into it. You see in the polls that when you take a, a general slice of the population, Sanders still does very well. But I, I think it's naive not to recognize that that's having some impact on how Sanders is performing. And if we look at the, the first four races, uh, because it was a crowded field, um, Bernie Bernie did better than anybody else, but it wasn't uh, a runaway set of victories. Um, other candidates were, were close to him in each of the races. And... You know, it just, because of that, I don't think we can anticipate that he'll, you know, in, in many states that he'll be outperforming where the polls have had him. And I don't know, hopefully the prognosticators are incorrect um, that, uh, you know, Biden has made up a ton of ground in these last three days. That's more the question. Has Biden made up a ton of ground? Can I just don't know that there's a, I don't know there's a dynamic right now for Bernie to, you know, really exceed his expectations, especially not without candidates dropping out who it would make sense that he would pick up votes. Oddly, Joe Biden was a candidate that Sanders, um, I think, would pick up a lot of votes from. Well, you're the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. You know campaign strategy. I've always been led to believe that campaigns like war are one on the ground, not on the air, that we're going to see Bloomberg, who's running an air campaign. He spent $500 million to air these commercials without really a, a ground game other than mercenaries. Biden was broke. He was running out of money up until Saturday. He hasn't been able to run an, an air campaign or ground campaign. He has no infrastructure on the ground anywhere. He doesn't have people knocking on the doors in these primary states I don't think you can get it together in three days. I think I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised tonight. I, I sure hope you're right. I think the problem with that only is that if you look at the way the national polls kept registering um, for for months and months, uh, Biden was always ahead of everybody, and um, not anymore. You know, yeah, but but the actually the recent national polls in South Carolina have 
have closed the gap in even the national lead that Sanders had. It was growing and growing and growing to South Carolina. Now, here's the thing. Um, you know, I, I'm taken aback by how these last 48 hours have transpired. I do think that I, I was not anticipating this. I mean, if you think about it, Klobuchar dropping out would be something that would make sense. And by the way, the short-term impact of that would probably benefit Sanders because he was running much stronger than Biden in in Minnesota. And I think he did well there in 2016 as well. Um, Buttigieg dropping out, that was the real shocker. Um, and then there's, of course, quite a, a sort of frenzy, particularly on Twitter, um, between Sanders supporters and Warren supporters and everybody piling on about, you know, Warren's role in the race because you know, Buttigieg had outperformed her rather significantly, of course, most notably in, in New Hampshire. But Warren had, I think, finished behind him in every race. Mm-hmm. And so it's very odd to right. see this, you know, upstart with a ton of energy. Um, and, you know, pretty solid campaign infrastructure, not that it was really nationally. He had put so many resources into Iowa and New Hampshire. But for him to bow out um, and then for Warren not to bow out, um, that's also, I think, a, a troubling thing for for the positive result that you're hoping to see, that we're both, we're both hoping to see tonight for Bernie Sanders. But um, that, that your predictions, I think, you know, I don't know. Warren has underperformed and underperformed and underperformed um, but, uh, you know, she's getting, I don't know if she'll get a bounce or if she'll go further down. By the way, I just got word that MSNBC host Chris Matthews has resigned mm-hmm. amid a series mm-hmm. of controversies. Uh, most people, well, you know, um, go ahead. Um, um, Elizabeth Warren's great contribution to the campaign might be that she really, really seems to have, dam- have damaged Mike Bloomberg. Though again, we'll see the results today. And then. Uh, Matthews, of course, she played a big role in, in harming him, too, though, of course, his criticisms of Bernie Sanders were uh, just as notable. But tell, you know, how, tell how she tell how she damaged Chris Matthews. Um, after uh, one of the last two debates, they had a post debate interview and he clearly uh, sided with with Mayor Mike Bloomberg against the women who have uh, you know, innumerable accusations against him. And, you know, Warren was really taken aback. And it just was this glaring moment, um, even more than the, you know, the, the crazy, you know, World War II, um, uh, story he told to try to illuminate how he felt about Bernie Sanders winning Nevada. Um, this one was just, you know, really ran, um, afoul of, you know, where uh, national uh, television hosts are expected to be following so many of them losing their jobs, men, for all the sexual harassment on the sets. Well, so, he, um, it, it, what's interesting about Chris Matthews, and this is just coming over, as they say, the wire, he compared Bernie's victory in Nevada to Hitler winning in, in France. That was mildly offensive. But during his interview with Elizabeth Warren after the debate with Bloomberg, Bloomberg reportedly said, you're pregnant? kill it. It was a he said, she said. And uh, Chris Matthews said, do you really believe that woman is telling the truth? And Elizabeth Warren said yes. And Matthews took the side in a he said, she said with Bloomberg, even though it had been verified 
by uh, corroborated by the Washington Post. There were witnesses to Bloomberg saying, kill it. So Chris Matthews kind of showed who he is with the patina of an old school Tip O'Neill Democrat that he, you know, for the past 30 years, he's presented himself as a Bobby Kennedy Democrat. But uh, he is who the Democratic Party is. I mean, he's a Biden Democrat. He's from the same neighborhood. And they are not center left. They are center right. But they can't call themselves. They don't want to be Republicans. So with the demise of uh, Chris Matthews, I think that sends a chill down MSNBC's spine. The Bernie bros and the Elizabeth Warren sisters kind of got Chris Matthews fired. Some articles came out about him sexually harassing. Some women came forward and finally admitted that they had been sexually harassed by him. The Bernie people, and hopefully Elizabeth Warren will join us, we're not messing around, are we? Well, I, wanna, I think I, I agree, but I also think right now there's a big schism between many of the core supporters, not in the campaigns, the actual campaign steps, um, but, you know, on social media, and you can really feel the tension out here in California today between Warren supporters and Sanders supporters. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that, that you're absolutely correct. That has to be um, addressed um, in, a, in a constructive way uh, around the tremendous overlap that does exist in the policies that they've supported, you know, throughout both of their careers in the Senate and and in terms of their campaign platforms. Um, I mean, obviously, these are it's always tough. You get into a competition, you don't do as well as you want. And then, you know, there's a resentment Sanders people have towards Warren because they feel if Sanders had had the bad performances and the roles were reversed, you know, there would be such a cacophony, a mm-hmm. uh, uniform cacophony for Sanders to get out um, that, uh, you know, it's just, it's just bad. It's, it's, there's a lot of bad blood there. And, and I think it's very important, uh, hopefully, in the coming weeks that, that that schism can can be addressed effectively. And I think the really significant thing about the moment we're at right now is what it does say about, you know, the two-party American political system and how unwilling it is to that the establishment wings of, both, of really both parties, but right now particularly the Democratic Party, to expand um, and include, um, you know, left progressive uh, approaches to the you know issues that American society faces. I think this has been a big. Uh, it's sort of always been an issue on the horizon. Can the Democratic Party um, become a progressive party? Can it have these two wings in which the progressive party is marked? The progressive wing is not marginalized, and can you know serious as Warren was said earlier in the campaign. Serious structural changes be what the contemporary Democratic Party is about. And the degree of resistance to that that we have seen since Sanders um, won Nevada um, has been pretty pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be something that certainly someone like me, very committed to left progressive politics, you know, uh, the great partner organizations around this country that PDA um, works alongside, you know, what is going to be our relationship to the Democratic Party if the Sanders campaign is basically um, blocked and suffocated in the way that uh, they're trying to do? Um, I mean, this has been much 
worse, much more aggressive than anything that really happened in 2016, and that produced a lot of bad blood. Now, on the one hand, in the short term, that doesn't bode very well for the prospects of uh, the if they if they win and have a centrist nominee in terms of beating Donald Trump uh, in the fall. But it also really raises the question of, you know, what what do these millions of progressive leaning people politically do? Is it is it past the point where you know the the establishment can effectively marginalize and, and silence them, or what happens? It's sort of an open question, and um, hopefully none of that will matter because your sentiment about today is will prove more accurate than mine. Yeah, I mean, I think we we finally have the starkest choice in decades within the Democratic Party if it's between Biden and Bernie. Two white septuagenarians, no identity politics involved. You stand on what you're for and what you're against. Nobody's going to vote for either one of these guys because of their identity. This is what the Democratic Party, it's been ripped bare. You can no longer hide behind identity. Hillary could hide behind identity. Barack Obama hid behind identity. This and, and, you know, and I believe there's a place for identity politics. I think it's important. But we've sacrificed policy for identity. We've sacrificed class struggle for identity. And now this one gets down to class struggle. This is Biden versus Bernie. And we're talking class struggle. Do you want to vote for the, the 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 vice president, the senator from credit card country. I mean, the guy who wrote the bankruptcy bills that didn't allow you to uh, get rid of your student loan debt. Or do you want to vote for Bernie? There has never been a more stark choice right now than between Biden and Bernie. This is the debate we've been gunning for for years. Let's have it out now. This is healthy. People are afraid. This is a good moment. um, Well, again, I hope you're right. I think there are two mitigating issues. Um, first of all, I don't think identity, in particular, the way that it has specifically played out inside the Democratic Party in recent presidential election cycles, is absent from this. And that is because Joe Biden's certainly presidential prospects and obviously um, uh, political career, um, they were revived. They were brought up to a complete higher level through being selected as Barack Obama's vice president. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is of course, 99% of why um, he was ever going to have a chance as a presidential um, candidate this late in his life. And the only reason really, that he's in this position, and of course we saw the results of that in the first primary with large African-American voting bloc. The other thing is I think um, there's this other issue that will be, is clearly the single issue um, way beyond the moderates' critique of, you know, Sanders won't get his bills passed through the makeup of the Congress, the big issue is what's called electability in this cycle, and that's Donald Trump. And that's the, that's the cudgel that they're going to beat the progressives with in a way that will they will try to use it to keep the clear ideological and class economic climate, all the issues away from the public's imagination, saying, 
what we need is stability. Trump is a disaster. Biden is the stability candidate. And, you know, in his, in his heralded um, and almost fully substanceless um, acceptance speech in South Carolina, he clearly was marking that, you know, we want goodness in America. Yeah. That's an easy thing to embrace, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Did you read the profile of Hunter Biden in the New York Times over the weekend? You know, the other thing about Biden, of course, and this is not a major thing, but it, it sort of plays on, uh, in part, why he um, why he can go up there and say those kind of bromides, is um, the tragedy he's had in his life. And um, Hunter Biden, um, of course, is going to be, uh, and, you know, an Achilles heel for him. There'll be many of them in the in, in a race against Donald Trump, and um, you know, obviously his other son uh, was more accomplished, and then he died, you know, way before his time. And then, of course, the tragedy that hit. What was it before he actually was seated in the Senate? Right after he won the first time, yes, his, this car accident, yes, and of course Hunter Biden's had all kinds of substance abuse problems, and you know he. He um, he dealt with that by um, <laughs> um, getting jobs, uh, exploiting his, his dad's career to get jobs he was fully unqualified for. He said during that interview that he was a crackhead. There are four mm-hmm. years spent recently where he didn't read, he didn't think, but somehow he was able to land a $60,000 a month job with Burisma. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't smell right. <laughs> But here, before um, you go, I, I promise we would keep uh, this short. But before you go, I think Pete Buttigieg, and you said this more so than Amy, has really let his followers down because he gave one victory speech after another. Even when he didn't win, it was a victory speech. He was, this big pep well, he, talk of... He, he's correct. He's, he's got a name now. He's part of the American... Well, you must think he has a name. Hopefully, we'll defeat the political establishment before it. He's he's sitting pretty right now to get the best kind of jobs imaginable for an American political person out of office. Yeah. He spewed these platitudes, saying absolutely nothing. And then right before the big election, Tuesday, I mean, he was, up until a week ago, he was ahead of Biden and he was going to be the one who could take on Bernie Sanders. Within one week, he caved to the Democratic establishment. And I think that's going to turn off anybody who was going to vote for him on Super Tuesday. And this is how centrists think. This is who Amy is. This is who Pete is. They talk a big game. But when a big challenge is in front of them, like Super Tuesday, they chicken out. They don't even bother to see how it turns out, like Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, free tuition at all public universities. These are big ideas, and they're afraid of big ideas, like Super Tuesday. And so they walk away from it rather than even try. They couldn't even fight for themselves. How are they going to fight for the American people? They walk away on the eve of Super Tuesday. That tells you everything about centrists and moderates in the Democratic Party. They don't believe in anything. What about going well, down, I mean, fighting for something you believe? Like, you know, I believe in moderation. I believe in being <laughs> realistic, and I'm going to go down fighting for realism. They don't believe in anything, and that's why they walked away on the eve of Super Tuesday. I think voters pick up on that. I think voters realize that 
that these people and they're going to throw their support for Joe Bot to Joe Biden. They don't believe in anything. Again, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, of course, Minnesota is going to be uh, an interesting test case because clearly Klobuchar was was set to be competitive with Sanders with Biden, yeah. you know, in in the rearview mirror. So it'll be a pretty clear uh, large pool of voters. We'll see where they end up landing. Um, but you know, she was always, you know, she she name checked Paul Wellstone, I think. In, How dare uh, she? In that, yeah, no joke. I mean, she was had was had, had an entire career from the opposite wing of what they call the Minnesota Democratic Farm and Labor Party, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they the opposite wing from Paul Wellstone's uh, grouping. So, um, you know, she's um, would be interesting to see where her votes will go and what will happen in Minnesota. Um, hopefully Bernie will take that. Bernie's going to win Vermont. Bernie's supposed to win Utah. And let's hope he wins Colorado, Texas, California, and a whole bunch of other places. Because yeah. if he does that and he comes out with a significant delegate lead, then um, I really do think it will be um, it will reset in a way where the issues that you are hoping are brought forward once again, come back in. But these last few days has been just all about horse race, all about hysteria and blocking Bernie Sanders. And, and of course, that's what I think, um, you know, progressive Democrats of America have to assist in doing. Um, and really all people um, who support Bernie Sanders, I think Sanders w- would want all of his supporters to bring things back to the vision of America and the public policies that he's promoting. If that happens, um, yeah, then Bernie Sanders has uh, got a good chance of uh, transforming the Democratic Party by winning and transforming the world after that. Yeah, yeah. Klobuchar and Mayor Pete, you know, they, they ran as practical centrists who could get things done, and they've proven they're right. They, they got things done. Both their campaigns are done. They're finished. They're done. That's that's what centrism gets you. That's what the moderates get you. They're done. And they're walking away from it. And they're tossing their votes over to Biden, who gets things done. He'll, he'll be finished either before Milwaukee or on Election Day. And God forbid Joe Biden gets elected president. He'll be done on day one. He won't fight for anything. These people fight for nothing other than... Their next job, they're they're disgraceful. Well, I think I think I think what you just hit on something that that is important. I mean, we've had a very short amount of time to process the rebirth of Joe Biden's candidacy. He clearly will um, be analogous to George W. Bush, maybe even with less say in in decision making within his administration. Because you know, again, I mean, I, I you know, again, the guy seems to have a lot of personal tragedy. Seems like a friendly chap. Um, you know, in the surface ways that he engages with people, um, you know, he's, um, he, he seems to be experiencing some, you know, late in life, um, you know, mental deterioration. Mm-hmm. So nobody's going to expect him to be the author of his administration. And so who will be? And we know who will be. You know, the guy's had a lifelong relationship to the financial services industry. He, um, you know, that really became his anchor. He did a lot of foreign policy stuff, too. But it's going to be the establishment from the Obama administration, I think, with a particular inflection towards 
um, the Wall Street people um, being central to the administration. And with this guy in an empty suit as the president, they will run things even more than they have in, in the Clinton, Obama, or any point yeah. in recent history. So that's that's what the Biden administration will be. Fantastic. Alan Minsky is the executive director of Progressive Democrats for America. You can follow them on Twitter. It's, I believe, PDA, right? Just PDA? Um, uh, no, PD America is always our tag. PD America. Thank you, Alan. And, and, uh, yes, go ahead. Hey, don't double the A, just PD America. So PD Hang on. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Stay on the line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. It's Super Tuesday, and in Texas, that means only one thing. Kelly Stone is running for election to the Texas Railroad (laughs) Commission. She is on the ballot in today's Democratic primary, March 3rd, 2020. Go to com to learn more about her. And if you're an American citizen, you can donate to her campaign. Welcome, Kelly Stone. Thank you so much, David. I am tickled pink or blue. Blue, I should say. Blue. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're flipping blue today. We're We're going blue today. So looking back, how long have you been running for Railroad Commission? So I filed my treasurer in July of 2019, and I announced through the media in August of 2019 and have been. But I've been collecting signatures since July. Okay. (laughs) You've been running for office for more than a year. What did you learn from all this? What did you not know about Texas politics that you now know? Oh, these are good questions. This makes me happy. This is like rich. Like this is like you actually care. Um, thanks, David Feldman. Um, I'll have the ham. I'm going to have a ham sandwich. Uh, she's answering this question. And then, yeah, you know, I shouldn't eat it. You know what? Get, make it a vegan sandwich like the fake ham. Hang on, she's almost done answering the question. Uh-huh. Oh, Interesting. Oh. Uh-huh. It's funny. It's funny you just said that because <laughs> I've been fueled on ham and cheese sandwiches uh, on rye. Okay. Uh, that's what I've been That's actually how good that sandwich is. <laughs> no, um <sighs> What do you know now? When you when you went into this a year and a half ago, what did you think was possible? What do you now know is possible? <sighs> I feel, you know, that that the power of people, that uniting people and and compelling them and and educating them and helping them to understand is what helps people to be mobilized and to be invested and to feel connected. Mm-hmm. And and that is what I believed at the beginning and that's why I wanted to collect petition signatures and I I still currently believe that. I think the more that people start to understand, the more connected they feel to why they should be paying attention. Is it is the problem in politics not what people believe, but what they don't know? That, oh, gosh, 
you know, you don't know until you know. I'm talking about going, like talking to the voters, and you've been on the show for the past couple of weeks, and you're running for Texas Railroad Commission. We've discovered that... Texas Railroad Commissioner has nothing to do with choo-choo trains. It's all about oil, gas, uranium. How many people who are voting in today's election know that the Texas Railroad Commission has nothing to do with railroads? Gosh, you know, that sounds like an academic study, right? Mm-hmm. Like doing pre-testing and post-testing of what people, like their their knowledge base going mm-hmm. in and coming out. We call them polls and not like science or data, right? Because mm-hmm. it depends on who's, what questions are you asking to get that information? It's all skewed to answer your original question mm-hmm. <laughs> of what have I learned now to have, it's so skewed and it really is a matter of just the lens at which it's presented. And some people, they really think that it takes an oil and gas insider to regulate the fossil fuels that it should be. It should be one of them. But then there's a lot of people that are like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. They don't have anybody that's like the voice of the river or the air or the water Mm -hmm. or, you know, like they don't have that. And then people, they don't scratch their heads over it. They just, and so if you're, if you you can't run, as an oil executive for Texas Railroad Commissioner and claim yes, you can. Well, you do. That's yes. But, and you call yourself pro business. You're not pro business. You're pro oil because other businesses suffer. You're pro your, your business. You're yeah. pro your business. You're right. all about your own business. And this, if, if Bernie, if this movement, if the Sunrise movement, if a lot of these different, you know, the, the working families and, and Vote Pro Choice and all these different entities, we're all working together because I think we really do believe that it's pro our business and Mm -hmm. our business is not just a carbonized economy it's it's about our existence it's about surviving and thriving and being respectful and acknowledging how we got here now a lot of americans including me have talked about leaving the country if trump gets reelected. i'm never going to do this it's my country not his i'm going to stay and fight talk to me about living in country, uh, you know, talk to me about living in the south. In, well, you're living in Texas, which may yeah. or may not. I'll ask you in a second whether or not it's going to go blue. But you've spent time in a state that is notoriously red, at least for the past several decades. Is it thrilling to be a lefty or a liberal living in Texas? Isn't that where the fight is? You don't think of moving out of Texas because it's gone red. You stay and fight the way I'm going to stay and fight for my country. You know, I've, I've always had a hard time being told to know my place <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, and sit down, wait your turn, shut up little girl, you know, and I'm, I'm sick of it. And so I'm hiking up my skirt. <laughs> so am I. And yeah. And, and yeah. And, and it feels 
it, it feels wonderful to, to empower and inspire and stand tall among because I, I am, I am with many, so I am not alone. I know mm-hmm. that I am not alone. And that, that's what's pretty incredible, uh, right now in Texas is the, the rise, right. uh, of our voices, of the people. How many people live in Texas? Oh, I, it's like 12.9 or 12.3 or it's really hard to count because sometimes people are afraid of being counted, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So our metrics are right. again, skewed. <laughs> and, and how many votes in a traditional campaign for Texas railroad commissioner, how many votes would you need to win? Oh, okay. So win number calculations based on, you know, evidence of previous voting cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, my win number for today for the primary is 501,456. That is what lot. we've calculated. You need it is fi- a lot. Yeah, 501,000. That's, yeah. that's 51% of a million, right? right? And what did your campaign right. cost? <laughs> well, Other than your marriage. Or whatever. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. I, I've been happily divorced for over nine years. Uh, happily divorced oh, no, is redu- happily divorced is redundant. Go ahead. Oh, I yeah, and then and and then I had a real you know tall drink of water that I was dating for about three and a half years, and we uncoupled at the beginning of my campaign. Ah, so, okay. um, you know, there are different costs, right? Mm-hmm. But um, he needed less. I needed more. It's fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so 501,456 to win the primary is the calculated number based on just what we know, mm-hmm. right? But who knows what's going to happen? That's what's so exciting. Um, and then for the general, I need 5.6 million because it's estimated that 10 million people will vote in the general election. And wow. so right now, only about 10% of that is expected to vote for railroad commissioner. Just about 1 million people total for railroad commissioner on the Democratic primary. Now, and I so would, 501,000. Yeah. I would think you stand uh, a pretty good chance if the Democrats are voting. Uh, but there's four it's Democrats. A primary. Yeah. Is there any real progressive of those? Um, among oh, those four, yeah. you're the only progressive. Uh, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm clearly progressive. Like that is hands down undeniable. No one can challenge that. And that's when I started doing comedy, people said you have to be undeniably funny, mm-hmm. right? And then no one can take that from you. You're undeniably funny. Well, you know what I am? I'm undeniably progressive. It is undeniable. So you're up against say <laughs> you're up against a lawyer who if you were three to, lawyers, three lawyers, <laughs> Democrats who will tell you I believe a woman has a right to choose. I believe that the LGBTQ community is entitled to all the rights anybody else's. I believe uh, in pay equity. So they'll check those boxes. They'll check those boxes on a questionnaire. But what are they really doing about it? And that's what I find offensive is, you know, my opponents, they they treat me as though I am uh, not valid that I am inadequate and that's the best way to 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 diminish a woman right it's mm-hmm. like 
like devalue her worth. And so the fact that I am an educator, they act that that is ridiculous. And the fact that I have done comedy, it seems flippant and that I am unprepared. And I've been teaching policy classes to college students for the last seven years, right? Like, I've been doing that. And then I've also been an advocate and an activist. And so for someone to, to accuse me of not getting stuff done is offensive. Right. Um, and, and it minimizes me. And so, yes, you're right. I have not done anything to prove that I have increased the value and worth of the pocketbooks of different oil and gas moguls. Mm-hmm. No. Right. I have no proof of that. The idea that somebody is rich, therefore they get things done, is a bogus campaign to run on. If you're rich, you get things done. But, you know, Ted Kaczynski got things done, too. I mean, you know, it's what your values are. What is the issue? What, 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 <laughs> if there were a debate, and I assume there never was a debate among the four, correct? We had forums and some of them were treated as a debate, which felt really yucky because then there were no rules of decorum. Yeah. Um, so it's. It, what I, is the singular issue that separates Democrats who are running for Texas Railroad Commission and they determined the commissioners determined the destiny of Texas's yeah, energy yeah. policy? Singular, singular issue, I would say, would be Green New Deal. And or a ban on fracking. Mm-hmm. I am I am distinct among my colleagues in this candidate pool. Mm-hmm. They are all pro pipeline. They all state different versions of meh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as though we we have no power. And I think that that is a part of what we've been, you know, like. Pavlovian or like that we've we've been conditioned to believe is that the railroad commission is just so powerful there's nothing we could do and people act as though I should throw my hands in the air because it'll still be me against two other Republicans so that's what they're saying is it takes an insider to go toe to toe with them and I think it, it takes an outsider to think in a whole different way to argue with these people yeah it's tired thinking you know Pennsylvania the the conventional wisdom is that Joe Biden's headquarters is in Philadelphia. He's going to do really well in the Pennsylvania primary because he's kind of pro fracking. New studies are coming out that in the states where fracking is huge, more and more people are opposed to fracking in Pennsylvania. They've done polling and they've discovered that more people are against fracking than for it. So what happens? Why would people who've experienced fracking be against it well there's an increase in birth defects around well sites both drilling and fracked so there's there's a correlation with health effects that are not just related to asthma not just related to cancer but related to birth defects and um and so this is where 
it, 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 it saddens me to think about the, the alternative that we don't have a voice of what is actually happening. What the voice that is, is taking up space in the railroad commission and, and using the establishment also to continue that same trajectory. And that's the Democratic side as well as the Republican side is to talk about the dollars and cents. But what we're not talking about is the externalized costs that are happening to the rest of us. Uh huh. So when you defend fracking, you say, well, you, you can't forgive us for being a little greedy. There's a lot of money to be made here. If they're fracking on your land, you're collecting royalties. Are you getting rich? Is it an act of greed to let them frack in your backyard? Do you end up better off? You don't have a choice. They're going to do it anyway. There are the powers of eminent domain that they're able to claim. And so that's where the same way that Monsanto has controlled farming in our country, they utilize their large uh pocketbook, their bankrolls and their, their lawyers. And they're able to, to use the system to their benefit to bury small folks. And so that's why. Are you and, saying and, that if you own a, a ranch in Texas and you don't want to open it up for drilling, they can use eminent domain? That, yeah, if you look at, if you look at the, the data, and, and, and I'm happy to share this with you if you want to uh, post it with this, this podcast, but, um, my, I have a data team and they've been investigating and we have like a plot graph where we looked at the increases of fracking in Texas as well as the increases of the use of eminent domain. Hmm. Because where they have been fracking, they also then claim that they have to put in pipelines because they no longer they don't have the capacity to deal with the natural gas that they're pulling out of the earth in search of the oil. And so now they're claiming eminent domain to put in pipelines to transport the byproduct of what they're getting through fracking. But because they can't take people's land fast enough and put the pipes through their land fast enough, they're lighting that natural gas on fire on site. Wow. And all of that is because of fracking. Where's Ron Paul on this? I know that the libertarians are against him in a domain. So, I, I mean, I don't know in terms of in my race or I haven't heard him chime in about the Railroad Commission race at all. Yeah. Um, and and to be clear, I believe corporate eminent domain is problematic in that they get a permit from the Railroad Commission. And in getting that permit, they check a box where they declare themselves a public good or for public use. And therefore, that grants them the rights of the government to take our homes and our land and shove a pipeline through it and our aquifers and our drinking water. That's how and George so, W. Bush built the stadium in Texas using eminent domain. It's it's the Fifth Amendment. Part of the Fifth Amendment is eminent domain. I don't have it in front of me, but it says that the government can take land from a citizen for the common good. It's the government, not a corporation, not a rich person. But when the government's owned by rich people, then... And we grant the rights to the corporation via a checkbox and a permitting process. Right. And so Kinder Morgan, the, the one of the pipeline companies, just one of them, who is, is wanting to put a pipeline through the Edwards Aquifer and Trinity Aquifers where two million people get their drinking water, they are a corporation that came out of Enron. 
They, they were founded out of the fall of Enron and they are able to check a box and then declare themselves to have the same rights of the government to take people's land and their homes. Amazing. So it, yeah, so Texas or Texas. Oh, well, we've got the mighty state. We got two minutes left. Tell me what your day is tomorrow. What time do you get up? Oh, today. Today it's Super Tuesday. Oh, yeah, I was like, so let me go through the, the, just the next two days, just in general. Primary is the polls open at 7 a.m. They close at 7 p.m. In the course of the day, I am doing a suffragette march um, from a community college government classroom to the polls in, in full costume. And the the women of Bayer County and a variety of um, different folks around the Palo, Palo Alto uh, College, uh, we're going to march as a suffragette march and then um we have folks who are in and out all day call banking block walking you know trying to gotv get out the vote um from the yellow house hostel um signs all that good stuff and then we are having a primary watch party at sean patrick's uh just off the square in san marcus irish pub in texas grub we're actually having frito pie and and bread pudding uh, mm. <laughs> so it, it's going to be a great time and then at 8 30 a.m. on March 4th, the day after the primary, um, there's an injunction hearing uh, at the courthouse in Austin to um, for us to at least be present in support of our land and um, our, our species and our um, our environment. Uh, and so it's an injunction hearing against the pipeline first thing in the morning on Wednesday morning in Austin. So okay, and I'm no talking matter- I'm talking to Jenk. Uh, uh, I'm talking to Jenk for Friday's show. You had a story that you wanted him to know about? So it's interesting. Uh, it, it, oh, I hope it still matters at that point. We got to make it through this runoff. We got to make it at least to a runoff. We got to win tomorrow. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, one of my opponents there is, um, there's video evidence, YouTube, podcasts, everything, just like I've done podcasts with you, um, where, you know, she was asked, uh, if you get paid a pittance, uh, for being a railroad commissioner, um, and fun fact, the salary is $137,500 a year. Uh, and they asked, do you get paid a pittance and, uh, do you still get to do your job? as an oil and gas defense attorney. And she said, yes, yes. She answered twice to both questions. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I, I see it as a huge conflict of interest to be able to represent and defend the industry while you are still. And so it would be my full-time job mm-hmm. uh, to represent the people and the planet um, yeah. and not a side hustle. You're right. right. So, Wait, what's the salary? $137,500 a year for so, for six years. If you can't live on $137,500 a year, you're too stupid to be Texas Railroad Commissioner. That would be my slogan. Okay. We'll talk a lot to you of next us week. Live on less. Yes. <laughs> Kelly Stone is running for election to the Texas Railroad Commission. She's on the ballot today in Texas, March 3rd, 2020. If you live in Texas, well, you know what to do. And if you're out of state or in state, go to Vote K Stone and you can still donate money because she's going to win and she needs money. Yeah. Yeah. Or win. 
Thank you. Thank, Thank you, David. You so I much. appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week and go over how you won. Can you stand the line for one second? Oh, oh what's your Twitter? Yes. Twitter, Twitter. Uh, Oh, it's at Team K-Stone 2020. Fantastic. At Team K-Stone 2020. Stand line for one second. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who goes on trial in two weeks has been re-elected, beating his challenger, Benny Gantz. This is the third election in a year over in Israel. For more on this, we are joined by Dr. Arnon Dagan. He has a Ph.D. in history from UCLA, and he joins us today from Tel Aviv. Is that where you're located today? Uh, like I told you, in American terms, it's a suburb of Tel Aviv. And, uh. and standing by to comment on the election is Gur Dagani, and I believe he's 11 days old? Yes. Okay, so he might... Going on 12. Going on 12, 12 days old. Gur might chime in with his opinion. Dr. Arnon Dagani has been on the show before. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for the Study of Israel and Zionism at Ben-Gurion University in the Negev. Today is Super Tuesday, and if Joe Biden wins... I'm ready to leave. And, I, and one of the countries that I've been thinking of going to is uh, is Israel, because at least you have socialized medicine and honest debate. But then I read that Bibi Netanyahu is still in charge. Are you disappointed by yeah. this? Yes, very much. It was uh, it was a blowout. He really achieved uh, a huge turnout of his supporters. This cycle, it looks like he'll probably be able to form a government and probably be able to change the rules a bit to avoid going to prison. Okay, so let, let's give a little background on this. Tell me who Bibi Netanyahu is. How long has he been prime minister? What party does he represent? And then tell me about the former army chief, Benny Gantz, who was defeated at the polls. What party did he represent? and try to compare them to American politicians. Okay, I'll do my best. So uh, Netanyahu uh, is uh, the head of the Likud party, supposedly the center-right party, and uh, he has served as prime minister for the last 11 years. He's broken records in terms of years serving as prime minister. He had a term between 96 and 99 also hmm. and so in all he's the longest uh, uh, serving prime minister uh, beating uh, Ben Gurion's uh, uh, record who would be um, like the George Washington of Israel yes I would guess yeah, yeah. that's a good analogy uh, and anyways um, Netanyahu uh, let's say uh, uh, that uh, my opinions, uh, my worldview is, is very much to the left in Israeli politics. And for someone like me, Netanyahu was not the worst right-wing prime minister one could think of. Uh, of course, I've never contemplated supporting him. I have never seen him. I've never supported any of his agenda, but he was at least a cautious Prime Minister, 
um, conservative in 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 several um, um, realms of foreign policy. Uh, he's not was not gung ho. Still isn't. Uh, should be uh, mentioned about um, uh, military uh, ventures. Um, and not even um, uh, that determined to annex the territories uh, of the West Bank uh, entirely. But he has increased yeah. the settlements over the years. Every right? prime minister, every prime minister since 1967, when the territories came under Israeli control, has increased the uh, settlements, whether coming from the center right, left or center right. Um, can you shut that Gore, kid up? Can Gore, you shut that yeah, kid up? Gore, Gore agrees. <laughs> so, just, just uh, tell him to shut up. <laughs> Go ahead. So, where was I? Um, then this confluence of circumstances, one of them having to do with uh, um, certain orange president being elected to the uh, American presidency. Um, uh, Donald Trump uh, coming to power, and uh, Donald Trump himself is an empty shell, but uh, his uh, uh, Israel-Palestine appointment uh, are right of Netanyahu, if you'd ask me. Right. Um, didn't didn't Netanyahu once stay with Jared Kushner's parents? I mean, they're a friend of the family, right? Yeah, I saw there's this photograph of him shaking. Okay, tell me about Benny Gantz, the Israeli ex-military chief. He stood up against Netanyahu in the elections, and he's not any more liberal or progressive or dovish than yeah, Netanyahu. He, he could say that Gantz represented... Uh, uh, old Netanyahu. Um, except maybe, uh, very much less polished in terms of his, uh, the way he talks. Um, and, uh. What do you mean you he know, represents all, what do you mean he represents old Netanyahu? The Netanyahu? Uh, again, in terms of policies, I, I imagine, uh, he, he was, uh, he, he never said anything about dismantling settlements. He is rather, he was, uh, uh, I don't know if he's politically relevant to anything, but he was rather, uh, happy with, uh, um, Trump's quote unquote deal of the century, uh, uh, um, plan for Israeli-Palestinian quote unquote peace. Okay. Hang on for one so, second. When you say old Netanyahu, when he was prime minister after the assassination of Rabin. Right. Was Netanyahu more right-wing, more militaristic in the lead-up to the assassination of Rabin, and has he softened now? Uh, he softened well after '96. But the, the 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 one of the chief slogans, not the only one, there were others less uh, um, less pleasant. But one of his Slogans at the time in the 96 election was Netanyahu, um, uh, doing a, or, uh, or making a safe peace. Okay. Could you answer uh, my question, doctor? Is Netanyahu more of a pacifist now than he was in 96? The same way 
uh, Ariel Sharon before he died. No, no, had, no. Had not, been more. Not more. Uh, not, not, not less. But he's he's now he's more susceptible to the pressures of uh, 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 political groups from the right. Oh, you're still not answering my question, Doctor. He's not more. Oh, sorry. Ben. Okay, Ariel Sharon. Before he right. died, he he removed the settlements from Gaza. He was trying right. to make peace with Yasser Arafat through the through a gun, but he was still trying to make peace with the Palestinians. He supported a two-state solution. A lot of people thought Ariel Sharon had softened. Is Netanyahu softening with age? Is he less? No, no, he's definitely not. In that sense, so again, there's a confluence of circumstances here. A few circumstances. One, there's Trump and the, and the settlement lobby that's implanted in the administration. And another thing, he started getting um, uh, involved in corruption uh, scandals that uh, that have. I'll, I'll ask you about the, to indictments. Uh, right. I'll ask you about the trial in a second. He's been right. under the, the 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 specter of a trial since he first he and his wife have been facing. His wife also had her uh, encounters with the law. Right over yeah. ice cream, I believe. Yeah, ice cream. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ice cream gate. Ice cream gate. Yeah. So Netanyahu is coming back, or he's staying in power. The Likud is able to form a government now. That's what it looks like. They're one uh, seat in parliament short. Uh, the the assessment is is that they'll 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 have someone from the other side defect. Right. Or that sounds like a good insult. That sounds like a good insult. Like. Dr. Arnon Dagani, I love the guy, but he's one seat short of a majority, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good put down. He's one seat short of a majority. Well, this isn't, this is, I mean, this is not me trying to be sophisticated. This is the math. Okay. So. You, what, we're all grieving, by the way. Everyone that's a, a bit left of the center, and I'm quite a bit left of the center, is, is uh, having a tough time. Gore also. Gur, your son. Yeah. It's pronounced Gore? It's just, it's pronounced in Hebrew Gul. Mm. Okay. Uh, it means what, cub. What do you use? Name them by the first sound they make? <laughs> Put him no. on. I, I need to speak to him. I Okay. Back to the elections. So in America, all anybody talks about is the two state solution. Maybe war with Iran, but I would assume that if you're an Israeli citizen, you've got other issues besides the Palestinians. Is there, so are you talking about budget cuts, austerity, healthcare plans, inflation, jobs? What, what are the issues that Netanyahu campaigned on? Um, towards the, uh, run up to the election, Netanyahu promised everything to everyone. Uh, like what? what? What do you promise? Bernie's promising weed legalization. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, bringing uh, um, a couple of hundreds uh, uh, of uh, Ethiopian Jews or Jews that are uh, uh, in terms of in terms of um, the. Oh, I'm sorry, just uh, <laughs> he's telling me. So. Um, 
promising to various Israeli constituents things that that will not come true probably. Okay, just, uh, hang on. Uh, maybe Gur can answer this. Weed legalization, Bibi, Netanyahu, for it or against it? Uh, now he's for. Now he's uh, you know appointed uh, some of the chief people. Okay, and people smoke dope in Israel. Uh, the it's uh yeah. I, I yesterday I was at a bar and I just smelled. And, and and in Israel, when you smoke dope, it makes you less paranoid. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> it's uh, it's that's the strain we use here. All right, uh, I just can't imagine Israelis smoking dope. Uh, <laughs> okay, start working well. And, yeah. and, and and the Ethiopian Jews. BB ran what? Yeah. That they would be naturalized, treated properly, or sent back? Uh, no. Uh, more of them would be uh, uh, brought. Uh, you have to speak up. What? More of them would be brought. More Ethiopian Jews brought into. Yeah. But yeah, hasn't because, there been some pushback? There's some doubt. No, no, no. On the opposite. It's, it's something that's uh, rather popular. There's been some. You know, rabbinical doubt about their uh, actual Judaism, uh, Jewishness. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, he said that uh, he'll somehow uh, push it through. He would push it through. And, uh, and what about the wall? Has that succeeded in keeping the Mexicans out? <laughs> or what, what? No. Well, the, the wall isn't something he uh, is something that. The, the, you know, the, there's the Gaza. Is wall. that being debated? Do they debate the wall? No, I don't know. It's not What about war with Iran? Is that something that's on the table? Um. So again, Netanyahu, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think he'd be the first to. He wouldn't be the what? The first to go into such an adventure, but now he has appointed a minister of uh, defense. From uh, even more right wing party, um, again just to secure that party's uh, um, uh, support for him and not defecting to work with Gantz, even though ideologically they could work together, no problem. And so that right wing defense minister, uh, I would wouldn't put it past him to be going to. Okay. Has has Bibi Netanyahu kept the peace? There was the troubles in Gaza, I believe, in 2014. Right? Was it 2014? Where? Yeah, 2014, there was a big military campaign. Uh, some would call it a war. Um, in, uh, uh, you know, uh, over Gaza. Uh, and has there been any war? Has there been any war? Any significant bombing of Lebanon since what two thousand and six or two thousand seven? No, there hasn't. Also, the, the belligerent in Lebanon, Hezbollah, had its handful with uh, in uh, Syria um, with uh, the, the opposition to the regime there, right? Um, and uh, the Iranian backing of that regime. So, so the uh, posturing that Netanyahu has been doing for the past what twelve years 
he's kind of, is it safe to say he's kept the peace to some degree? It's that the Israelis feel safer with him? Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I would be the first to concede that, again, as a left-winger who has nothing in common with uh, anything else worldview, this is a, the, uh, he was, to a certain extent, a reasonable right-wing prime minister, not the worst that could, that, that, that the right has to offer by okay. any means, really. Uh, and the assassination. And he's, and he's an intelligent person, not like the president. That's also something. You're talking about Donald Trump? That guy, yeah. Are you an American citizen? Uh, actually, I am. I'm oh, okay. Because I, you know, I, as an American citizen, I, I take objection to anybody calling my <laughs> asshole right. an asshole. <laughs> uh, so, no, but... Uh, but the assassination of General Soleimani in Iraq in January was going to lead to World War III. The Iranians were supposed to get even with us, fight back. And there were kids under the age of 25 who were convinced that they were going to be called up to serve in World War III. It never materialized. What was going on in Israel when they killed Soleimani? Did you guys believe that this was World War Three? Uh, there was some concern. There was some concern that uh, that Israel would uh, uh, be drawn into into this. Uh, it waned. Uh, I think the you know Trump the, took a gamble. And the gamble seemed to be paying off. But you never know. Were you against the assassination of Soleimani? I never. I never. I never uh, um, Cheer uh, assassination, but you know, as far as uh, targets are concerned, it was a legitimate military target. You know, it wasn't wasn't a civilian, right? Uh, but maybe so, the Middle East isn't. Yeah, is it possible that the Middle East isn't the powder keg that they want us to believe that it's not one spark away from Armageddon? I think that um, specifically, I think Iran is a very rational actor. Uh, I think it has proven to be a rational actor. Um, and unlike ISIS, Al Qaeda, who are not even, you know, nation states or don't have the mechanisms and interests of a nation state. So Iran is, uh, and even, uh, Syria's Assad, not to, not to. Right. Uh, but the impression we get in the United States is that Israel and the Middle East can just blow up at any second. It All it takes is one big terrorist attack, and it's just one conflagration. I don't even know if I pronounce that properly, but that we need expensive diplomats, well-educated diplomats to tamp down centuries of hostility over there. But that's not true, right? I mean, you've got Syria, but if you live in Israel... Again, uh, well, if you want to kind of look at it from... from 50,000 miles, uh, I say, uh, what's the cliche? We want to look at it from the, uh, um, kind of the larger perspective. Uh, um, you want to see, stability. you want to you see know, the forest through the trees that I had planted when I was younger. If, right. So if you, so it's, it's nation states. Once you have regimes that are strong, whether they are, uh, the autocratic and, or rather, whether they are, you know, somewhat democratic, like Israel, like Lebanon, um, then, then, 
you know, you could count on some stability. This is what exactly when what you wake up, think. when you wake up in the morning, what, what's yes. your first concern besides changing diapers? Is it peace? Looking at my, looking at my Twitter feed. <sighs> but I mean, are you worried about airstrikes and some existential threat to Israel? Or are you worried about, you know, no, no, legalizing no, weed? No. No, I'm worried. So now that Netanyahu, this leads us, now that Netanyahu has, uh, has had issues with the law, then he's moved to a um, um, uh, uh, trend of dismantling the judiciary and uh, the law enforcement and, and the mechanisms of, of, of uh, uh, legal, uh, of criminal um how do you say it? How do I say it? Uh, Jurisprudence. The, the, yeah, exactly. The, the the equivalent of the DA, right? The general, right. the attorney general. So he's these are independent uh, entities, uh, you know, in the spirit of checks and balances. And now he's out to uh, um, dismantle them, just to save his skin, not because he really, you know, not because right. that there's some sort of philosophical reason for. Um, changing the balance between the... Um, is he in the uh, same category as Orban in Hungary, the same category as Duterte in the Philippines? Because he's thrown in there when they talk about the rise of authoritarianism. I, 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 so circumstances have put them in similar historical roles, for sure. Yes. And, and do you fear Do you fear that kind of fascism rising in Israel? Yes, yes. That is what I definitely fear. I fear that, uh, and and... And again, I, he has done this not because of he has been long enough in power to, um, you know, maybe shown these kinds of tendencies. But uh, whoever, you know, seeks power might have that. But now that he, he he feels like he's about to go to jail, he's he has uh, um, um, gone, become full Erdogan. Right. From Turkey, how susceptible is the the voting public in Israel to uh, that kind of fascistic leader? Like you all serve in the military, so you're more distrustful of the military, aren't you? Um. Yeah, you know the the saying goes that uh, uh, in Israel. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Israeli defense forces, that's how the military is called, is an uh, army that has a country, right, rather than countries that have armies. Uh, yeah, society, you know, military runs deep. I served in the military. Uh, uh, the culture, uh, the, the reason uh, Benny Gantz ran on, a, on the infrastructure of a party built by a guy called Yair Lapid, uh, who's uh, turned out to be an astute politician, but he just didn't stand a chance uh, to if, become prime. If, if everybody serves in the military, does it make you more trusting or less trusting of the military? Um, I think it. I think to a certain extent, this is something uh, you know. Maybe during my bachelor's degree, the. The society is militarized, but the military is uh, is uh, civilianized to a certain extent. Um, yeah, generals are revered. Uh, 
heroics, military heroics are uh, are looked. Uh, they have some cultural capital, but since it's quite abundant, then it's not that much of a commodity, I guess. And um, so they're not that um, special the way they are in the right. United States. I mean, yeah, I, this is in North Korea here. That's, right. Okay. Healthcare. Before we go, healthcare. Uh, what did it cost to have GER? Zero dollars. Shekels. Zero dollars to have a baby. Zero. Yeah. You have free health care in Israel. No, no, no. Uh, there's a there's a health tax that you pay, and uh, for certain treatments and meds, there are um, uh, uh, very ch- cheap copays. I would say. Uh, um, I, I've just returned, uh, August, I returned, uh, in the U.S. and, and it, it can't be compared, really. I mean, it's really. There's a health uh, tax, so it's like a payroll tax. Money comes out of your salary. Yeah. What percentage? Right. What percentage? Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't know. I, 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 it's it's bearable, and it, this is something that there's quite a consensus over. So you pay that. You also pay kind of uh, a monthly fee to your HMO. You can choose like a premium program, but the difference is is uh, less than uh, you know a hundred dollars per family. And when you say HMO, is that a private health insurance company? No, um, it's uh, no, it's not private. Um, it's sort of like co-ops that are not that are sanctioned by. They're the not government. for profit. They're not for profit. But they're not run and by the government. They're just regulated. They're not the run by the government, but they are subsidized by the government. Sure. I see. So they have to answer to the government. Yeah, from what I gather, it's more like the German model. Mm-hmm. Heavily regulated. Nonprofit insurance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but also, I mean, um, um, uh, hospitals are nonprofit, and and doctors are nonprofit. So many doctors have a private practice, which is obviously for profit. But uh, when they are working for these HMOs, they are they have salaries and and, and right. collective bargaining. Not the. You get uh, dental. You have dental. Uh, no, we don't. Um, from what I, uh, my, from my experience living both in the U.S. and in Israel, um, having dental insurance means that you're paying the same because um, the prices are lower, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, um, kids have free dental uh, till age 18. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, my kid, my kid just had a few. Um, my my eldest, my seven year old, just had a had a few visits. Great, uh, great. But David, can I can we get back to uh, the 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 left right politics just for a second? Sure. Do, yeah, I, I do want to remind though something very important that uh, uh, you know Israel is uh, my home. Uh, Patriot, uh, you can see me as a Zionist, but you know, as we are speaking right now, uh, Israel is controlling 
the West Bank, and to a certain extent, it's still controlling the Gaza Strip. The West Bank is also being uh, settled, or what they colonize. And so this is a country, I mean, uh, uh, um, this isn't the U.S. in Iraq or Afghanistan um, where even if you had a Republican or a Democrat, the, the idea was that this is over. You know, there will come a time where the U.S. will stop controlling these areas. Um, this isn't the case here. Israel is ruling over uh, millions of people and Gaza, there's a, you know, you can put an asterisk there, but I consider Gaza to be under Israeli control. Um, and for many, uh, and, 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 you know, I can back it up. So, so Israel right now, this, this idea of democracy, this, the, 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 the fact that we just finished uh, the third election cycle, uh, yeah, but, you know, Israel is a, uh, force and also a settling force and it doesn't seem to be any it's not going to relent and when plans like the Trump plan come out then uh, I even see less chance of that happening so this is Israeli so what I'm trying to say is that the Palestinians that are under Israeli control they're not part of Israeli society but they, it needs to be they're part of the game here Mm-hmm. Right? They can't ignore them. So I can talk to you about how wonderful the health care is and maybe a robust democracy, but in a sense, people are living under an Israeli boot without, uh, without um, any rights for self-determination or political participation. Um, and that's always been an important uh, uh, aspect for me to combat. Right. I'm right. Anti-occupation. It's one agenda. It's that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the election was yesterday and that didn't seem to be on the table, did it? Oh, exactly. No, that was that was uh, 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 I had no uh, illusions about Gantz uh, um, really changing Israel's course on that. But. You know, if Israel is not a democracy towards the subjects it controls and the territories, it might now stop becoming a democracy towards those that are its citizens, Jewish and Arab, maybe in Jewish, right. Jewish right. citizen. Of, you know, yeah. Right. I, I didn't ask you about Gaza and the West Bank because it's a whole separate issue. Right. I, I, yeah, I understand. I, I understand. But the, it's always there. That's what's important. Right. But it sounds like Israel and uh, um, kind of ignore or not even mention. Right. I think it's the weed was more important than the occupation. Well, your average Israeli, a hundred percent. Yeah, and unfortunately, and they need weed to help them ignore the occupation. Um, I that's uh. That's you're not far off the mark there. I think I think there's a culture of denial in Israel um, of what is happening next door. Uh, really, this isn't the distances between the U.S. and Iraq. This is you know I can go into a car and in 30 minutes or less right. I'll enter I'll enter occupied territory. Right. Dr. Arnon Dagani has a Ph.D. in history from UCLA. He is a postdoctoral fellow 
at Ben-Gurion University at the Center of Study for Israel and Zionism, and he joined us today from Tel Aviv. And how do people follow you on Twitter, Doctor? It's at Arnon Deg. I mm-hmm. tweet mostly in uh, Hebrew, but I'll start working in English. Okay. And does Gur have a Twitter account? Yeah, he's 11 days old. Only Instagram. Ah, only. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, he's of that generation. Yeah, I know. Or I, I should know. say TikTok. TikTok, yes. Stand on the line yeah. for one second. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. now go to Hollywood, where Emmy award-winning comedy writer and actor and comedian Rick Overton is standing by. He will be on AP Bio, and you've seen him on everything. Mom, Drunk History, Freeze, the uh, series on Showtime. He played Mitch Bombardier on I'm Dying Up Here, on Showtime's I'm Dying Up Here. And it just goes on and on. He played Congressman Spencer on Veep. I I, I mean, I just can't list it all. It just goes on and on and on and on. Dingleberry the Cat sitcom, I want to ask you about that. I mean, you're, and then the movies. I mean, we're not even talking. I mean, it just goes on. Mrs. Doubtfire, Groundhog Day. It just goes on and on and on. I guess the question I want to ask you first is, what is it like to go to your mailbox? And I'm absolutely serious because you've been doing this for a long time. Unions are important. What's it like to go to a hey, mailbox? Sag, thank, thank you, Sag. Thank you, you know. Aftra, thank you all the guys that looked out for us. Jeez, what a lucky break, you know, to have a union that took care of it. This was no union. So when you're done, you're just done. And right. all the money you made, you didn't get any residuals. You're just done. You just drop dead. The second they're, they're the phone rings, no more. You just fall over on the phone. Drop dead because no one gave you a backup plan. So those unions came through, man. I'm very, very grateful for the unions. Yeah. If you had done a guest spot, say, on I Love Lucy back in the 50s, would there be anything in your mailbox? Uh, My mom was one of the Cordettes, and for the longest time, they were getting screwed out of the residuals for this and that and had to go and renegotiate and get lawyers and go back in and try to get it later and got some back from one. Mr. But, uh, Sandman, you know, lollipop, yeah, lollipop, and Mr. Sandman, and we just lost a cordette. all of that. You we know, just lost a cordette last week. I know, Lynn. She lived a long, long life. Bless her soul. She had an incredibly long, long, wonderful life. A good person, great lady. She became a special um, ed teacher after everything. So she was vital right to the end. You know, yeah. I mean mentally there she was present and and lovely person so 
She she Thank reinvented herself. Her. I'm sorry I interrupted you. What? No, I'm just glad that, you know, we, I got to you know when I was a little kid. I, 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 I saw her more often. Not very much as an adult, but we'd be in touch when mom died. She got in touch and all that. But, mm-hmm. uh, what I liked yeah, about reading her uh, obituary was that she had a life as a cordette, traveled around the country, appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, and and then number one hits, and then it ends. What do you do? She went back to college and became a special ed teacher and put that behind her. So that's there are there are seniors with a third life. Yes. One entire lifespan of a third thing. Right. And I would say politics are my third life. Well, let's turn to politics. No matter what. Yeah, let's turn. I've, to- I've, I've been involved the whole time, but I mean, now it's like I'm really, I'm really involved now. <laughs> okay, uh, to refresh our listeners' memory, because we do the show out of New York, you were a mainstay of this show when I was living in Los Angeles, and we both got captured by the Occupy movement. Both of us, things made sense in 2011. Absolutely. What happened to you in 2011? With the I, uh, Occupy movement. I saw what I guess you could call the 21st century iteration of the 60s. What was, at the time, addressing results of things. Vietnam War was a result of a thing. But we were addressing it as the result, as the symptom. Uh, Nixon is a result of a thing. Uh, Agnew, a result, but we weren't addressing the cause as often. We weren't going to the things that recidivistically manufacture these other problems over and over for us. Mm -hmm. Now, with 99% out in the streets with Occupy, they were going after the diet rather than just the pimple. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so going to the things that are causative, to me, seemed like, a great evolutionary step in what has to get done either way. And so right now we have two types of Democrats. We have the Democrats who are willing to acknowledge the pimple. They're going to say, yes, these pimples are terrible and, you know, they're unsightly and it's embarrassing and it's sad. And we should, you know, make sure that if you can afford Oxy-5 or Oxy-10, you should be able to get that pimple treated at at an affordable rate. That's one side of the Democratic Party. People who are woke enough to acknowledge the pimple. And then there's Bernie. What does Bernie say about the pimple? You talk about the diet. What does Bernie say about the pimple and the diet? Did I lose you? I did. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes when you're just full of so much shit the way I am, people just say, nah, I, I just can't. Uh, the pimple diet analogy just doesn't track. Sorry, Feldman, we're calling. Uh, hey. hey. Hey, sorry about that. The pimple diet. It turned, it turned to snow. It's a hissing noise. 
Yeah. Well, you said something about it was embarrassing. The Democrats, they branched into two groups, and you were beginning to define the two groups, and it went to a hissing sound. I think this is when AI actually saves a conversation. I think they heard what I was saying and said, nope, not going to transmit this through the telecommunications packets. Nope. Uh, basically, you could, be, you could be right. Are you on a speakerphone? Yes. Do you mind taking? It has nothing to do with it. I know, but could you go off the speakerphone just for No, it has nothing to do with it. No, that has nothing to do with no, it. No, I'm just saying it sounds better if you go off the speakerphone. Oh, I on the iPad, I have to use the speakerphone. Oh, okay. So, uh, the, anyway, uh, there are two types of Democrats. Well, you know what I could do? Why don't I put a headset in? We could try that yeah, in real in. time. This is, we're talking with Rick Overton. You can see him in a new episode of AP Bio. Go see Rick Overton at a comedy club near you, usually in Los Angeles. No greater comic. Let's see how this sounds instead, man. Bad. Let's see. No, failure. How's that working for you? Any better? Let me see. Is uh, it cleaner? Yeah, that sounds good. Better for you? Tighter. Oh, that's fantastic. Cleaner, tighter, better? Yeah, yeah. Good. Right. Cleaner, tighter, better. Well, now I'm getting a hum. <laughs> now I'm getting a hum. Ah, fuck. All right, back to the speaker. Back to the speaker. All right, man. We tried. Yes. Cleaner, tighter, better is uh, the command I received during sex. Cleaner, tighter, better. <laughs> Cleaner, tighter, better. So how was Bernie last night? Where, where did he play? He played the Coliseum? Not the Coliseum, downtown, the big... Convention Center. The Convention Center. What was that like? Yeah. It was... You couldn't tell from the ground how many people were there because you're just all standing and there's just heads around you and people... <laughs> And you can't really do it. You have to know you just wait for the next day to get a count. And it was upwards of uh, 35,000 in reservations for, and we're assuming most of them showed by the end photos, but they did come later. The, uh, the, they were filtering in throughout the event rather as, in, in other cases, they would be locked, just locked there full waiting for it. Right. What and does it so cost? Do they charge? Do traffic. Not a penny. You just had to sign up online and say you were RSVPing. And did your name have to be on a list? It did to be on a computerized app thing you would get afterwards to show on a message that you have that you did the. Uh, through Messenger, they'll show there's a, a link to a thing that shows that you passed through that other system. And then they give you this little red dot that you stick on your clothes, and you go in and uh, through the security, they go through your bags. And I wouldn't I wouldn't feel good about that event unless they were metal scanning everybody going through. Sure, sure. Because it's burning. So uh, we stood, stood, everyone standing around for like an hour and change to get in, you know. How was the organization? How well organized is the Bernie campaign? Okay. It was all right. I'd say I'd give it a 70. A, what, a seven? A 70, yeah. A 70. 70%. 70%. I had a lot to deal with. And it was a last-second event. They threw it together kind of last minute. 
And so considering it's last minute to get 35K like that is, that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty convincing argument. Right. It's indicative of how he's going to govern, what his minions are like. Everybody got along? Everybody's great. Anybody? Nobody was a pain. Anybody with shiny lovely. shoes? Anybody? Tell us what sh you taught me about shiny shoes. Anybody with shiny shoes? No, new shoes? Oh, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it was jammed with new shoes. <laughs> and those are, new shoes are the, the narcs they would get back in the 60s to get their crisp ironed bell-bottom dungarees on. They're... <laughs> 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 Their their uh, young uh, uh, leftist shirt on mm -hmm. with some leftist things on, and then uh, the bandana to hold their shitty wig on their head <laughs> down with their tight, crisp Inspector Clouseau mustache, you know, instead of the big furry one that goes down the sides. How is Dick and, Van? Uh, how is Dick Van Dyke? And they always ask you, "So, oh, fellas, is anyone here to sell some roofer?" <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, Some roof. I'm here to buy the reefers. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice try new shoes. And the brand new shoes. They'd be wearing brand new fucking <laughs> police issue shoes. Oh, you guys. People you didn't need to take an improv class. Uh, they already know how to say please. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> how was Dick Van Dyke? It was great. They let them up there because Bernie was stuck in traffic somewhere. So, so Dick is stalling for like a long time doing jokes. He got songs going, and they just kept going stretch with their hands in. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? I don't know who I'm bringing up next. No one's next. Let's sing a song. Uh, uh, 94, and they left him up there to stretch because he could. He was magnificent. Really? He had everybody... Yeah, he got everyone to sing a song. He danced a little bit. Oh, <laughs> oh that must... I'm getting the chills. He must have been so it's happy. A thing, it was a thing... I, look, there's going to be video of everything, because uh, uh, off to one side was a big press stand with lots of cameras rolling. So the entire thing, I, I have to assume the entire thing is on video. That, But I don't think it can capture the love that that audience... No, you couldn't... That's just like anything with a concert rather than seeing a video of a concert. Or you're there, surrounded with people whose shoulders are bumping into you the whole time. I mean, and Dick, everybody agrees. And Dick Van Dyke is such a unifying presence. It's genius to have Dick Van Dyke. He's multi generational. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Love good luck attacking Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> have fun going after him for his position. Oh, this I want to see. <laughs> So, I mean, when he danced, the place must have gone nuts. They loved everything out of his mouth. And his his voice, he sang the song, his voice is perfect. Wow. His tone is perfect. Wow. Wow. And what did he say about Bernie? He thinks Bernie's the answer. And he said he voted for Eisenhower based on Eisenhower saying, you know, like the kinds of things that he capped off with, uh, beware the industrial military complex. Right, right. And he just said that that's what Bernie is 
Bernie is carrying that on, but for the Democrats, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he said the Republicans back then would be more like something like that. So uh, I was the acoustics were not perfect. I couldn't make out everything, but it was sounded like that. Yeah. And people were cheering throughout. Did he do anything from Mary? He was Bert from Mary. Did he do anything for Mary Poppins? Uh, no, that I don't remember. Okay. But I do know he was singing. He sang a nice little song and we all had a good time. The greatest generation. He was a staff sergeant in, in the right. military. Probably, yeah. He's part of that generation. He's still yeah. here. What, what, what hey, wrong? Man. With, what went wrong with our generation? Uh, I, you know, there's different ways to look at it. One of them is that we are PTSD from sitting under school desks waiting for a Cuban missile. Mm -hmm. And it kind of shorted out our long-term thinking about anything so that it was all a, a hedonia takes over. It's a, you know, the, the immediate here and now is the only thing there is for some people. It's a, a, like a trauma response. Yeah. And so it's only selfish if you consider some animals selfish because that's the place in their brain, the amygdala, where it all went, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I think they just turned into greedy people. I think also switching from marijuana to cocaine turned them greedy because that's like these pills that make sociopaths. These are selfishness things, not mind expanding, reaching out things. Right. Acid was a, you love everybody or weed. You, hey man, share the joint. But Coke was, no, there's never enough Coke for everybody else. <laughs> no, there's my supply. I'll do your Coke. Your Coke I'll do. I'll share your Coke. Yeah. Yeah, but just so you can talk about me behind my back. <laughs> so, yeah, it was... It was like a, a transition into brain chemistry of, of like a reptile, you know. Mm -hmm. We were doing great as mammals for a short while, and then we were back down to simpler things and selfish people again. It became like a child culture again. Very, We've been very infantilized, you know. Yeah. Something I've noticed about some baby boomers is... As you're approaching the end of middle age, some baby boomers say, well, what's it all worth if I didn't have some wisdom to impart? You know, I've lived this long. I've seen this much. I've experienced all this. What good is it if this doesn't add up to some unifying theory of how politics should be? That's one way. Well, there's that there's that Dwight Morrow ethic for you right there, huh? Well, well, well I'm saying, I, well, we both went to Dwight Morrow High School, but what I'm saying is, I think that's that yeah, makes the yeah, people there. that makes for a Biden supporter, that makes for a Mayor Pete supporter, that you gather up your life experience and you know what's possible, and you're going to teach. I them. would say that's a Bernie supporter. I would say that you want to leave some kind of a thing. I, I would say the Biden supporter doesn't want to leave a legacy. They don't care. Oh, they I don't care about what happens next. I would say it's the, the Bernie people are the ones who are really looking out for generations that will not ever know their names nor ever thank a single one of us 
we're just doing it for them because it's it's how it should be done. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be the adults that just take everything from the children. That's not. That's like the the enemy of nature. Right. Right. I guess what I'm saying is that some people get weighted down by their experiences and they can no longer see what's possible. They just know from experience that people are inherently bad, committees don't work, and we should expect less from the country and ourselves. That's, I think, how some... Yeah, that sounds like that sort of... It sounds like East German 1962 corruption. Yeah, yeah. Where they where they are on the wrong side of Berlin, and they know how everyone lives just one wall away, and they just start going, oh, fuck, I'm going to break this system apart and just use it the best I can since I'm on this side of the wall. Right, right. And the, the, it's the assumption that it's a wall you can't break down. And no one said it was going to be fun to break it down, but you're just like you're basically three feet of cement away from another complete universe. Mm-hmm. And that's that mental three foot block of cement that we helped them build in front of us. Right. Right. What is that? And, and, the, and the, you know, the seventies and the eighties was a great time to start slapping those golden bricks in front of yourself. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. But now you're trapped. There's a lot of people who are in the center who are trapped, and there's a part of them in their voice you can hear they want to get out, but there's too many things they would betray, and those things are the, are the lifelines they live on because of how they set their lives up, but they know they're screwed by having done it at the same time. So what are you holding you on can to? See. What are you holding on to if you're voting for Biden and afraid of Bernie? What are you holding on to? Uh, not looking wrong. Hmm. Not because you're, you're not just admitting to that one mistake. It turns into a freight train of everything else you got wrong wow. to own the other philosophy. You have to unown so many other things that pride makes people quadruple down. Wow. They lock into place and they will t- they will weather the storm from every direction rather than say, yeah, you're right. Because then they got to go through everybody else in the household that was agreeing with them before. What are you doing now? Well, you just you, you went one eighty on us mm-hmm. after we you took forever to convince us that this was right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And rather than go through the well, yeah, well, they just uh, just ride this out. It's just a few more days. Whatever happens, happens. These aren't people that look out for others. There are a lot of narcissists out there, and they are toxic. They don't care about other people. So you vote. This is really important to me to try to understand the mind of a Biden supporter. So you're saying I'm not a Biden supporter, so I don't know, man. I'm just guessing here. I'm not a Biden supporter. I don't know. But what I hear you saying, and it's really interesting because I'm filtering everything through what would be best for everybody in this country. Well, vote for Bernie. But you're saying that there are people. That's my thought. Yeah, I. I'm I'm trying as a like a character actor to walk in the shoes of someone who's not me and has completely different brain chemistry and looks at the same pictures in the news stories I do and their their car just swerves hard right. Well, a Biden supporter won't admit that their car swerves hard right. You you're saying and I think this oh, is Oh, I think the driving's great. 
right in the middle of the road with oncoming traffic. Right on the lot, right on the divider. Yeah. Yeah. The you said something interesting. I just want to repeat it. That the Biden supporter began to believe that Clinton was right, and then Obama was right, and that George W. Bush was wrong, and that the Democrats are right, the Republicans are wrong, and the most important thing is that the Democrats have to win because Mommy and Daddy will take care of us. Wait, you're telling me Mommy and Daddy are corrupt? That the Clintons and the Obamas, the people I trusted, who I voted for, have been uh. manipulating us? I, I, no, no, no. I'm voting for Biden because he's going to take me back to the way things used to be. He'll take yeah, me back. Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia. A lot of nostalgia. You're absolutely right about that one in the good old days. Back, I have people quoting Kennedy stuff to me all the time. Well, John F. Kennedy said this. And, yeah, man, I know what he said. Do you have any more recent info? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And you can't go back. It's, you cannot go back you to, can't to anything. Go back. So you can't go back uh, uh, because the that version of a Democrat. I'm sorry, that's gone. Mm -hmm. Except for maybe Bernie. Except for Bernie. But if you hold to the core of what the Democrats are representing and what they say and what they fight for as a group, as a rule, Kennedy wouldn't recognize it. Right. Right. So the, the, the Democratic Party was held together until 2016 by a coalition of Wall Street bankers and fraudulent union leaders and people who paid lip service to the 99% who spent all their time paying lip service to the 99% while cashing checks from the 1%. And we now see that. This is the moment when you have an opportunity to see the rot inside the Democratic Party. Bernie has pulled back the sheetrock and we now see the rot in the foundation. And, and yes, Biden, Biden is that's a great way to put it. I love that the sheetrock is back and look at the little things stirring around back there. Right. And Biden's saying, let's just paper over this. Just all you need is a, some fresh wood and some wallpaper <laughs> and some Febreze yeah. and we can go back to the Obama administration. But you can't. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. This the whole building's kind of leaning to the right now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna come down, baby. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting my shit out of here, man. You're gonna be, you're gonna be a foot in rubble. So let's turn now to where you and I find ourselves, and that is, people don't want to invite us to parties because we tend to, uh, well, we. We won't dignify a conservative or a Republican. We've become convinced that you know if you're if you're if you're a, a Republican or even a never Trumper, you're not worth dignifying. You're, you're a dishonest interlocutor. But a Biden supporter, a Kamala supporter, a Mayor Pete supporter, somebody who's part of my family, and is this stupid? And you're at 
a party that I've been invited to, and you're supposed to be one of my friends, well, I'm going to rip your head off, motherfucker. And I think yeah. you share, I think you share the same sentiment, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, well, I don't get invited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get invited much, man. They know better. And I'm fine with that because I don't want to have to go over and over and over and over and over it all night either. That's not a party to me. Mm -hmm. And friends don't do that to friends. And if this is how house cleaning works and it's how it looks, you know, the Internet is really a unique thing because in one way, you get the Jekyll Hyde effect all the time and that's the people who become one entire other unrecognizable personality online to you and when you see them face to face they're nothing like that right right uh alter ego ugliness you know mm -hmm. and so I, that's that's one effect of it the, the internet the other one is that this is the only place where you can tell a someone who is your culture's version of royalty to go fuck themselves. Yes. And in our culture, you're still allowed to do that. You don't get rounded up for it yet, like in like Saudi Arabia or something like that. Right, right. So this is like a place where someone who is American royalty can get told they're a piece of shallow shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, they'll hear a sequence of words that in their own protective real existence they would never have heard their entire lifetime. Right. We're talking with. The I think that gets. I think that's getting to some people. I think that's really starting to load in. It's like the king finally seeing he's naked. We're talking with Rick Overton. You can catch him in the next episode of AP Bio. He's an Emmy Award-winning comedy writer and actor. And I wish I could get to his mailbox before he does, but that's neither here nor. It must be. It must be every day. Must be Christmas when you go. Well, to no. I mean, you know. Look, thank God for all the our unions. Thank your choice of, of yeah. Thank union. Thank union for that. Um, thank the unions for being there for their people. It's it's keeping guys like me alive. You know, mm -hmm. there's still work here and there, but all those times in between, you read the stories of big stars waiting to get unemployment. Back and, in the day, you know? Yeah. Everybody goes through it. It's just a funny business that way. And yet, MSNBC, CNN, we never see somebody representing labor unions giving election results, giving commentary on Super Tuesday. Nobody on MSNBC, nobody on CNN, nobody on the networks represents the working man when they're analyzing what the vote tally is tonight. It's all millionaires. No, absolutely. It's all millionaires not. and lobbyists. David Fluff, lobbyists. I call it. Uh, I call it. The, I call that the millionaireative. <laughs> Great. Great. Or billionaireative when it's Bloomberg. You uh -huh. know, that's its own separate category. Of when you just he's going to buy the planet that the election is on, or something like that. Mm -hmm. I read. You know, <laughs> amazing. He's going to he's going to buy the mindset of a nation. It's evidently up for sale now online. The 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 way they manufacture compliance, everybody on the news, 
is a millionaire. The only millionaires, the only people who aren't millionaires on the news are the degenerate gamblers who've gambled it all away. But they're all paid a fortune, and they're all lobbyists. Whoever they bring in as an analyst is a lobbyist. Joe Lockhart is is a lobbyist for the insurance companies. He was Bill Clinton's press secretary briefly. He's identified as Bill Clinton's former press secretary. He's now a lobbyist. And when he goes on CNN, he is lobbying for his clients. They don't reveal that. They don't reveal on MSNBC that David Fluff is a lobbyist for Uber or that Gil. Look, David, I don't want to start getting into conspiracy theories now. Let's not start thinking conspiratorially now. You're right. You're right. So today is... Let me, let, me, let me just get to the gas valve by this lamp on the wall here. And just start dimming <laughs> it down and down to a tiny flicker. No. You're the one with the problem, Dave. Yes. Yes. Why am I nice so angry? Nice try, comrade. Nice try, comradeski. Why am I so angry? Must be my problem, right? <laughs> why is the night? Yeah, so yeah, why are you so angry at being robbed of your future supply of oxygen water? <laughs> What's the matter with you? Oh, I get it. You have a purity test when it comes to water and oxygen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. How dare you? That's right, man. Progressives are uppity. We, I don't think we know our place. I think that's a big problem for us progressives, at least for everyone else who doesn't like progressives. It's mm -hmm. a problem. I, I'm uh -huh. okay with it myself, but the whole not knowing the place, well, that's what the improv is all about. I have a morality. It's a morality test. It's not a purity test. When they come back at you with a yeah. purity test, I give them a morality yeah. test. I mean, we're so big on religion and God, and there, you know, there's black and white in this world. So, what's the what's wrong with a purity test? Well, it doesn't. Uh, I... Well, David, we don't have time for that now. We have to get rid of the orange guy who is the menace, and so we don't have time to be ethical or or uh, logical or, or humane anymore. I'm sorry. Yes, we have to start trampling your house pets now. But there's no choice. I know, and I'm an animal lover, but we have to stop Trump. And the only way to do it is trample your house pets. But, 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 but. How but. does that work? No, oh, oh, don't start now with the whole, with the whole humane splaining to me. But, don't but, start but. humane splaining to me. But there's always a crisis. This month it's coronavirus. Last month it was World War Three. <laughs> when, 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 what about the healthcare crisis in this country? When, when do we talk about that? Why? That's just as scary as World War Three and General Soleimani. Why can't we discuss the, the millions of people who are underinsured and died because of that? Isn't that equally scary? David, we only have one objective. Yes. We robotically just want to stop a man with blondish hair. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we see... An arm skin. So, so once... Everything we... turns to chirping birds and unicorns. Okay. And rainbows. I see. 
like we just had to defeat the Taliban and spend, you know, no questions asked, defeat terrorism, and then we can... And terrorism is a thing of the past. Ah, and then we can address income inequality. I see. I see. Oh, yeah, we have, a, we have to get rid of a few things first. So there's a long list before we get to income equality. Uh, Anytime you say the word income, that goes way down the list of things we need to do. I, you know, I guess I'm just not an adult. That's the problem. I'm a child. But uh, Obama... Yes, all of you, 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 you and your whole uh, millennial mindset, David, you and all your millennials... With your, you know, coffee generation, mm -hmm. uh, uh, using the using the web for information that you needed. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you all you kids. When you're asking for a future, and for, you know, for for a, 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 your home to not be roughly thirty times more expensive than mine was when I got in. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. You ask too much, David. You're just asking too much. Your whole generation is. That's why it's good to, you know. You got greedy. You, you kids got greedy. I need to listen you to. Wanted to take, you wanted to take my dying breaths, grasping onto my golden coins away from me. <laughs> <laughs> like golem sinking into a tub of... A tub of shit holding <laughs> onto a fistful of coins above his sinking head, like that's a victory. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> My problem is I don't listen. My problem is I don't listen to people like Amy and Mayor Pete. These are Yale and Harvard graduates, and they're adults. They know what is possible and what is not possible. And we need to, That's listen. Right. We need to listen to the experts. That's what we need to do. Exactly. Well, so we're talking with Rick Overton, the brilliant comedian. Today is Super Tuesday. Let's say, because we're... It's 3 a.m. in the morning when this episode drops. We have no idea what happens. Paint yeah, for me, I don't know yet, man. Paint for me this scenario. Bernie runs the tables today. Now, it I don't know. I mean, they, they say that there's Jomentum after South Carolina. But let's say... <laughs> let's say there's... It's, you know, Bernie runs the He's team. going for the dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> what does that even mean? What did that mean? Uh, his word generator shorted <laughs> during the sentence. Uh, hey, you know what? Sometimes I do beat poetry. Yeah, yeah, dog-faced pony soldier mocks the burning night on the fire escape of the building where I first <laughs> met your eyes. I just didn't get to finish the piece. <laughs> what is our responsibility, sir, as, as Bernie bros, if he's the presumptive nominee by tonight? When we're at parties, when we're on Facebook and Twitter... Do we have to change? Remember getting clean for Gene 
when Eugene McCarthy was running for president, all the hippies had to put on white shirts and shave and shower, get clean for Gene. Do we have to get... Uh... Yes, David. I think looking like the thing we are running from to save our lives would be exactly the right move. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, two questions, because you're much wiser than I am. Can he really get elected? Can, can, can he really get elected? And can you and I actually finally have a president we believe in and a government that we can trust and things are getting done again? Is that really possible or are we drinking the Kool-Aid? Is this a cult? Well, it'd be different if Tom Perez wasn't pissing in the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right? Uh -huh. Hey, man. <laughs> There's whiz in this Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'm not, hey, fuck, fuck your cult. I didn't know there was piss involved. <laughs> You're all a bunch of sickos. <laughs> uh, well, that's how obvious, this is how obvious they're becoming with their manipulations. At, at one point, they were just jumping the shark, and now they've gotten off the bike, and they're swimming in the pool. They're just humping the shark now. <laughs> Are you They're in the pool with the shark? The shark is scared of them. Are are you worried that even though Bernie's right and maybe can win, that once he gets there, we don't have the uh, the levers to pull off what he wants to accomplish? Does that worry you? I mean, if by that you're saying there's going to be uh, election fraud, it'll. I see lots of 2016 repeating. I, I'm assuming you do, too. Well, I'm saying even if he gets elected, and now he's in the Oval Office. Oh, well, the difference also being that we stay as mobile and actively in support of him as we were to get him elected. That job never stops now. I'm right. sorry. Right. But to actually change the world, you don't get to contract somebody in and bring a contractor in and keeps telling you another two weeks, another two weeks. Brilliant. It's because you help, you have to help him every single step of that way. Right. We have to stay, we have to change. And that's why the centrists are going apeshit. They don't want to change. And this isn't an overnight change. It won't be a brief change. It's a complete, you change forever change. And they hate that part. That's another thing they hate about all this. They had it really nice before even though it was killing everything around them. But now that it's being exposed for what it is, they are at an impasse, and they have to make a smart decision and soon about what they're going to do next with their image and with their future. Two halves of their brains can get the same answer, and that is to look like the hero and start to figure out your fucking finances with your lawyer and your tax guy about how to live in Bernie's world and stay rich. There are ways to do it. Just don't stand in the way of our survival in the process of trying to impede that. Well, you raised a couple of interesting points. One is that socialism is good for capitalism, that if you're into money and you're decent, you can get rich in a Bernie Sanders administration. That's what socialism, yes. you know, it's, it's, about, yes. it's about distributing the wealth not getting rid of the wealth. It's about distributing right. the wealth. Exactly. 
It's it's about helping with the other people that are supposed to be the ones that are your customers. Yes. Yes. Why would you kill off your customer base, you short-sighted dopes? Yep. Yep. Yeah. How is I, that good business in anyone's model? Short-term greed. Nobody says, you know, business people right. are smart. You know, Jack Welch, the head of GE, died, and everybody's, yeah. you know, singing his praises. He was one of the yeah. first star CEOs of the 80s. Well, he bankrupted GE. Right. He bankrupted GE. He turned right. an industrial giant into a bank. That's what he did. He realized that there was more money in lending companies money to buy a jet engine than there was in just selling the jet engine. And by the time he left GE, GE was a bank. And he destroyed GE. It, it went close to bankrupt after he left, but they're celebrating him. He was basically an idiot. He was a short-term idiot, Jack Welch. And capitalists are stupid because they only want what's but good. Jack Welch, Jack Welch led to a great technological development, David. Yes. He invented, he invented anti-gravity. Oh. Which is now the primary technology in our space force, David. Oh. oh. And how do we know? Because he fell upward, David. <laughs> All we had to do was build a spaceship around him. Uh -huh. Off he goes. Uh -huh. Into the sky. Bye. Uh -huh. The way it works is you... He's falling in reverse. Yeah, you have to first fall... You know, one step backwards, two light years forward. You have to fall onto the golden parachute, and that's where the yeah. anti-gravity uh, takes yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A blanket toss from the golden yeah. parachute. <laughs> so, you know, Bernie's good for business. You know, an infrastructure program, a Green New Deal, this is Keynesian. This is generating jobs, and when people have jobs, they buy things. You know, maybe there'll be a little inflation if inflation still exists, but this is Keynesian. It's the multiplier effect. It's the inertia. And don't expect it to go. Don't expect pilot programs to go perfectly off. But they're going to critics are waiting for every little misstep. And we have to be ready with our comic voices to, you know, shut that shit down when they go. Oh, look how that thing didn't work perfectly right when it first came out of the gate. Oh, look how they had a few stumbles right up the top. It's, mm -hmm. it's doomed. It's over. Quit. You know, right. Uh, they're going to nitpick all the mistakes and in these early days that's when that 99 percent people have to go uh-uh not anymore we're going to ride out the mistakes your version your model isn't the one we use right. right i mean once you get past caring what a centrist thinks it's one of the most liberating things in the universe right right and even joe biden because you know the, the things they don't notice kind of void the things they do right so going back to the, the, the role of the Bernie bro, you said something really interesting because I have spoken to Biden supporters and Democrats who say, you know, you're too deep in the woods. I elect, 
I don't know. I don't understand how the stock market works. That's why I have a broker. I don't understand how real estate works. That's why I use a broker. I don't understand the law. That's why I use a lawyer. And I don't understand how laws get passed or Medicare for all. That's why I vote for somebody who's smart and a Democrat whose heart I know and I can trust them. And I do my job on Election Day and then I'm done. Somebody actually said this to me. I'm done on Election Day. And it's the role of the people who get elected to fix everything. And you're saying that the Bernie bros are scary because they're just starting on Election Day. That's when the revolution begins. That's and Bernie's been saying, not me, us the whole time. Yeah, that's one. That's one of the big meanings of it. It doesn't stop here. He doesn't want you can't. It's not as good a campaign thing to say. It doesn't stop here. You're, you'll work for the rest of your life. But it's not a work that makes you tired when you get home, even when you're tired. You know, you did the right thing. And there's there's no amount of money to buy you that night's sleep, you know. Right. And people who are scared, the Biden supporters who are scared, have just been brainwashed that the status quo is safe. That if we just get back to the status quo, get back to, you know, November 2nd, 2016, we'll get back to the status quo and then we'll be safe again. But the status quo is not safe, is it? It's what led to Trump. Mm-hmm. He is a product. You know, we, we, we go after the monster in the burning castle tower, but we keep forgetting Dr. Frankenstein. Right. Got to go to the ones who built him from scratch. Right. He was, he was artificial opposition that backfired and became real opposition. So are you going to be polite now to assuming Bernie is crowned tonight. Uh, are you going to be politer? Is there going to be some noblesse oblige on your part? Are you going to try to woo? I am. I don't, I don't think of what we've been doing so far as being impolite. I think an authentic response doesn't really need to fall into those headings anymore. It's if it is just to meet the demands of the ones who are horrible to us, I'll be I don't ever start these fights. I just don't back away when they're started with us. That's the big distinction. We're Nazi brown shirts as soon as we stand up to people who have been pissing on us the entire time. A bully never says it's an equal field. Right. They always are the victim. Right. Chris they Ma- always are the initiant. Chris Matthews. Initiator. Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews. Proto typical bully. This, you know, the name of his show is Hardball. And yeah. And he kind of got canceled last week after equating Bernie to Hitler. He wasn't doing the South Carolina coverage. And you know, you know, when you think of bully, it's. Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews, name of the show is Hardball. Politics is tough. Wear a cup. We're going to speak the truth here. Let the chips fall where they may. So he said some outrageous things uh, to Elizabeth Warren. He he said that maybe it's a he said, she said, um, whether or not Bloomberg said kill that baby. Remember that? And 
So now he's been canceled, temporarily canceled. And you know, like a typical bully, Chris Matthews is going back to his house and saying, man, these lefties, they get you. You say, you know, if, if you're not on their side, they'll rip your head off. They'll, they'll get you. One little thing. They, they will never own up to their moral cowardice. They'll blame somebody else. No. No. That's not how a narcissist thinks. But I think there's something else going on with him, too. And I think when he was so drunk that last night, he looked like he was smashed, didn't he? Well, I, I don't think he drinks. I don't know. No? If he doesn't drink and he said that, oh, well, Jesus Christ. I, I think he but was part of the program, actually. I think. Oh, he is? I think. Well, wow. He, he's he's dry, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's dusty dry. Yeah. He's a dry drunk. But yeah. he is definitely, uh, I think, in conflict, and he knows what he's doing is wrong, and you can see it in his face. There's a lot of just nervousness and saying the words. And a lot of times, a lot of the MSNBC people, they'll talk really fast to you and they'll do certain things like that. And they're supposed to be, the, you know, what I'm saying is really smart. Mm -hmm. But I also think it is that I know I'm lying. They just want the shit to be over with. Right. I want to do my lie quickly so that you didn't catch me at it. Right. A lot of it is fake smart by saying it really fast. Well, Rick Overton, you've been brought into shows and movies that you were really excited about at first. And then you found yourself over at the craft services table, marginalized with the rest of everybody else going, man, this is we're doomed. This is bad. Let's just cash the check, get home and distance ourselves as far as possible from this train wreck. If Joe Biden. This happened. Huh? No. But to hear people in the industry defending Joe Biden. I cringe for multiple reasons, and sometimes I even cringe for them. I, it's like watching someone that is on stage doing their act, and they're bombing, and you don't even know them that well, but you start to get the empathetic squirm in your seat. I feel that for them sometimes. So, and I know that if it's weird, I feel that they, they, I feel like they are doing someone a favor. And just doing this, saying these things that they know, they're too smart not to know that some of this stuff is just crap they're saying. Or maybe they're not so smart. I just think, well, their work reflects a, a level of something or other. And, and, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to be in Mensa to figure out that the scientists in Europe think we should have Bernie. Right. Where you're allowed to fund your science. Right. And that's just. This isn't about us. It isn't about your mansion. It isn't about just your kids going to school. Last question. Now, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, <clears throat> July. Milwaukee is brokered. Bernie doesn't get the nomination. Biden gets it. We've been robbed. Are we off by the craft services table, distancing ourselves from this failed project? Or do we say, you know what, uh, let's go down with the ship and uh, do the best we can for Joe Biden? I wait to see what the collective group is doing. I don't pin that moment down here. And why don't we just leave the bastards guessing? What do you say? I agree with you. That is the correct answer. Hang on, I have a sound effect. 
Hang on. I have some uh, here. That is the correct answer. You know what that cost me? I don't want to stop. What did, it, what did that set you back, Dave? Well. That much. That also. to Vegas right there. <laughs> next time you come on, you can, uh, we can have people call you. Do you hear that? And, and you yeah. can, you can tell us what they're saying. We'll have people calling you and, because we know somebody's on the line, but we can't hear what they're saying, and we'll take calls. That, that's not a bad idea, where we take calls, and you're telling me what these people are saying? Let's, let's talk. Uh, Rick Overton, you can catch him on AP Bio, and he's a fantastic comedian, Emmy Award-winning writer and comedian. Go see him wherever he's playing. And as always... There are five great Scientologists who came out of Dwight Morrow. John Travolta, the astronaut Wally Sherrar, Richard Lewis from Curb Your Enthusiasm, David Feldman, and Rick Overton. These are five of the greatest Scientologists. What? You didn't know you I were never a heard that? You didn't know I you know were a Scientologist? I didn't know about I didn't even know about Richie. What? What? Really? Sharar? Wally Sharar, the astronaut, went to Dwight Morrow High School. Yeah. Oh, all right. That, yes. I didn't know about the Scientology. No, I think it's just, I think it's John, maybe Joey. Maybe Joey Travolta. Yeah, John, I think, is the only Scientologist in the group there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Dwight Morrow cranked out some funny, though, didn't it? The, the most brilliant people I ever met went to... Uh, I was very, I think a lot of my liberal, which we can't use that word anymore now, right. you know, yeah. my, my progressive perspective, which is, I think, what it should have been the whole time, is uh, very, very much formed by my experience at Dwight Morrow. We when were bust. Didn't we have great teachers? We had great teachers, and we were bust. We were a product of busing, which yeah. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are against. Right. Yeah. I, I learned well, two things. I learned two things what? from being bust. I learned that there are other people in this world and how to hold my bladder for 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it was a little dicey <laughs> going to take a leak. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, believe me. I'm, I'm to this day. <laughs> I'm the urinator. <laughs> the ur I will be right back. <laughs> I, jo I joined the cross-country team at Dwight Morrow just so I could <laughs> go for a run and take a leak in the woods. <laughs> so I knew it was safe. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. They called me old yellow jaw. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. Stay on the line for one quick second. Love you back. Stay on the line. Yeah. How do people follow you on Facebook and Twitter? What do they do? Let's go to at Rick Overton. Fantastic. On Twitter. Fantastic. Stay That's on. it, man. Oh, and I got a new special I just got out with Comedy Dynamics, and we're just putting it together now. Oh. But it'll be a completely uh, improvised, uh, it's a, a set list, uh, comedy special, improvised set list. And what's the name of the special? Uh, we're thinking Rick Overton's completely improvised set list special. 
fantastic. Stand line for one second, sir. You called in your backup becomes now. Yep. See if we can get some more brain power in this. We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly to Inco. Go Inco. Uh, he's never mind. He's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. For more on the Israeli elections, we go to Toronto, <laughs> where Mark Breslin is standing by. He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. He also is uh, has some order of Canada that makes me very intimidated by his presence. What 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 do you what what, what, do you, what is your title? I am a member of the Order of Canada. A member of the or, Order of Canada. Yes, or I, I, mis, I misunderstood them, and I was ordered to leave Canada. <laughs> I'm not sure which, but you know what? I'm going to go with a more positive spin on this. And this, we don't have it you. It could also be called. It could also be called the Ordur of Canada. Ordur, of course, being a kind of um, old English um, word for shit. <laughs> What, what, what do you think about the Israeli elections? Are you a fan of Bibi Netanyahu? Do you agree with not Bernie? Bit, not particularly. I'm not a big fan of Netanyahu, um, but I don't know. I don't know what the alternatives really are. It's becoming like uh, Italy there, where there's 78 parties, and mm. you know it's becoming kind of ungovernable in the same way that Italy is. So I, I don't. I don't have a good idea here. Do you Sorry. follow Israel as much as you used to? How do you know I used to? <laughs> I would assume growing up. you. Well, you see, this is interesting because when I grew up, um, I went to Hebrew school. And in Hebrew school, it, uh, Israel was sold as a kind of socialist paradise. You know, you went out there and you picked oranges and you sang songs. Uh, with guitars that were inevitably out of tune, and everybody had just a wonderful time, and it was idealistic as hell. But I never went there at that time. Uh, flash forward, about five years ago, um, I went there and took a group of Canadian comics out there um, and did a documentary film on it, which is probably accessible to your um, your listeners. It's called A Universal Language, and it's pretty good. Well, how can we um, find it? it? How can we find it? Um, I'm not sure, but probably, you know, anybody who really wants to find anything uh, on the Internet can find something on the Internet, as we know. Okay. So um, anyway, it's out there. It's a documentary. It's, you know, 90 minutes long. And it's all these um, Canadian comics encountering um, Israel and what and the reality of it. 
Wow. And not all of them are Jewish. In fact, only two of them are Jewish. Because when I went to the um, Israeli consulate who packaged this whole thing, I said, I have great news. I found seven or eight really great Jewish comics. And they said, no, 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 no. Well, we don't want Jewish comics. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you don't want Jewish comics to go to Israel? I said, so they go, we already have their support. We need people from the outside to impress. <laughs> and I said, okay, I understand that. But like, then you would be discriminating against Jewish comics. Can't I have one Jewish comic? Uh-huh. And they went, okay, you can have one Jewish comic. <laughs> and now I'm starting to feel like Schindler. And then uh, I said, um, okay, but you know, Jews like to talk. And they like to talk to each other. How about a second comic? <laughs> okay, you can have a second Jewish comic, but that's it. That's it. No more than that. So we go to Israel, and it's hardly the socialist paradise that I had, you know, in my head. Um, I said to them, oh, boy, are we going to go to a kibbutz and pick oranges? And they said, no, we have machines for that now. <laughs> I went, oh, oh, okay. And the reality is, outside of Jerusalem, which is an interesting city because it's one of the few cities in the world that I can think of whose reason for being is not based on commerce. It's based on something else, right? Um, it's based on faith. It's, it's very unnerving to see a place that isn't obsessed with selling things. Right. Anyway, um, so... Uh, so we go there, and uh, you know, I find that far from being a socialist paradise, everybody's got three jobs, everybody's got a side hustle, and everyone's selling c- cell phones. That's the whole thing. Every time you, you meet anybody, they're selling a stud in. Oh, I have a good cell phone for you. It's a wonderful cell phone, and it fires the also fires. Look, look, it has a thing you can fire a bullet at a, a rub uh, if you want to. Um, so. Um, it isn't. It wasn't exactly as as advertised. Uh-huh. Still, um, there are things I loved about the place. One thing I loved about the place is that at night in Tel Aviv, which is an amazing city, um, you could go out at three in the morning, and there's all these cafes, and you'd see people in the cafes sitting and talking and arguing. You could tell over politics or art or something. But the amazing part was they weren't young people. They were older people up at three in the morning. Uh, you know, passionately talking about stuff all mm-hmm. the time. I love that. Um, there's not the ageism in Israel that there is in a lot of other countries. So that impressed me. Um, the wall keeping out people out from, uh, you know, keeping the Palestinians out, uh, that didn't impress me quite as much, believe me. Right. But, um, but I, lo- but I love the spirit. The spirit of the country is fantastic. Um, it's a real hustle, but it's a real hustle place. Mm-hmm. Because the the Ashkenazi Jews who created Israel are are now in short supply, and almost everybody that I met was uh, Iraqi. Um, they were Sephardic. Uh, they were uh, from uh, Russia. So it wasn't the same kind of there. You didn't get that sense of oh, here's a country run by an intelligentsia. It well, wasn't quite like that. What what is the difference between an Ashkenazi and the Sephardim? Well, the Sephardim are, are, are come from a um, historically from an Hispanic background. Um, they were the Jews who were who went to Spain um, around the 1400s, I think, and then scattered after that into the Middle East. Good timing. The to go Ashkenazis, to Spain. of good, course, are good timing to go to Spain Ashkenaz. in the 1400s. I'm sorry. It was good timing to pick Spain in the 1400s. They arrived just in time for the Inquisition. 
Yeah, um, sometimes um, Jews need a better travel agent. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, you know, uh, they should have actually used um, they should they should have used Travago. Um, had they used Travago, um, then this never would have happened. Right? But what do they know? What do any of us know? So, um, yeah. Can I tell you something interesting about the Inquisition? Yes. So there were the conversos, the, the 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 Inquisition. I think the Inquisition is still going on. Is that correct? In my house, it is. <laughs> That's all I can say. I, I think there's still an office of the Inquisition at the Vatican. I think. But anyway, <clears throat> if you were Jewish, you had two choices. Uh, convert or die. And a lot of Jews said, you know what? I'll convert. And, and so there were these conversos and a lot of them took jobs in the Catholic religion. A lot of the conversos embraced Catholicism and became priests. And 200 <laughs> years, 200 years later, the Vatican, like in the 1500s, the 1600s, they did a study and they found that they have a problem, that the higher-ups, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church was run by Jews. As can... most things are. <laughs> they, it was so the... it, doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Right. They had a... But that's an interesting, that's interesting. I didn't quite know, I didn't quite know that, um, yeah. David. That's interesting They had to do an Inquisition Thank on the Inquisition to start finding out who in the Catholic hierarchy was a converso. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're called Murano Jews. Yes. Yeah. I've been called. Oh, no, I've been glass. called a moron. <clears throat> you, you don't want to convert. You don't want to confuse the glass and the Jew. No. And there were Jewish pirates. That the time. You know, the theory was that Columbus was Jewish because yeah, the Inquisition okay. started in 1492. But apparently, there were Jewish pirates who left Spain and. Uh, Make a great Mel Brooks movie, wouldn't it? I think it would. Yeah. Sure. Insert joke here. Really. Yeah. Jewish pirates. So you're off to uh, Palm Springs and we don't have you for a month? Three weeks, I think. Oh. Um, I do this every, I do this every year, um, with uh, my family. Remember when you have a kid, you have to fix up your, you have to match up your vacations, your vacation time with when they're off school. So he gets two weeks off school. We add an extra week to it. And we go to Palm Springs every every March. Now, the you... weather's pretty certain by the, by then. Um, and you know, I love the place. The Jews, gays, cacti. What's not to like? The Jews. Okay, two out of three. Eight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was way too quickly. So you've had a, a child, and it, it, I don't want to violate his privacy. What did you observe about humanity? Because you were a, a cynical person right before you had a child I, I, i'm still cynical i'm just not cynical about him oh okay what did you observe like, about it, humans? It, it hasn't changed look yeah i had a child that didn't change my politics it didn't change my sense of humor it didn't change any of those things what it changed was my um time my time management that's really the the crux of it i i don't have the time to uh I don't have the time to daydream like I used to. I always mm -hmm. have to be focused on this child right. and what the child needs and what the child needs and what the child needs and what the child needs. So, you know, um, that's changed. But I haven't changed my, my point of view at all. 
Well, what have you learned about men? I always had love in, David, I always had love in my heart for at least four people on the planet. <laughs> now it's maybe five. What have you learned about men by having a son? I'm serious. Well, um, my I'm very lucky that my, like me, my son um, is not a kind of toxic masculinity kind of guy. Hmm. Um, he hates sports. Um, he's gentle. He's artistic. Um, he's little. Um, and he has really long hair um, because he's, he looks like Brian Jones, actually. Hmm. Um, and Keep him away from the swimming pool. Man. Yeah, well, we don't take him swimming. Because, uh, <laughs> um, the, but, or Mick uh, Jagger. Keep him away from either Mick Jagger and a swimming pool. Go ahead. It wasn't, it wasn't Mick Jagger who did that. I read the book. It was these supposedly these um, workmen that he was uh, that were fixing the pool, um, and they pushed him down because they just couldn't stand him. Was he that they horrible a down. human being? I don't know. I think there was a lot of class resentment. There were a lot. There was a lot of things going on in you know British society with their class system, and here are these working class guys uh, working hard on 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 his pool, and you know he's wearing a dashiki uh, out, um, you know, playing Moroccan music, and uh, he has these girls all over the place and the jealousy. I don't think they meant to kill him. I think they meant to just scare him, and it went bad. Right. What would but, the, what would the Stones have been like if he didn't drown? Mm. Well, you know, they wanted to get rid of him anyway. Uh, they had gotten rid of him, in fact, by that point, right? He was out of the Stones for a couple of months um, because of his drug use and uh, and the dashikis, frankly. They just <laughs> couldn't take those dashikis. It's like, Brian, will you please put on a fucking pair of pants and a shirt? I mean, it could be a, a crazy shirt. We wear crazy shirts, but we don't wear we don't wear those. We don't wear robes, please. Right? They're embarrassing all of us. Right. So, um, all right. So um, back to I, your... I don't think the, the stones would have been much much different. Back to men and toxic masculinity. Yes. So your mm -hmm. your your child looks like a Brian Jones, but he's going to be Even... influenced by other men. I mean, the, the, the other men are going to get in his head. Well, we've got him in a special school called the Waldorf. I don't know what you know about the Waldorf. Do you know anything about the Waldorf? Uh, I've heard... Outside of the salad? <laughs> this is the, you know Waldorf. Anything about the Waldorf. Yeah, he used to teach uh, golf. Tim Conway is a short little guy. No. Dorf no, no, Waldorf no. on golf. Wal... No, I, the Here's Waldorf. The story story. I... Here's the story on the Waldorf. It was founded in the 1920s by a guy named Rolf Steiner. Um, who was one of those polymaths that don't exist anymore. You know, the guy, a guy who was an architect, but he also on the side invented his own language. Oh, because he had a few, uh, extra hours to kill. So he started this new kind of school. And the idea was he was fighting, uh, quite presciently, uh, German militarism, uh, in the schools. You mm -hmm. know, it, do you ever see, um, oh, that musical, um, uh, Spring Awakening? No. Right. No. Okay, so it takes place um, in sort of uh, German schools in the late 1800s and how brutal it was. It was brutal, brutal, brutal. He wanted to have a – so this guy, Steiner, wanted to have a, 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 a school that was based on kindness and love and like real hippie values, but we're talking 1920s Germany. It took off like a shot, and they had started having lots of them all around Germany. And when Hitler came to power, the first two things that he did – 
was he outlawed the comedy clubs in Berlin and the Waldorf schools because he thought that it led to weakness in um, in German youth. So um, flash forward after the war, these schools started to uh, grow again, and they started to spawn all over the world. And I don't know how many of them are there are now, uh, hundreds, maybe a thousand, maybe more, maybe thousands. Why is it called They're the really Waldorf? Big in- the Waldorf? I don't know. Because I think Waldorf means dirty Jew in uh, uh, German. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, but um, well, I think maybe because there's raisins and, uh, and nuts in the school. Not sure. Um, but all, everything they do is based on natural things. There's no plastic in the, sh- in the schools. There's no screens in the schools. No computers. So it's very nature-based, and we have him in this school, and um, the school culture is kind of is so is so gentle. I'm hoping that this will just continue through his the rest of his life. It, uh, it goes to grade thirteen, uh, like grade twelve here, but I don't think we'd keep him in quite that long. We'll keep him in like public, you know, grade school, and then and then go somewhere more conventional. Okay, so maybe for, for so. So some people would say, "Are you really preparing him for the world?" You know, no, I'm I'm preparing him for I'm preparing him for life in a sheltered workshop, uh, <laughs> you know, making baskets. <laughs> and the, the fact that you say this is actually a great concern to us because um, my son can really knit, but his math skills not so good. <laughs> and you know, you can get along in this world without being able to knit, but you still have to be able to count. So um, we we have mixed feelings about the place in a lot of ways, but uh, we're sticking with it for now. Um, we might move him somewhere else. We'll see. But I'll tell you what the real issue is when you have a child, because I had a child late, and that changes everything. Uh, most people have children in you know into their thirties, maybe. But I was fifty-eight when my son was born. So let me tell you that every single thing I do with him. All the beautiful moments I have are all suffused with a, a terrible melancholy. Yeah. Because I know, because I know the actuarial tables and I know I won't be here for him late into his life. So if you'd and, you had been know, taught I, to knit instead of math, you'd be much happier right now. I think so. I think so. Then I wouldn't have to count. Yeah. But I know that this is, but I know that this is an issue and this is an issue for, Many older dads, and the older dad is is kind of becoming a sociological trend now. Um, you know, 25 years ago, if a woman was 40 and she was pregnant, you'd go, oh, wow, that's different. How weird, uh, how unusual. And now you don't even think about it if a woman is 40 and pregnant. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is that the 60-year-old first-time dad is like the 40-year-old uh, first-time mom 25 years ago. It's the same thing. And you know, lots of famous people have been doing this. Lots of famous guys right. like Letterman and um, uh, uh, who else? Uh, uh, oh, the guy who was in uh, The Fly, Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all older, older dads. And and the thing we all have in common, and you know, I had an older dad too, so I'm re- recapitulating um, what happened in my family because my dad was 53 when I was born. Right. But didn't he say... You were born late in life? Wasn't that his? Yeah. That yeah, were... I was born late in his, in his life. No, late but, in your life. You know, on the, on, the day, on the day that I was born, my father cried because he said, I'll never get to see my son's bar mitzvah. 
And he was right because I had absolutely no interest in being bar mitzvah. No, um, <laughs> he he, um, he actually lived to ninety one, and he was he was quite healthy right to the end. So he got to see a lot of um, a lot of my you know upswing of my the arc of my life. I was thirty five when he died. Did, did oh so he lived so, he, he lived long enough to see you as an asshole. How much I. Well, he lived long enough to see just how much I had disappointed him, which I think is really important. <laughs> I know? wanted my father just to live long enough to see that I was a world class asshole, and uh, was a, a. And I hope he got his. I hope he got his wish. Yeah, that, that I was a net negative to the world. Anyway, that's that's the uh, that's the key point, you know, for for my fatherhood is that melancholy. But that um, happens for all fathers and mothers. You, you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be a teen mom. Maybe. You can be a teen mom, and you're mourning the the loss of innocence every hour that you look at your kid. You, you, the clock is ticking. You know you're losing something. It, it's well, I'm comp it's compounded by your mortality, and you're very aware of your mortality when you're this age. I mean, start doing the math also. It's not just how long you live. It's how many good years you have, right? So I'm now uh, 60. I'll be 68. My son is 9. So when he's 19, I'll be 78. But that look at look at Bernie. Bernie's running for president at 78. Yeah, and he's and he's he's amazing. Yeah. Joe and, Biden you know, is Biden, running. And Joe Biden, well, okay, he's a bit of a walking dead, but still. He doesn't know um, he's running for president, but still. He doesn't know, but they tell him, and he goes, oh, good. <laughs> um, will I win Delaware? Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, what did you think but, of? Yeah, of course. What did you think of South Carolina? My father, my father was very vibrant and very energetic, as I say, right to the end. And we have a history of longevity in my in my family. So everything could be okay. Wait a minute, what's that trucking? <laughs> you never know. Well, are you able when you go to Palm Springs? Are you able yeah. to turn everything off and just focus on your son and your family, or do things still bother you? No, I, I, um, I, my life in Palm Springs for those three weeks or, or the month is exactly like my life in Toronto except uh, it's warmer and I have people bringing me things by the pool. Um, it's not, it doesn't really, it doesn't really change. I still do business. I just don't do it around the clock. I return emails in the morning and I return emails at night. But you, I'm, I'm free to return emails during the day when I'm playing with, you know, my family. Have you ever gone a week without doing business? Not really. And I don't want to. Because I've got, I'm, I'm working smart. I'm not working hard anymore. So, um, what does, I, that, uh, mean? What does that mean? Well, I, it means I'm, I'm pretty efficient now. I don't waste a lot of time on stuff that doesn't matter. Um, I have a good team. I delegate. I have no problems with that. So when you say work, work for me might just be returning 10, 20 emails in a day. And that's work, mm -hmm. but I have to do that just to keep the plate spinning. So you you know what is a waste of time, that when you were younger, and I'll say this about myself, that when I was younger, I would get fixated on things that had nothing to do with the train that had left the station and has to arrive at 6 p.m., that I'd get sidetracked by nonsense because I didn't know yeah. it was nonsense. 
It's called wisdom, and you actually do get some amount of wisdom as you age. So, yeah, I don't I don't waste a lot of time. And I'm telling you, all the, the stuff on all the, all the internet has really freed me. People complain about you know technology being enslaved by technology. I'm hardly enslaved by technology. I only go to my office twice a week, maybe. Right. right. I'd like to transition to politics off this because you always do. Well, we we only have seven more minutes, and I wanted to ask you about wisdom because yes. you're a leftist, you're a Canadian, you're rooting for Bernie, but you have reservations about whether or not he can win. Do you think people who work smart, that's older people who are working, are victims of their own expertise? Do you think we get to a point where we think we know how it's done, and then one day we wake up and we're the Romanovs, that there's a revolution that's <laughs> happening that we dismissed at first and can't understand uh, as they're shooting us. Well, this is why I have sewn jewels into the uh, lining of my coat. <laughs> so when the bullets hit, they will be repelled. <laughs> Don't you and think that's... What the, you're isn't that what the you're problem with older people that we think... We're working smart, but there's something going on that we're oblivious to? We may be oblivious to it, but oblivious may just be something we call public opinion. And as you know, uh, I'm no fan of public opinion. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you like, would have uh, stopped booking me. Exactly. <laughs> and thank you for reminding me. <laughs> to my new listeners, I should mention that my first encounter with Mark Breslin was after I played Vancouver, his club in Vancouver, and walked the entire room every night. Every night I walked the entire room. I come back to San Francisco. Mark Breslin calls me. He said, David, I heard you walked the entire room every night. Yes, Mark. How, how soon can you be in Toronto? I have to see this. <laughs> and he flew well, me. This is some... Yeah, well, this is also because I have a very old-fashioned um, kind of uh, point of view on on this, where uh, the audience is the enemy, um, uh -huh. and they're there to be whipped uh -huh. um, into shape. So, you know, now um, I, every comic wants to be just buddies with everybody in the audience, and I find that rather annoying. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it completely annoying. Um, why you would want to be friends with those people, I have no idea. Do you not... Can you not be more specific in your in your choices? Bobby Slayton, to me, Bobby Slayton changed everything for me because he wasn't happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's. I, mean, I think an antagonism. Um, there, I think there's always an, a bit of an antagonism between an, an audience and the comedian. Uh, but we've tried to sweep that. We're trying to sweep that under the under the carpet now and pretend that we're all buddies. And, and I just don't like that. It's just not doesn't make for good comedy. And more and more people can hit the like button or thumbs down and offer up a comment. And it's read by the producers. And even though more people don't comment, like there's a small segment of the population that's on Twitter or is commenting on a YouTube video or is filling out a comment card and complaining at a, a comedy club. But the squeaky wheel, we respond to the squeaky wheel, even though they're not reflecting what 
the preponderance of the audience is thinking. Sure, but be careful because now you're wandering into, um, you know, uh, Nixon's silent majority concept, and Trump works that way too. Um, it, it's it's a bit of a dance always between what the audience wants and what you want. Um, but I find that as I meet more and more younger people who are running comedy clubs, they don't seem to care too much about what they want. Um, there's a uh, everybody thinks a lack of ego is a good thing. I don't think a lack of ego is a good thing. I think uh, I think ego is a good thing. Hmm. People should, you know, there used to be the uh, concept of an artistic director, and the artistic director knew more than th- their audience. Right. Now the audience thinks they know more than the artistic director. Right. And that's not necessarily a healthy thing, because all it means is you're giving the public what they want. But what you should be doing is giving the public what they never even dreamed of. Right. An empresario. Somebody, yes. Those... And there are very few empresarios left when you think about it. Yeah, and they're just following the marketplace. They're not leading the marketplace. And the audience picks up on that, right? They know when they're saying knockoffs. I think so. You know, I think so. But the audience also has changed. The whole dynamic is, is, has shifted over from that um, artistic director idea because the idea was there was a, um, a kind of a social contract between the club owner or club booker and the audience. And the social contract was, hey, we're an audience, we're audience members. We don't know much about this comedy thing, right. uh, but you do. And um, you're going to show us some really interesting stuff. And if we come and we like the show, we're going to come back right. for more of your interesting picks. This is not the way it's generally run now. Now the audience tells us who to book because they're already familiar with them through Facebook, through right. um, you know YouTube, through all these different um, uh, all these different new ways of the front door. So comedy clubs aren't really the front door so much anymore. Right. It's, that's really interesting because when I started out, comedy clubs were like run by a, uh, a almost like a brand manager, and the audience was accustomed to a, a specific type of comedy. They had been groomed to expect something. And it made it harder for originality sometimes if the, the the producer, especially the guys who ran chains, not you, but guys who ran chains, they just wanted generic comedy. They didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. But now it is easier for a comic to be original because they can bring their own audience in, but they may not be good. They may be original, but they may not be good. And they may simply speak to a very specific kind of right. audience. So, uh, you know, if you're a, a comic who's a left-handed, herniated, Hopi Indian, um, <laughs> you're going to get those people who are your people coming to see you because they've their voice has been denied for so long. And they but, don't tip. They, they don't know that you're supposed to tip at a comedy they club. They don't tip. The, they they <laughs> don't drink. They don't. Yeah. It's terrible. They send smoke signals. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> We get the fire marshal comes in. It's terrible. All right. Mark, but, Braz, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm just saying it's um, I, I like the world when better when there were people who were risk takers and would, uh, you know, say they were risk takers when they came to the club because they they didn't know what they were going to see. And they took the risk. Uh, and the people who booked those clubs were risk takers as well. Yeah. And I like that era. 
and I, I lament it, I mourn it. As a Canadian, I don't do anything about it. I just lament <laughs> and I mourn. Mark Breslin. Mark Breslin is the founder and president of the Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. He is also royalty. He is Canadian royalty, and he has the documents to prove it. And we don't have you for three weeks. No. Um, so the next time I would be available would be March 20. Not, ah, March 30th, but I have a problem there because I'm teaching that day, so it might actually be the first week of April. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Stay on the line for one quick second. Hang on for one second. Okay. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Are you going to behave? We're rolling. You got Susan Collins under control, Jim? What's that? Did you get all the worms out of Senator Susan Collins? Yeah. You seem to be breaking up. Uh, you, you sound okay. Where? Can you hear me? Yeah, but you're kind of going, you're going in and out. Do you have a bad connection? or In and out, in and out, kind of like the way I went in and out of your mother? You seem to be going back and forth. Back and forth? Like? Can you hear me? Like, yeah, but you, you were cutting up in, in between words. Uh, oh, okay. Am I cutting up now? You have, here's, here's say a complete sentence. Joining us is Peabody and Emmy Award winning comedy writer Jim Earl. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? I needed to say a complete sentence so I know that you're not breaking up. I made a complete sentence. Joining us is Jim Earl. He's a Emmy Award-winning, Peabody Award-winning comedy writer. Yeah, I don't hear anything. You don't hear anything? You don't hear the part about your mother blowing guys for you're a penny? You're completely gone. I'm completely gone, so you can't hear me talk about how your father... Yeah, you keep, you keep big chunks of the uh, your audio keep breaking up want to want me to hang up and uh, we'll try again well, let me uh, hang on you don't you can't hear me telling you that the reason your second marriage broke up is because i was charging 50 guys uh, about a hundred dollars each to take yeah, your, you don't hear a that big problem. i have a big problem i can't you keep breaking up a whole bunch okay i will uh, call you back jim bye Jim Earl is back. Maybe the sound sounds better. Can you hear me now? Yeah. You can hear yeah. me. You can yeah. you can hear me when I say that the reason your third marriage broke up is because I used to take your wife to amusement parks in Guatemala and she would sit underneath the roller coaster and blow guys for a quarter. Can you hear me? Why do you want to uh, cast dispersions on Guatemalans? You are correct. Jim Earl, today is Super Tuesday. You're registered to vote in the state of California, I believe. Yes, I am. Is today oh, okay? We got a poor connection. It says, I think. Okay. Well, you want to try again? 
I've never seen this before on Skype. It says poor connection. Well, maybe um, maybe it's a good connection, maybe, because I think you're coming in loud and queer. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Did you hear what I said? Thought, yeah, maybe we're coming in loud and clear. No, I said you're coming in loud and queer. <laughs> Wasn't that the original name of Lank and Earl, your comedy team, Loud and Queer? <laughs> yes, but we had to change it because... Uh, People didn't like the word loud. <laughs> it reminded them too much of Lance Loud from American Family. Remember that? You're too young to remember an American Family, the PBS special. No, I, I don't. I don't know that one. Well, there was a family. There was a family that agreed to allow themselves to be filmed for a year, and it ran as a series oh, yeah. on on the PBS. And Lance, aptly named, came out of the closet during that. I remember that, yeah. Right. And Albert Brooks made a movie starring Charles Grodin, kind of parroting yeah. that. Brilliant movie. Yes. Real Life, I think it was called. Yes. It was very funny. Yes. Did you ever meet Albert Brooks? No, no I never got to meet him. But I, uh, I did... Uh, Yell out the window once at Larry Miller walking uh, in his uh, jogging suit around Burbank. The comedian Larry Miller. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and what, what did you I scream? Said, well, I said, well, I, you know, I was, I was riding along and I was, oh, that's Larry Miller. So I rolled down the window real quick and said, hey, Larry, I love your comedy. And he turns around and gives uh, the, the typical Larry Miller kind of sly smile and say, thanks. <laughs> that was it. What other celebrities have you approached? I walked up to William H. Macy at uh, Hollywood Reservoir. Oh, did you ask that your son, Willie, be admitted to Harvard? Yes, and he, his wife got me in. I approached him. I, let's see. Uh... Well, you, you actually, you were a big fan of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate's, right? Didn't you approach them one night? Well, they didn't know about it. Oh. It was kind of a surprise, uh, it was a surprise get-together. Mm-hmm. I, I really am not at liberty to talk about it because some of my old friends are... Uh, well, they're no longer around, and I don't want to cast aspersions on them. Right, they can't. Yeah, they can't defend themselves now. Right, right. Yeah. A lot of blood, a lot of bad stuff has been said about them that just simply isn't true. Mm -hmm. Tex Watson knew how to throw a party. Oh yeah, he had this one joke uh, that he would say to me all the time. We've replaced the blood of Sharon Tate with Folgers, Abigail Folgers. <laughs> To see if Tex Watson could tell the difference. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're saying that when Abigail Folger was at this party, they did the we've replaced Folger's coffee with that, that bit? He did that bit. Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he was always a joker. You know, yeah. he could take he could, he could really tone down the tenses. Most anxious uh, situations with a few jokes and everything, yeah. and make it all better. You know who didn't have a sense of humor about this? Roman Polanski, for some reason. 
He's just a party pooper. Yeah. Speaking of party poopers, uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about Super Tuesday and Bernie, who's a he's a party pooper, isn't he? He's you know they had a nice thing going in the Democratic Party, and Bernie came along and is destroying it. He's going to ruin this party for everybody. It was you know the party was perfect before he came along. Everything was going along smoothly. A lot of people had a good thing going in the Democratic Party. And my question to you is, given how well Biden did in South Carolina, are we looking tonight at different results than we were expecting? I think Biden is just going to blow the lid off uh, fifth place. Jane Lynch. We love Jane Lynch. Who doesn't? Yeah, I mean, you're not allowed to dislike Jane Lynch. She's endorsing Joe Biden. She tweeted out. Yeah. Wasn't she the one who did the non-union version of the Emmys? Uh, I don't don't remember that. Non-union version of the Emmys? Wasn't there a year that Mark Burnett was producing the Emmys, and she was hosting, and they wanted the writers to be non-union. Was that during the writer's strike of 2007? No, it was after. It was after. Well, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's okay in my book. Okay. You know, because she she appreciates American uh, ingenuity. An entrepreneurism. Right. She pulls herself. She's she pulled herself up from her own uh, piss flaps. <laughs> I think you mean bootstraps. Bootstraps. Did I say bootstraps? Yeah. Bootstraps. Yes. She yes. tweeted out uh, Jane Marie Lynch. Jane Lynch, the great actress. Uh, She said, hello, everyone. Billionaires in wine caves have as much right to say who gets to be president as waitresses and diners and plumbers in my bathroom. Class warfare is ugly. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go Elizabeth Warren. Well, now she's endorsing Joe Biden. She's gone from Elizabeth Warren to Joe Biden. Now, you're not a big fan of Elizabeth Warren. I've gone on record to your chagrin, saying that I would vote for Elizabeth Warren if she got the nomination. Uh-huh. But I certainly wouldn't vote for Joe Biden if he got the nomination. And I ask, what is the difference? Isn't uh, and, and And that's okay with me. I think they're both great. I can't Who? decide. Oh. Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, I think they'd both be great. In fact, they should probably both run for president and be elected president. And we could have two. For the price of one. Yeah, one would it'd be like the biumvirate of ancient Rome. Yes. One leader would rule the Western Empire and the other would rule the Eastern Empire. Right. As opposed to the triumvirate, which was just Caligula who was willing to try anything. He was a great have you ever been to a Caligula party? Uh, I'm not at liberty to talk about it. That's the first rule of a Caligula party. You can't talk about it, but if you want to violate the trust, go ahead. 
All I can say there's a lot of fisting going on. Yes. And by that, you mean solidarity. People just... Yeah, people raising their fists in triumph. Um, <laughs> in, in a guy named Triumph. In a guy named Triumph, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, fisting. When did you first find out about fisting? Oh, when I was five. <laughs> I used to crawl into my parents' uh, bed in the morning when they were sleeping, and one day I just decided to fist my dad. <laughs> of course, I didn't. I didn't know it was called fisting back then. Uh huh. Back then, it was just called horseplay, I believe. Right. Right. It was called the uh, alligator game. That's what. <laughs> that's what my grandmother uh, taught me. Yeah. My grandfather used to play, I got your ass, I got your ass, where is it, I got your ass. Oh, yeah, I like that. And I go, my ass is missing, my ah, there it is. Yeah. I got your ass, I got your... The other thing my grandfather used to do, he'd sit in the back of the car while my parents were, <laughs> were driving, and he'd say, I'm not touching you, I'm not... And i go, Mom, Dad... Grandpa's annoying me. I'm not touching you. He would just wave his hands over certain parts of my body and just right. say, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. He was funny. You know, the, the priest at my, my parish would also wave his hands. Really? Uh, over when he was blessing us. Oh, oh. And then he, then he would fist us. <laughs> to, to show solidarity with the... Right. He, was, he believed still, in liberation theology, I believe, is what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah, he was he was uh, Pastor Pastor Fistus. <laughs> uh, it's an old Latin name. Yeah, Saint Fistus. Saint Fistus. Who was he? The he pa was the patron. He was martyred. He was yeah. martyred on a a wooden fist. <laughs> so you were five when you found out about fisting. Oh yes, yes. Okay. It was, uh, you know, uh, you're taught things that you you pass on to your your friends and family, mm -hmm. and I, it's a tradition that it, it's, it's. Thank goodness for traditions in this yeah. country. There's so many politicians running for office today who want to do away with tradition. Yeah, like Bernie. Now, you know, oh. you know, Howard yeah. Feynman he used to write for Newsweek. He's on MSNBC all the time. Mm -hmm. Good man. He's Good a great man. man. Let, me, let me read you a tweet of his, because I think this is one of the most woke sentiments I've seen in 2020. Are you typing? Oh, sorry. No. OK, because I need your undivided attention. This is what Howard Feynman tweeted out. Bernie Sanders is trying to put Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar campaigns out of their misery by beating them on Super Tuesday in their respective home states of Massachusetts and Minnesota. Mistake. He should be focusing on bigger halls and bigger states, not trying to humiliate female rivals. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, what is what is Bernie Sanders thinking? Yeah. I mean, these are two brilliant and and brave women mm -hmm. who who are 
championing the fifth and sixth place and no delegates so far. Mm-hmm. How dare Bernie Sanders invade their personal space <laughs> by going <laughs> going into their home states and campaigning in, in a primary? Yeah. It's he's humiliating his female rivals. He's he try. He shouldn't be humiliating his female rivals. Rivals. That's woke, right? Yeah. That shows a lot of respect for women on Howard Feynman's part, right? Can I quote you something that Mike Bloomberg said? Sure. Rather than uniting the country around a message of shared sacrifice. He engages in partisan attacks and embraces a divisive populist agenda focused more on redistributing income than creating it. Right. And how is income? Of course, well, I'm sorry. That's what he said about Barack Obama in 2012. Really? Yes. Really? That's what he said about Barack Obama's uh, re-election campaign. Wow. That was the... That was worth the price of admission, Jim Earl. Thank you. What a disgraceful human being. So, you know, it's the, it's not you, Michael Bloomberg. It's, it's, it's the boy who called socialism. When you call socialism on Barack Obama, then everything is socialism. So we might as well try some socialism in this country. Yeah. I mean, every president who hasn't been called a socialist or a communist. FDR and uh, Truman and Eisenhower was called communist by the right wing. Yeah, they honestly believed that he was a communist. There, there were people in the John Birch, people, some devotees of Bill Buckley who thought that Eisenhower mm-hmm. was soft on communism. Medicare. Yeah, Nixon, Nixon Med- and especially Nixon and Reagan, too, for uh, even talking to Russia and China. Right. You know, they betrayed their base. And, of course, Obama was accused of being soft on communism. And Medicare, when they introduced Medicare, yes. they called it socialism. Are the American people stupid enough to believe that we're barreling towards socialism if we elect Bernie? I think they are, but they're also, well, they're ill-informed enough. Is, what, is there a difference between being ill-informed and stupid? Mm, yeah, I, I kind of think about willful ignorance. There's a willful yeah. ignorance that I'm seeing in the Democratic Party. Like Jane Lynch, I think, is willfully ignorant. Because she's smart yeah. enough to know that there's such thing as oppression. She's a member of the LGBTQ community, but she got her own, and now she doesn't want to engage in class warfare. She wants to cherry yeah, pick. She has all the, yeah, she has all the resources to inform herself, and she probably has, and she's deliberately protecting her safety bubble, her income bubble. There's well, a bubble yeah. around her. Yeah. What about uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg? Were you disappointed that he dropped out? Yes, because the man 
as a way of speaking that is just mesmerizing. Hmm. Yeah. It's almost like he's, he's trying to be Obama, but he's better than Obama. You know why? Why? Because he's white. Ah, yeah. That, I, I didn't mean better in racially. I mean, I meant better that because he can bring more people can, in. Bring more people in. Right. Because he's white and he can cut through that racial divide. Right. Obama couldn't do that. No. Because he always played the race card. All the time. All the but, time with the, 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 the sideways baseball cap and the baggy jeans, looking at his underwear. Yo, 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 what's up? I'm Barack Obama. That stuff was off. Yeah. And also by being black. Yeah. <laughs> if you're black, you're, you're automatically playing the race card. Exactly. I've exactly. been told. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So Pete Buttigieg, moderate, centrist, you know, wants to reach across the aisle. He He's practical. He's the adult in the room. He's the youngest one on the stage, but he has the most wisdom because he knows what can be done and what can't be done. Wait, did you just say he wanted to reach around the aisle? No, 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 no. I said he wanted to take his clenched said- no, his clenched fist and, yes. and and shove it forward towards prosperity. That's what I said. He wants to he wants to grease up the runners. He I wants to grease the grease the shoot for for democracy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, the moderate, the guy who listens to the experts, because he's a Harvard technocrat, they told him, uh, you can't win. And he said, oh, okay, I drop out. Like, you can't have Medicare for all. Oh, okay, forget about it then. That's that's who Pete Buttigieg is. That's who, I mean, the guy didn't even last till Super Tuesday. The guy couldn't even stay in the race Till tonight, he drops out before Super Tuesday mm-hmm. because he doesn't well, believe in anything. Well, don't you, you you don't think that maybe he's uh, he's trying to hitch his uh, hitch, hitch a ride on uh, Joe Biden? Where do they go? Do they go to Joe Biden? Do you think he's trying to be? Uh, he's trying don't to become. Uh, don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> Don't say piggyback. Don't say piggyback. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying, don't you think he's trying to straddle from behind Joe Biden? No. Stop it. I think Stop what it. he's trying to do, he's trying to be his running mate. He, he's, he's, oh, well. to be consi- seriously considered for uh, Biden's running mate. Well, they're, they're saying that it's going to be Kamala. They say he's, he's mulling. Stop it. He said, "No, he, he." I just read in the Google News, Buttigieg is mulling, mulling a, a Biden endorsement. Oh, I thought you said mulling. I see. <laughs> so you're saying he's interested in Biden's number two? Is that what you're saying? Oh my God! What did you just say? Nothing. They're saying it's going to be Kamala Harris. That's the dream ticket. Biden and Kamala. Yes. 
Well, that's, that sounds great. Yeah, get on the and bus. Get on the bus. <clears throat> and there's nothing. You have two people with the creepiest laughs mm-hmm. in, in politics that I, I've seen in a long, long time. Kamala and, and uh, you know, there are but, people I really like, people we both know. Who mm-hmm. it's 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 bad enough that they just hate Bernie, but they they are voting for Kamala. They're utterly convinced that Kamala got cheated and she's the only one who can win, even though she didn't win anything. And what's wrong with some people? Like, how do you get it in your head that Kamala? Is somebody worth fighting for, or Pete is worth fighting for, or Amy, or Joe? But like, because how do you get passionate it, about people with no passion? It's identity politics that it's most uh, destructive. That's what it is. These people just uh, they automatically put blinders on and they don't consider anything. Mm-hmm. They're childish. It's, it's just the most childish and self-destructive and destructive thing for a democracy there, there can be yeah they want a woman they want a, a gay man they want uh they want a, a black woman that's all they're looking at they don't freaking look at what the issues are they don't look at the records they don't or they have and they don't care about them and i blame i blame you know who i blame MSNBC. I think the yeah. stupidity of MSNBC has bled into every Democrat's brain. You've been more critical over the years of MSNBC than I have been. Cause I don't really watch MSNBC. I don't watch television mm-hmm. news. And I always say, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? But then when I talk to Democrats who are voting for Biden or Kamala or Mayor Pete, I realize they're getting all their wisdom from MSNBC. MSNBC is the enemy of democracy, certainly the enemy of the Democratic Party. Yes, because they're doing worse. They're, they're doing more destruction to Democratic Party or, or what could act ultimately save the party than Fox News. Fox News is being more fair to Bernie Sanders than MSNBC. Fox News hasn't in the last week and a half pretty much called Bernie Sanders a Nazi or a, a communist who's going to execute people in Central Park or a racist because mm-hmm. he wants to do away with uh, with superdelegates. Uh, and and they, they, they're relentless with it. And uh, Rachel Maddow is, she is the titular head of the uh, network and she's responsible for it she could stop it all she could stop it at her will if she wanted but she refuses to yeah but the- and i used i used to watch msnbc all the time and like it uh after obama was elected because they hit hard on uh, fox news and uh, maddow was very good in the first few years because she actually did or reported on real investigative journalism, like the uh, next uh, the New York Times expose on how the FBI would go around killing people left and right for the last forty years, and there hasn't been 
one investigation that uh, indicted or convicted a uh, an FBI agent for wrongdoing. Right. And that was a brave thing for her to do. But you don't see that kind of thing anymore. Now she worships the surveillance state. She worships the FBI and the NSA and the DHS and the Pentagon. They're heroes to her now. Because she hates Donald Trump. I mean, I agree with you that when Obama was president and he was getting attacked by the Republicans, MSNBC was the only light out there. It was the oasis of sanity. But once uh, Trump became president, you begin to realize, although you and Jimmy Dore and Frank Conniff, a lot of people knew this, or I didn't care, quite frankly, mm -hmm. but uh, you begin to realize that if this is the party, the, the, the network of the Democratic Party, this is the, the network of the liberals, then they are indoctrinating Americans with false comfort and false talking points yeah especially in russia which which of course um, people like frank conniff has have fallen head over heels for that kind of uh, scaremongering and scapegoating but that's a different story i watched the coverage i hate watch msnbc on election night because it i i, I enjoy it either way if if my guy isn't winning then I can hate the, the commentators. Everybody they have on MSNBC, at best, at best, is a neoliberal. There, there are no millionaires. There is no everybody on MSNBC is a millionaire, except yes. for the degenerate gamblers like maybe uh, Jim Carville, James Carville. They all speak for the millionaire class. They have a, wait, wait a minute. Carville, Carville is very wealthy. Yeah, but he's also a gambler. Yeah, but he lives in a in Trumpian style. He 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 dons those, uh, you know, baseball cap. Uh, I'm a regular okie dokie guy uh, outfits every time he goes on uh, the news. But you know, he lives to the fullest. You know, in his big uh, big mansion. So he's a hypocritical piece of shit, just like the rest of them. David and, and, Fluff. Uh, David Fluff. David yes. Fluff is, you know, worked for Obama 12 years ago. He's not in politics anymore. He's a lobbyist for Facebook and Uber and on the board of directors of Acronym, which gave us that app, that Pete Buttigieg app that ruined the count in Iowa. Mm -hmm. That's who David Fluff is. They don't identify him as a lobbyist for uber they say oh. former campaign manager of the obama administration uh this guy gibbs that they bring on msnbc he was yeah. press secretary for obama i think the first year from like 2009 to 2010 then he went off and became the chief mm -hmm. communications officer for mcdonald's he's a corporate mouthpiece and a lobbyist so, so are Barbara Boxer. She's an insurance industry lobbyist. And so is, uh, Joe Locker. Uh, Howard, Howard Dean. What does Howard Dean do now? He's, he's insurance industry Jesus. lobbyist. They're, they don't get identified as lobbyists. No. That's the, where the bulk of their income comes from. And they come on, like They're, Joe Lockhart hasn't 
been in pol- he was the press secretary to Bill Clinton in like 1999, you know, 21 years ago. He, he cashes out in 2000 and becomes a lobbyist for oil, health insurance. But when he goes on CNN, he's identified as Joe Lockhart, former press secretary to Bill Clinton. That's not who he is. Yeah. He's a lobbyist. He's no. pushing. He's lobbying. He's literally lobbying the American people for the health insurance companies. You know, when you practice or pretend to be a journalist or practice journalism, you're supposed to uh, post full disclosure as to what, you know, if there's any conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And and this MSNBC is given that up a long time ago for ratings yeah it, it, it's like it's like i my identifying jim earl a senior from berkeley oh you're not a senior you're not a senior at berkeley anymore jim earl no 20 years 30 years have passed i'm not i mean to identify these people for the jobs they held 10 15 20 years ago and not mention that they're lobbyists is journalistic malpractice yeah, it's and it should be fucking illegal, by the way, since they're using our the public airwaves that we paid for, that American taxpayers paid for, and it's a privilege for them to be on, and, and it's their public responsibility, isn't it? To, and yeah. to not lie, to present the news in an unbiased, objective manner as as well as as is possible, but they're not doing that. And they're, they're certainly not educating. That's the other thing. When you talk, you talk to well-intentioned, stupid Democrats who are terrified of Bernie because they just get their information from, you know, the New York Times and MSNBC. And the only thing you can talk to a Democrat about who's not voting for Bernie is electability. Because the only thing they talk about on election night is electability or what Biden now has to do and what Bernie now has to do and what Pete now has to do. They don't talk about issues. They don't talk about policy. So when you have a conversation with these ignoramuses in the Democratic Party, the voters, when you talk to them about the election, all they can tell you is, I just don't think Bernie can win. Well, what about Medicare for all? Well, I don't know enough about that, but I like, you know, everybody's for it. No, everybody's not for it. Well, I just don't think Bernie can win. Well, you think that way because you you watch MSNBC and you don't know anything about policy or position. I have a lot lot of educated people that I grew up with who did better in college than I did or or went to Stanford. There are lawyers, et cetera. Uh, I have one friend I went to high school with who is an award-winning investigative journalist who wrote a, a best-selling book uh, about the uh, the opioid, opioid epidemic in this country. Oh, I had him on the show. Quinones? Yes. You went to school with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the same class I was in. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, he's on his page uh, posting uh, <laughs> anti-Bernie uh, propaganda and, and without even a challenge of it. You know, it's just like they, they, there's no intellectual curiosity here 
as to the sources or or providing proof, you know, for any of these charges. It's just. I I I had him on my show twice, and he's very nice. And you know he yeah he is, but uh, not an intellectual. Uh, He 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 really does the footwork on the opiate epidemic. He really knows about the Sackler family, and he can get he can tell you the number of people who died. He's been in Mexico. He's traveled with the cartels. He's deep in the the trenches but he can't see his head through the trees to jangle some yeah uh jumble some metaphors i asked him a question i said you know opiates every year one new is there's always a drug scare there's always something uh that's killing us and mm-hmm. uh you know are we over is this being overblown the same way the crack epidemic is being overdone, uh, was overblown? Is it possible that there's something bigger going on that's tied into suicide rates and that, that th- this opiate epidemic is a symptom of some larger thing? He grew very distressed. He, you know, he did, he was willing to say there's something wrong with our culture, but he got kind of, uh, Defensive yeah. of the opiate <clears throat> epidemic as opposed to something bigger going on because that was his expertise. My, my, yeah. you know, if you have a hammer, then everything's a nail. So his hammer is the opiate epidemic. So he wasn't really equipped to talk about what might be causing people spiritually yeah. to turn to opiates. But people and he's, think- he's great. I think he's a really good investigative journalist, and in, in obviously in that area. But it, it, why does it have to turn off immediately when you go in other areas? And, well, because and, and he's, I agree. Because he's I think, spending I, so I much I, time. Because he has spent so much time focused solely on the opiate epidemic. That's yeah. He doesn't have the time to to learn about policy. I mean that he, he he has to have his head up his ass to not be voting for Bernie. He's just too involved with the opiate epidemic. Yeah, and, and I agree that the drug problems in this country have always been a, a symptom of a bigger problem. You know, this is like Pablo Escobar knew that. That's yeah. why. <laughs> That's why he was the richest man in the world for about 10 years. And a, and a Blato Oplomo. Great philanthropist like Michael Bloomberg. Yes. Well, before you and, go... And, and, and the drug companies know about that, too. They're, they've been cashing in on the symptoms right. of, a, of a greater problem for, for decades. That's how they make their... Constipation. Most constipation. If somebody says they're constipated... It means they're addicted to opiates. I thought cocaine made you uh, diuretic. But I don't think cocaine's an opiate, is it? No, I guess not. Yeah. When? I I don't know. What do I know? I just deal with stuff. Oops. What? Huh? California. California tonight. According to the latest polls... 
Yeah. Bernie's leading 19 points over Biden. Where does Buttigieg, where do his supporters in California go other than to uh, Musso's and Frank's on Thursday night? Were you going to, are you asking where does Buttigieg fit in? Yes. Where's that vote? You know the answer. Oh, oh, the vote. Yeah. Does it go to Warren? And Jane Lynch is Jane Lynch is voting for Biden, not Warren. Well, you saw the latest Emerson polling saying that uh, pretty much uh, Bernie's lead uh, remains uh, actually gains a couple of points over everyone else. His his voters, his votes are pretty much evenly distributed uh, to the rest of the candidates, except for Sanders, who gets an additional one or two more. Sanders? I think it it stays the same. Uh, Do you think your toxicity is pushing people away from the Bernie tent? The tent? Don't you think? My toxicity? Yeah, your toxicity, the things you say on Twitter and Facebook. Do you think it's making people think twice about Bernie? Oh, I thought you were talking about my yeast infection. That too. Well, you know what? My toxicity. My talk, you know, my toxicity is always, uh, has a foundation of evidence that I present. I don't just outright insult and call people asshole. Well, sometimes I do. I mean, five years of this is enough. I mean, people, people who should, should know better and deliberately don't or, you know, distort facts and say horrifically stupid, uh, libelous things about other people and candidates. Well, they're assholes. The intellectual intellectual dishonesty, when somebody says, you know, I, I, I like Bernie, but his, his followers scare me. His really, (laughs) really, that, Jim Earl, because Jim Earl's a Bernie bro, you can't vote for Bernie. That's why you're not voting for Bernie. has nothing to do with the fact that you might be worth a couple million dollars or you have a 401k plan that's heavily invested in Aetna or Exxon. It's Jim mm-hmm. Earl. It's Jim Earl. Really? Yeah. Jim Earl. It's Jim Earl. Yeah. Jim, Jim Earl pissed you off online. And says something about you know <clears throat> your hair or something. Yeah, and that's why you, you don't want anybody to have Medicare for all, basically. Right. right. The other thing I'm finding is I get emails from people who hate Bernie because they feel left out that they have been fight. I'm not. I'm not making this up. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get these emails. How dare you say I should get out of the Democratic Party? I I was a progressive leftist back in the 70s, and I was uh, on the front lines with the gay movement, and I fought for everything, and I know what's possible. And, and Bernie, what he wants, it just can't be done. It just can't be done. I know because I, I fought these battles. And I write back, wow. yeah, you fought these battles, and you lost, and you're old. And you're tired and you're angry that that the world is spinning without your permission. There's a new guy in town named Bernie who's actually older than you are. 
but yeah. more resilient and can actually get things done. And it drives you crazy that they're not consulting with you, your ego. And I do know some politicians who won't vote for Bernie because they feel slighted by him. They agree with him, but, you know, they have a history with him. And once, you know, he may not have endorsed them or something. And that trumps, you know, uh, everybody getting health care. My ego is, so, is more important. So freaking childish and destructive. Yeah. It's, 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 it's basically like compared to ancient Rome or ancient Greece, Greece before Greece's first democratic revolution, the aristocracy were offended by revolutionaries. There were people who wanted to actually have a say in, in going to war and, mm -hmm. and how much you would spend on war and how much time you would spend in a battle. They used to have direct, direct democracy. They are not a shitty republic like we do. They, they would vote. Citizens like you and me would be able to vote on whether or not you go to war. Yeah. Or, and if we go to war, how long is the battle going to be? Seriously. Right. right. Questions All like that. that. How yeah. do you fund it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have no control over that. We have no, and that's what they're. Well, we upset do. About. We do. We we ask all those questions when it comes to Medicare for all. We just don't ask them. Yeah. That question when we're going yeah. to war. Yeah. Because I because people like me only need uh, twenty days uh, supply of insulin before we have to get a refill, not not thirty days. Right. So you know. And that's what they're doing to people with diabetes. 20 days, insurance companies are telling you, you can do on 20 days supply per month, not 30 days. So, Is that what they tell? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the same thing for uh, blood testing uh, strips. You know, diabetics, type 1 diabetes, you have to test like seven times a day. You, when you get up before you eat, uh, two hours after you eat, every time you eat, if you before you exercise and after you exercise, before you go to sleep, sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night, you got to test to make sure that your blood sugar isn't plummeting. So that's like seven to nine times a day, especially if you're sick. So insurance companies will tell, they've told me years before, you know, you're only getting three a day. That's worthless, and, and doctors have told me how, how that's worthless too. That's death. You can't you can't test your blood sugar, and the, the only way you control diabetes is by making sure that your blood testing your blood sugar every day, regularly. Now, is there so, an official policy? In other words, if you're with Aetna, do they have an official policy when it comes to diabetics and say three test strips a day? I've been in the uh, since uh, before and after Obamacare, I've been told it's not in the formulary. So their official policy is always the formulary, which changes as often as uh, your credit card uh, contract that you can't ever read and makes no difference if you read because you have no power over that either. So they can do anything they want. Uh, I, I was just told. I have this continuous glucose monitor that's on me 24 hours a day that uh, sends a signal to an app app on my iPhone telling me 
what my blood sugar is every five minutes, and that's the safest thing you can do. It it helps you live. Mm-hmm. It'll keep you from dying in the m- middle of the night. Right. And I've had this for over a year. It's been covered by my insurance. Well, they just sent me out of, out of the blue. They didn't even give me any warning. They just cut it off. They said it's no longer on the formula. I didn't even know. I didn't even get a letter in the mails. And suddenly, they're not sending it to me anymore. Well, they, why don't they, we do this? Why don't we uh, tape your phone conversations with them? I'm, that would be, so far, I've spent over uh, 15 hours on the phone over a period of a month and a half. Well, why don't do you and, tape Do you tape these conversations? I'll, I'll play them on this show. Let's get them on. Let's let's get them on record. I think you can do one party recordings in California. I'll double check. You don't need permission or uh, I can record. I know in New York you can do one party recordings. Yeah. I think. Why don't we wonder, record you? Wonder, yeah, I'd like to do that. OK, like, you know, the, the typical thing you'll get is that they don't know what's happening. They'll get back to you and they don't. And then the, the other thing is that, well, we know what's happening. It's just their fault. The other the, the vendor's fault. And then I call the vendor up and they say, no, we're no longer connected with your insurance. It's their fault. And then after another week goes by, the insurance company tells you, well, uh, it's no longer on the formulary route. <laughs> Really? I didn't get any information on that. Well, we sent you a letter. No, you didn't. You know, and that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that goes on for hours and hours and hours. So when they talk about the, the cost of the current system, they never factor in the, the time, the productivity lost are dealing no. with, with the insurance companies. It's not just, they always factor in the administrative costs on their end, but they never factor in the administrative costs on our end. The time, you know, what is one hour of your day worth? Right. And I can only wonder what people in the Latino com- communities who have language problems, mm-hmm. I'm, I wouldn't even, I can't even imagine them even enduring an hour of that crap and uh and the so condescension the, and the condescension condescension yes in other words if you don't speak english and you're trying to get mm. your diabetes medication i have to i can, i mean the condescension that i receive from my health insurance companies and i'm you know i come across arrogant and a little in, i like to think i'm a little intimidating not in, you know just articulate yeah. so they go oh this guy's gonna say i'd like to speak to your manager so they're a little more respectful but if you're speaking fractured english right. they're gonna take it all out on you they're gonna, they're gonna take advantage of you easily right and you know it's not just loss of productivity it's also loss of your health and this the whole thing this this uh, austerity uh initiative that, that that so many people are on well we have to save money and and we can't spend we can't we don't have enough money for medicare for all it's it's not only hurtful and damaging and self and destructive to the vulnerable in our country it's it's wrecking their bottom line too they don't see that they're so stupid mm-hmm. they're ruining their bottom line they're killing people who can make the money? That's the, that's the, and it's, and these people, 
like with diabetes, they get very, very sick from lack of medicine and lack of adequate health care. And then they go in, they put a strain on the emergency services and the taxpayers all have to pay for that. Right. So it's just it, we're subsidizing the worst industry in the world, just like we subsidize the oil industry right. to keep our gas prices deceptively low. You know, a gallon of gas in this country should cost fifteen, sixteen dollars a gallon, like it does in parts of Europe, because right. of all the subsidies we pay for. Right, but they hide it's, it from us, so we don't realize we're paying more. We don't pay for it at the the point of delivery, we pay for it through our taxes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Adolf country, Hitler. Adolf Hitler's here, yeah. and he he has he wants to chime in. He oh, said, good. He said, yeah. He's saying that it doesn't make sense financially for the health insurance companies and big business to not want Medicare for all. And, and he says that history has shown that we tend to project intelligence onto pure evil. What we're forgetting is that pure evil is just pure evil for the sake of pure evil, not for profits. He said, look at what I did in Russia. I, I cared more about beating the Russians than winning the war because my evil trumped my rational thought. And he says that's what's happening. Wow. Yeah, that's what Adolf... Well, he's had time to think about it, but he, he he's saying that he was more concerned with evil than success. Had he spent had he spent less time on the final solution in Hungary, he says I would have had more more fuel, more railroads to take on the Allies. But my evil got the better of me, and for that, I'm not sorry. No, I thought I thought he'd be sorry about that. Wow. Yeah. But that is it. That is insightful. I, 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 you know, Adolf, he's had a couple of drinks today. But we we like to think that if something's evil, then it's smart. It, it's smart. And yeah. evil is stupid. I mean, Trump is stupid. So he resorts to evil. George Bush and Dick Cheney were stupid. So they resorted to evil. Evil. And, and the same applies in business. You can like Vladimir Putin is considered a a, a a dumb oaf. Yeah, by, by Russia, Russians. That's what you do if you look at the cast of characters in the Mueller report. They're all you know. They're all stupid. They have to resort to evil. That's the only way they're going to make a living. Yeah. Yes. Hang on. Hitler wants to say something. Yes, we're wrapping up. All right, he wants to do some impersonations. Do you, do you want to hear uh, Adolf do an impersonation? I thought I heard him say Plata o Plomo. Yeah, he wants to do uh, some imitations. Oh, sure, sure, go yeah. ahead. Who, who would you like to hear him do? Uh, Pablo Escobar. 
And now, the head of the Medellin cartel, Pablo Escobar, had a, a delicatessen in on the Lower East Side, talking to his waiter. It would go something like this. Hmm. I guess Pablo Escobar was Jewish. Wow. Yeah, Adolf says uh, Pablo Escobar was Jewish. Hang on. You want to hear a... Uh, uh, oh, never mind. Hang on. Uh, Adolf Hitler says he's working on an impersonation of Jason Alexander from the hit TV show Seinfeld. Would you like to hear it? Well, certainly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the great George Costanza ordering the corned beef sandwich at Katz's Deli. I think it would go something like this. All right, Adolf. I... Can, can he do an impression of the character Kramer saying something offensive about? Oh yeah, like oh okay yeah. Let me let me just stage. yeah. Let me let me just let me uh, hang on. This is the character Kramer from Seinfeld getting paid after his performance at the Laugh Factory. I think it would go something like this. Oh, I guess they paid him a lot of money for. All right, Jim Earl, please. It's Super Tuesday. Uber Tuesday, as we call it, right? Right. Uber well, Tuesday. Lyft Tuesday. Yeah, or Lyft Tuesday. Jim Earl is an Emmy Award winning, Peabody Award winning writer and musician. Tell us the name of your book. Uh, it is a morning remembrance, a morning with a U, a collection of uh, offensive and comedic obituaries that I have written for real people. For real people. And hey, how do people follow you? What? Go ahead. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Jim Earl 666. I just want to say that, uh, that Chuck D once praised my tennis shoes. But then Favor Flav said, this does not reflect the opinion of public enemy. When I was working at Air America, he was he was there also. Flavor flavor? No, not flavor. Not flavor. He he never no. Oh. He's not political. He's but, not uh, supporting Bernie. He's upset. No, he's 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 kind of a trumper. He's kind yeah. of a trumper. Yeah. But uh, you know, Chuck D looked at my uh, my tennis shoes and said, "Hey, nice kicks." Hmm. And then everybody else gathered around and looked at my kicks. Hmm. I just wanted to say that, you know, in light of uh, Chuck D uh, blowing the lid off the, the house last uh, night at the Bernie Sanders rally. Were you there? The no, I, I, I missed it. Yeah. Eddie was upset. He, he said Who? the Eddie Pepitone uh, yeah. went. He was very, he says he's not voting for Bernie because they didn't have endive in the VIP green room. <laughs> Seriously, he was very upset. And there was no sparkling it, water. 
No, no Chardonnay. No Chardonnay. Was it sold out? Was there were the I think estimated thirty eight thousand people there. The, the wow. biggest rally, primary rally in history, I think. Yeah, and and they had ten thousand people out in the cold Sunday in Massachusetts to see Bernie. But you know, it's sexist for him to be trying to steal Elizabeth Warren's delegates. There's like thirty eight thousand women woman haters in that arena. Yeah. We talking about a Jerry Seinfeld concert? <laughs> All right, uh, stay on the line, Jim Earl. See you in court. See you in court. Greatest sign off ever. Hang on. <laughs> You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's welcome our old friend Jackie the Joke Man Martling. You'll love his autobiography, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. Get it on Amazon. Friendless jokes say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. For personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger. Call 516-922-WINE. That's 516-922-WINE. You have to use your finger. For more show information, go to jokeland.com. Hello, Jackie. What would you call a guy who has his arms and legs and cock chopped off and leaves them to his family? <laughs> what? Well. <laughs> <laughs> who was the first Roman transgender? Hey, hey, come on now. Who was the first Roman transgender? I, I don't know. Be nice. Ben Hur. <laughs> Come on, Jackie. We have nice people listening to this show. So a guy walks through a bar and he's got two black eyes. The bartender says, Jesus, man, what happened to you? He says, yeah, you know, for a few months I've been trouble, having some trouble getting a heart on. A couple of months now, I've been having trouble getting a heart on, and my wife kept breaking my balls about it and kept telling me to do something about it. So last night, I brought her home a treadmill. <laughs> oh, that's a sweet joke. He got a gift for his wife. Yeah, of course. They, you know, you got to do that once in a while. <laughs> so the first blonde says, is that the front of that tree, or is that the back of that tree? <laughs> and the other blonde says, "It must be. It must be the front, because there's a guy taking a shit in back of it." <laughs> uh, okay. So a girl gets out of bed, puts on a robe, opens a curtain, uncovers the parrot, goes to the kitchen, turns on the burner, puts on the coffee. And grabs the morning paper, and she just sits down to read when bring the phone rings. She answered, "Hey, babe, it's Charlie." 
I just flew in from St. Paul, and I got a boner like you write home about. I'll be right over. She puts down the paper, turns off the coffee, <laughs> goes back in the bedroom, closes the curtain, covers the parrot, takes off a bathrobe, and gets back in bed. The parrot says, fuck, that was a short day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clean joke, actually. I like that. That's a sweet joke. Of course, that's all I got. Every day, the same four businessmen eat in the same Chinese restaurant. And every day, they get drunk, and they really give the waiter a hard time. The drunker they get, the more they break his chops. They just love doing it. And one day, one of them says, you know what? We, we've been busting Chan's balls for a couple of years now, and I think it's time maybe we, we sh should lighten up. Another one of them says, that's a good idea. Hey, hey, hello, come over here. And the waiter comes over and says, oh, no, what can I do for you, mister? And the first guy says, listen, Chan, we, we always get drunk and give you a hard time, but we decided from now on we're going to treat you good and we're going to give you a good tip every day. What do you think of that? And the waiter says, oh, very good. Now I don't have to piss in your coffee. <laughs> What? A dwarf Aye. walks into a crowded waiting room, and, and he says to the receptionist, does the doctor treat dwarfs? And she says, yes, but you'll have to be a little patient. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who put, who put the last bullet in Mussolini's head? Uh, who? Italian sharpshooters with rapid-fire machine guns. <laughs> okay. All right. That's from 1952. I love it. Okay. So a priest and a rabbi. A priest and a rabbi are both broke. And the priest says, I have an idea how we can, how we can get some free drinks. So they go into a crowded bar, and the priest orders a drink. A few minutes later, the bartender hands him a tab, and the priest says, but my son, I've already paid for the drink. The bartender says, geez, I'm sorry, Father. Oh, and, and no offense, Father. It's been really busy in here, and I must have forgotten. I'm really sorry. <laughs> so the rabbi pushes the priest out of the way, and he orders a drink. And a few minutes later, the bartender hands him a tab, and the rabbi says, Son, I paid you for this drink when you brought it over. <laughs> the bartender says, geez, I... I'm I'm sorry, Rabbi. I I don't know what's wrong with me. You know that's the second time that's happened to me tonight. The Rabbi says that's okay, son. No offense taken. No offense whatsoever. <laughs> now if you'll just give me the change for the hundred, I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. How, 
like elderly parents. <laughs> How? They're both hard as fuck to get in and out of your car. <laughs> hey, hey, did you hear about the hooker who had her appendix out? No. <laughs> the doctor showed up the wrong hole. Now she's making money on the side. <laughs> Chinese blacksmith. Ah, uh, what? Shoe man, shoe. <laughs> what? What? Shoe man, shoe. <laughs> All right. Don't fuck. Don't pretend that's not funny, you Jew. <laughs> What's the difference between a woman and a cow? I don't. What? What? A cow can stand in water up to her tits without getting her pussy wet. Oh, 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 my Jackie. Jackie, we're grown men. We're going to get letters. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> so a guy with a huge orange head comes in and sits down at the bar. The bartender takes a look and he says, Jesus, man. Wow. How'd you get such a huge orange head? The guy says, well... I'll tell you, one day I was walking down the beach when I tripped over an old lantern. And a genie came in, came out of the bottle and said, you, you just freed me. Thousands of years I was trapped in that bottle. You just freed me. I'll tell you what, I'm going to grant you three wishes. Whatever you want. Anything. What's your first wish? You know, I, I didn't. I, I just said that I'd like all the money I could ever spend. And, and the genie went poof, and there it was. All the money I could ever spend right there. And then he said, what's your second wish? And I, well, I, I, I said, I'd like a beautiful woman, a, a really pretty woman that would love me, really love me, and, and maybe enjoy all the money with me. And the genie went poof. And, and there she was, a gorgeous girl. And right away, she loved me. And then the genie said, what's your third wish? And, and I think this is where I went wrong. I said, I'd like a huge orange head. <laughs> That's the best one. That is so great. That is the best version. That's great. That's a great. That's the Don McHenry who told me that 45 years ago. Wow. 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 Why did Spakowski sell the water skis he got for Christmas? <laughs> Why? He couldn't find a lake on a hill. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we're back to you. Schwartz says, Rabbi, I think my wife might be trying to poison me. <laughs> Rabbi says, well, let me talk to her. I will talk to her, and I will see where I can find out I get back to you. <laughs> a week later, the rabbi calls up Schwartz and says, I spoke to your wife on the phone. Three hours. Three hours I talked to your wife on the phone. <laughs> Schwartz says, you got any advice? Take the poison. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's great. What would you call a beautiful woman on a trombonist arm? Uh, what? A tattoo. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it now. Yes. Because they don't have beautiful. Okay, I get it. Yes. Very it's a music joke. It's a music joke. Very funny. Should I should I maybe uh, uh, give you a, like a, a booklet to go along with this to explain these <laughs> fucking idiot? <laughs> so the Stakowskis are walking along. Right. Couples walk along the Stakowskis, and they see a black couple with their baby. Oh boy. Stakowski turns to his wife and says, "You know, we got six children of our own, but we've never been able to have a black child." <laughs> This can't she be says, you know, I couldn't help but notice, Stokowski. Why don't you go ask them for some advice? He says, well, that's a good idea. Oh, boy. So Stokowski goes over to the black couple and says, you, you, your kid's so cute. <laughs> wow, so cute. You know, that's my wife over there. We, we've got six kids ourselves, but, but we've never been able to have a black child. You, you think you could give us some advice? And the black guy says, well... <laughs> Is, is your penis about this long? The guy says, no, no, it's, <laughs> no. it's only about this long. And the black guy says, well, and, and about this big around? No. The guy says, no, 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 it's more like, like this. The black guy says, that's the problem. You're letting in too much light. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to laugh at that. <laughs> I can't laugh. <laughs> That's a photographer's joke. That's hysterical. Uh, I can't laugh at that. That's hysterical. What's yeah. the book Hitler wrote about the sex change operation he always wanted? <laughs> what? Mein Kunt. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Oh. So six Spanish soldiers are crossing the desert. <laughs> Six Spanish soldiers are crossing the desert, and they finally come to a river. And they only have one camel, so they all climb on. The sergeant gets up behind the camel's ears, and the rest of the soldiers get on behind him. <laughs> when they get about halfway across the river, the sergeant sees two big tears in the camel's eyes. <laughs> and he says to the soldier behind him, Hey, the camel, she is crying! And the soldier says to the soldier behind him, Hey, the camel, she is crying. <laughs> that soldier turns around and says, Hey, the camel, she is crying. And the second to last soldier says to the soldier who's riding the tail, Hey, the camel, she is crying. The soldier riding the tail says, What the fuck would you want me to do? If I take it out, I fall off. <laughs> 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 That's some stupid shit. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about the new group for compulsive talkers? No. On and on and on. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a Mexican? An Eskimo, a priest, and a Puerto Rican. Oh, what? A stolen snowblower that doesn't work. Oh, come on, Jackie. That's not nice. 
That's not a nice joke. So a farmer goes to pick up his mail-order bride. Farmer goes to pick up his mail-order bride, and on the way home from the post office, the horse pulling the wagon stops to graze. The farmer says, that's one horse, and he whips him a few times, and the horse gets moving again. A few minutes later, the horse stops to graze again. The farmer says, that's two horse, and he whips him a few more times, and the horse gets moving again. Ways down the road, the horse stops to graze again. The farmer says, that's three horse. He reaches behind, grabs his shotgun, and boom, he blows the horse's head off. <laughs> his new bride turns to him and says, wasn't that a little drastic? He says, that's one wife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I laughed too hard at that one. That was a little too revealing. <laughs> so a customer says, do you have Polish sausage? The sales guy says, are you Polish? The customer says, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm Polish. I'm going to ask you a question. If I asked for Italian sausage, would you ask me if I was Italian? If I asked for bratwurst, would you ask me if I was German? If I asked for a kosher hot dog, would you ask if I was Jewish? If I, if I asked for a taco, would you ask if I was, I was a Mexican? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Sales guy says no. Damn, well then why in the name of fuck would you ask me if I'm Polish when I ask for Polish sausage? <laughs> Sales guy says, because you're in fucking Home Depot, you dumb cocks. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie the Joke Man, his autobiography is available on Amazon. Buy it now. It's entitled The Joke Man, Bout a Stern for Endless Jokes. Say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 420 p.m. International Marijuana Time for a personalized video. Who wouldn't want to have Jackie the Joke Man recording a They're personal? They're going like hotcakes, man. I do three or four, five a day. I love it. Cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. For instant fun, call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger at 516-922-WINE for more show All right, so an unhappy customer, a really angry customer, bursts into the pet store. And he says, all right, I'm going to blow this place to bits. Everybody's got one minute to get out of here. And the snail way in the back says, you Bastard. <laughs> hey, did you hear about the Polish jazz musician? No. He's in it for the money. <laughs> so a guy walks in the doctor's office and is foot is all mangled and bloody and the bone is hanging out mm. and oh it's it's just a mess the doctor says jesus man he says yeah doc i ran over my foot with the friggin lawnmower my god the doctor says oh wow look at all the, the bone oh let me let me get you some morphine or something that must be killing you he's relaxed doc it's no sweat i'm fine you don't gotta worry about me doc because I know pain. Doc says, man, the bone is sticking out, you bleed. Doc, 
Hey, Doc, you want me to tell you about the second worst pain I ever had? The doctor's okay. He says, Doc, once I was out hunting, and I went into the woods to take me a shit. <laughs> I dropped my drawers, and as I was squatting to take my shit, a bear trap closed on my ball. <laughs> the doc says, my God, that, that's the second worst pain you ever had? What was the worst? When I hit the end of the chain. <laughs> 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 Last one. Batman runs into Superman. Batman runs into Superman. Hey, Super, what kind of day you have? Well, to tell you the truth, Batman, it was a wild day. I was flying over Wonder Woman's apartment, and she was sunbathing naked on the roof of her apartment building, lying on her back with her legs spread. <laughs> it'd been a while, you know. I had nothing to do, so what the hell? I, I flew down, and I gave her a shot. Batman says, she must have been surprised. <laughs> Not as surprised as the Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. Stay on the line for I one second. I will talk to you next week. Stay on the line for one quick second. I have to ask you a question. All right. Thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. Let's go to Madbury, New Hampshire, where Citizen Bacon is standing by. Hello, Mr. Bacon. David Feldman, how are you today? Well, you've been talking. You've been talking with we'll get to Super Tuesday in a second, but you've been talking with Citizen Pork Chop and Citizen Sausage, haven't you? Oh, well, maybe we're gonna you have to unionize. You know, I don't know. Well, you I know think that's what sausage wanted to do. But you, I don't know, you know, I don't know what they're I don't think you're doing anything, so it seems like, you know. You've read the employee. You've read the employee manual, right? I think I have it memorized. You're not allowed to talk to other workers, especially about working conditions. I think we got that amended at the last uh, no, meeting, no, no, which no, no. I don't know if you were attending. That was a recent. Uh, I think we did that on a Sunday. My after show hour or so. My show, baby. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yes. yes, sir. Don't make me send in the Pinkertons to break this up, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this strain is uh, going through. I'm family. <laughs> I'm your family. I'm, I'm taking care of you. You don't need to form a union, okay? But, but, you know, just because Biden did well in South Carolina doesn't mean you have to... Uh, you know, come on with the, uh, the uh, don't bring the union on. I treat you just as good. Yeah, this is a right-to-work show. It doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't cut it. All right. All right. Every week, David Bacon comes on the show. Citizen Bacon comes on the show interviewing the great unwashed, the salt of the earth, the, the flyover people, the ones who 
are part of the silent majority, the scumbags, the losers who we don't really care about, but we pay homage to when we're running for office. You know, I don't think actually, oh, only one of the interviews are people here actually from New Hampshire. Oh, okay. So all the other ones, they're actually not from New Hampshire, but, you know. Okay. And, And how long are these clips? They're various lengths. Okay. Um, is, it, defer, is there anything what? exceptionally long? Well, no, because you can't handle anything too long, so we had to cut the Virginia students into two. Too long was the name of your girlfriend in Vietnam, wasn't it? Oh, my God. What, what, is this, what is this, 16 candles? Okay. <laughs> let, us now, let us now go to clipping letter one. You don't want me to tell you want me to tell you about it at all? Sure. What is clipping letter one? So these are gonna be there's a whole there's a whole there was a whole bunch of Virginia students and I don't know who on your show uh, uh waded through the whole uh half an hour interview that I did with the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. But these are going to be mostly two young women from Virginia. There was 27 students from Virginia up there. So they all went to this thing with Gardner, and there's this whole debacle about what he said and all this stuff. So these girls, are, well, these women, uh, I get to talk with them later on in that day up at a, at, at a Tulsi Gabbard thing. They, like, see me, and they kind of think I'm the enemy because I stuck up for Gardner a little bit at the event because it was too one-sided. He's the it Secretary like, of State. Yeah, and it was so much about, yeah, like, yeah, of course we're white. Of course we've, you know, had to, yes, right, we, maybe we don't, you know what I mean. Anyway, and and so. those of you who don't like Citizen Bacon referring to women as girls, you have no I, idea how hard it was to convince him to finally call women girls. Believe me. No. You should be a lot worse. <laughs> what? You're it's, that's, it's not a, I'm not, that's, that's not a derogatory term in any way. Calling women girls? I'm, I corrected myself because they're in college, so they're younger than me, so I have to like, oh, that's right, they're, they're, you know what I mean. What about when I took the entire staff to Vegas and you walked around in a bathing suit and pushed your man boobs together and said, hello, girls, and you referred to them as your girls. The girls want some sun. Does anybody have a problem with oh. it? Were my man boobs the girls? Is that what you were yeah, saying? Yeah, you refer to your man boobs in front of the other employees as the girls. Just just giving the girls a little sun is what you said. <laughs> That's, Do you know that, how many complaints well, I've gotten? You know how many times I've had to save your butt? How many calls I've gotten from human resources about you? Well, you think you'd play those on your uh, uh, Friday show. Why don't you and Citizen Sausage and Citizen Pork Chop take your union and... All right. Clipping... Go to the supermarket. Yeah. Clipping letter one. 
this is David Bacon with the David Feldman Show, and I'm up in Northfield, New Hampshire, for a Tulsi Gabbard event. Earlier today, I was at that college 2020, and there's a whole group of students who I saw at the 2020 events who I'm now seeing up at the uh, Tulsi event, which is so cool. I'm so happy because these these are not students from the state of New Hampshire. So where are you guys and guys and gals? I don't know. Virginia. You guys are from Virginia, and you all seem to you all seem to go to different. Oh no, they, I'm confusing you guys with the Louisiana Virginia you, Commonwealth University. You all come from the same yep. university. Twenty-seven of us. And are you, wow, that's so awesome. Um, and are you here for the whole weekend, the three days, or whatever it is? Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So are you like in a political like class or something? Or we're in Poly three hundred four, and it's basically a class on the New Hampshire primary campaigns. Oh wow! And so that's really what we've been here. We got here January second, and from oh, there wow. we went to yeah. I believe Andrew Yang. Yeah. And then from Andrew Yang we went to another Pete Buttigieg. Judge. Judge. Yeah. We've also been to oh my gosh I can't remember. We've been to other ones. Pete we went to Andrew Yang. We had oh, one with uh, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett. Bennett. Yeah, he's the easiest one to see up here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tulsi's pretty easy too. Also, Corey Booker. Corey yeah. Booker. <laughs> and then we. After all that, we went to the college convention. Right. And I think we'll be seeing Elizabeth Warren after this. Soon. Right, right, right. Yes. But we're really just kind of going around. No Bernie, though, because he hasn't been around. And no Joe no. Biden either so far. We will meet his wife, Jill. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's going to be at the college convention, yes. but we won't be meeting Joe. Right, right, right. So what do you guys think of the, the, the I mean, what do you think of the New Hampshire process? What do you think of what you've seen? And is there someone who, like, uh, is important? There's a hope that students are, they're all getting uh, their photos taken. And with Tulsi right now, so there's slowly more people are joining the, the little circle. So what's um so like I was saying, is it, what what can you tell me about the what you what you think so far about the process and all the stuff? It's very rooted in tradition and yes. uh, it's very ritualistic. Yes. And very centered on the history and the Jimmy Carter story and the Jimmy Carter narrative right, 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 right. in which the underdog can win, which right. is also a very American trope and very true. Yes, the Americans love to see and love to hear about and so it's very rooted in the idea that anyone anyone off the street anyone from any political party can come to New Hampshire knock on enough doors talk to enough people be involved enough that they are now the next president of the United States right and I, what did what did uh, uh, mr. Gardner say today that there's like 50 people who have registered in uh, New Hampshire yes, that yes. have 30 the primary yeah exactly paid they paid a thousand dollars or whatever yes. and there was even in the back of the hall at the at the thing where bill was talking that woman um, who handed out the pieces of paper or something? She's on the Republican ticket, like she was a presidential candidate. But you know, she's not going to be in all the states and stuff. Yeah. Yes, and I think, and he said that he has it that way because it makes it like interesting or something like that. But that's really what I just noticed tradition, right? In which I actually, if I'm kind of criticizing them, I've noticed is their excuse a lot too. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Why the New Hampshire primary should be first, right? Which is, I think, has recently, especially in like the 2020 recently with our election has come to light of like basically how people kind of feel like maybe they shouldn't be because New Hampshire doesn't really represent America because as it's, a whole. Because it's a, such a large percentage of white people who live in this state. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. It, it's just kind of like the way they combat that is like, well, it's my tradition. Right. But like, 
like then like we asked Will Gardner today, what can you tell us that like makes New Hampshire better than all the other states? Right. And he couldn't answer it. Right. And he had like, some stats about um, voter, voter about the voter about the turnout, and I think you, you guys made some or someone in your group probably or someone in your group made some good points about well yeah because they're not showing up because they feel like they're being discriminated against or the all the voting suppression and all that stuff. So of course the voting turnout is going to be less. Yes, and it's just like he keeps talking about this thing and like how they're first, but like if there's other primaries that are first, more states might have more voter turnout. Right, right, right. And it's like more people might feel the need. And if there's a diverse, they have to apply to more people if it's more of a diverse state. Right, right, right. So where here, I only have to really apply to like one audience that's 95% of the people and they're all Caucasian descent. Rather than like if I'm somewhere like say Illinois is what he wanted to use, right. but there's a vast more majority of diversity. Well, just from race and all like um, socioeconomic status, right, right, right. you have to apply to more of a general people. And so it's interesting to see the policies because like her policy, Tosi Abbott's policies might change when she goes towards maybe somewhere that's less sure. Caucasian. Oh, yeah. Well, you even see that to some degree here in the state, depending on what like community they're in. If they're in a really wealthy community, they may say yeah. different things than like if they're in Franklin, which is just down the thing. And even Northfield's not, I don't know, but Franklin is really yeah. depressed, you know, that, or that one, just, uh, well, whatever, like that. You do see that difference. You notice that difference, yes. too. Yeah. And it's just, and we come here from Virginia, where Virginia, our primaries are not till later. Right. And especially because a lot of people have been weeded out during this primary. It's like, and then it's probably going to be, like, the top three people that are going to probably come out of this are Joe Biden, Mayor Pete, and Bernie, and maybe Elizabeth with a close, like, falling behind. But it's like, it Although, uses out to weed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, because it, it, we still are 35 days out. So, yeah, I think you're right, like, right now. But it is interesting to see, like, um, like Klobuchar gaining some, and maybe Pete will fall down. You know, who the heck knows? Anything is possible. I mean, Pete sounded so presidential because he was talking about the war stuff after we assassinated that guy the other day. And Tulsi, I think, talked about that a lot, too. So depending on what happens in the world and, and, and in large, will depend upon... Maybe they're going to take a photo. Hey, thank you... Uh, well, I think there are a yeah. people. Okay, I don't know what's happening. Um, um, well, but, but yeah, yeah, I totally understand, and it's, it's. I think because we have this perspective of like looking in from Virginia, right? Exactly. Seeing right. New Hampshire from a different state. Yeah. Right. We notice things that like people here were like, I don't really see why you're doing this. To where people here are like, I was just raised on it. Yeah. Why would I question it? Especially given sure. that Virginia just flipped our entire state blue, so right. it's hard for right. them to say that voter turnout matters when we as Virginians just came from a place where we made such a big difference in our sure. elections, especially given um, one of Gardner's big points was the political culture in New Hampshire so different, it's so special, yeah. and it's unchanging. Yeah. But he also made a point to say that the government changed overnight. Well, political culture changes overnight as we saw in Virginia. Right. And he right. had a blue wave, right. and right. we participated. And then he also is telling about how people campaign here, and it's not grassroots campaigning like it used to be. Like, he's people have to campaign different 
recently. You can't yeah. just be going to everybody's houses it's, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a continual change. I mean, there is, it is still a lot of the grassroots. And as the as the campaigns, it's really more of that almost as they're smaller. Like, Tulsi was doing a lot of house parties and still it's like Bennett is doing a lot of house, you know. But as the campaigns get bigger, then they they're no longer stay within that house yeah, thing and, and then they like, move to a larger kind of field. Talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, I mean, went there and it was such a big crowd. And, like, we are talking about how he seemed kind of, like, inaccessible to, like, yeah. just in general. But we, we noticed how, like, different it was there than it was at, like, Michael Bennett, who I could literally just talk to straight oh, to the right, 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 right. And it was, like, I was, like, but we were also, there were 27 of us at Michael Bennett, like, and if we weren't there, there may have been, like, 10 to 15 people. Right, right, right. So, sure. like, he was also, like, didn't expect such a crowd when right. he came. So it kind of, like, just shows me how people that are gaining traction, I think, realize they can't campaign in the same way maybe, like, Jimmy Carter or someone else. And so I don't think it's going to be the same here in the way that I don't think grassrooting is going to always be the same campaigning here because you just can't keep doing that with traction again. Okay. That was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, now some of you know a lot of the people are out of the race, but yeah, you know, okay. But we never had time in the past, so yeah. So let's go to our next one. Who are we talking to in clipping number two? Okay. So this is going to be some women from the Sahara Club. And the Sahara Club, these ex-strippers yeah. from the casino in Vegas. Oh, was there? There wasn't a club. Oh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sahara Club. Um, the Sahara Club. Oh, there was a Sahara. Isn't it called that? Well, the Sahara Club. There's the Sahara in Vegas. It's not that. What is the Sahara Club? Well, they're going to tell you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. By the right? way, why aren't you on the phone with MSNBC trying to get Chris Matthews' job? You got him fired. Why don't you finish it and take the job? Chris, why is Chris? Did he get fired? Oh, oh, like you weren't in on that. Like you, okay. Let's go. Clipping letter two. You, do you want to talk? This is David Bingham with the David Feldman Show, and I'm outside of the uh, Amy event at the uh, Dr. Goldie Crocker Wellness Center in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and it's, I don't know, Feb four yeah and there's three women out here and they have a so they have placard uh, things vote for our future act on climate change sahara club who wants to uh tell me about this well we're uh facing an existential crisis so true and we want to uh keep the awareness of that in the mind of citizens and candidates right uh, here in New Hampshire, there's concern about sea level rise at the sea coast. Right, right. Uh, the maple syrup producers are struggling. Um, right, 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 because it needs to be cold for a certain amount of time or something. Right. Probably. The ice hockey, the black uh, ice hockey uh, contest in... Yeah. In Concord uh, has been like uh, the canceled. last. Yeah, because they, they just don't have... Yeah, I know. Right. I drove down to D.C. the other day, and it was like raining. And I'm like, this is... I mean, okay, in some ways I was like, I'm glad it's not slippery. But I'm like, no, it should be slippery ice. It's freaking right. winter. It's yes. the end of January. It's raining. What's yes. going on? It's yeah, very yeah. disturbing. Right, and it's happening and it's so fast. It's very sad. Yeah. I mean, it, and if you look at what what's happening elsewhere, we're, we're lucky. We, oh, yeah, 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 sure. Th these are our problems. Right, I right, mean, right. we don't have uh, terrible fires. Yeah, yeah, we have had some floods, but not yeah. so California bad. gets more fires, though. I mean, right. not us here. It, it, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. You mean real locally? Yes, I mean really right. locally. 
but it can get there. Oh, yeah, it, it will. It looks like it's moving away faster than science. Oh, of course, of course, because we know we, our models can't possibly predict it because we haven't been in this crisis before. So right. the things that we use are only things that we've deter- we've already you know had. We put it into a computer. It can't know. So right. obviously, yeah, it's going to happen a lot faster. Yeah. So yeah, you there guys are assumptions when they do the modeling. Right, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. And in some regard, I think, though, the one thing that I, like all the candidates, and I know you guys aren't talking yet about candidates and stuff, um, all the candidates are all talking about unity and that sort of stuff this season. And it seems like this is the thing that is going to unify us all eventually. will be the climate so. change because there will be yeah. nothing else we can do. But and it you, needs to happen fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you like to see uh, people do or say or, uh, you know, that kind of thing? What would be something that would be, you know... I'd like to see incentives for sustainable energy like wind and solar. Right. I'd like to see us stop subsidizing the fossil fuel companies. Yeah, we should just be putting solar panels everywhere. Everywhere. And we should just be covering the, you know, right. landscape almost. Exactly. And we're not. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, there's probably some yes. things that are bad about with the, I don't know, the different, like, uh, you know, elements and stuff that are in that. I, I know certainly with batteries, you know, there's certain things, but obviously it's way better than uh, the right. stuff that's spewing out of the backs of all of our cars. Right. Yeah. Uh, we we need to. And also our eating, too, I think, because the cows and stuff is right. even worse than, like, our uh, right. Uh, transportation. Thing. Right. I'm, I'm a semi-vegetarian. Um, yeah. And uh, regenerate the forests. Right. Uh, and, and stop uh, cutting regenerate them down. the soil. Right. We have to stop cutting them down, and we have to nurture new, new uh, up, forested. Yeah, areas. up in my town, and I know why they were doing it because they have the power lines are right next to them. But up in um, uh, uh, Tilton Northfield area, they're cutting down. They have to be two hundred year old trees. They're gorgeous yeah. and giant and huge. But because the, the the power lines have been there for probably right. fifty years, the trees have been there for one hundred fifty longer than that. But now, and they just were going and just chopping them all down, yes. and it was so sad because yeah. it's like well, it takes a long time yeah, for this breaks, to come back. Breaks your heart, really. Right. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Well, I of course so agree much. with you. Um, so <laughs> you know, I don't know if you're going to go see the candidate, but if you do, enjoy the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. That would be clipping letter th- uh, two. Are you still there? Hey, I guess I, I guess I lied to you. Why? She didn't explain what the Sierra Club was at all. <laughs> okay. But anyway, let us now go to clipping letter three. This is Save hey, this India. Is from, yeah, this is from DC. This was like uh, what the first day when I first got down there. I think it was a Sunday, and I was all excited. I always thought there was going to be all kinds of protests, but it was only you know it was a Save India thing about Modi. It was pretty, pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What is your event? Uh, no, what are you guys uh, protesting or what are you guys uh, talking so, about? India recently enacted a law that gives a religious test to who can be a citizen or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the implication, the law in letter looks very simple. The implications are huge for people. So what India wants to do is they want to ask everyone for documentation. Right. People who have been living in India thousands of years, right, right, right. everybody has to now produce a document to show that they're Indian, they've been in India for however long, show their parents' you know, birth certificate and so on and so forth. So this is a draconian law that has been enacted, right. and all of these 
um, groups are coming together to you know, oppose it. And, and, and to discuss that and talk about it, get that information out there. Is there a reason why that law was passed? Is there like a, is it, you know? So India has been, you know, the, the current government is a um, right-wing government in right. India. And um, they're, they're, they want India to be a Hindu country. Yeah. Therefore, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, all the other minorities, they don't care about them. Right, right, and right. And that's why they're doing things. It's against all the non exactly, uh, yeah. uh, Hindu uh, uh, people. And stuff Correct. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of our one of our uh, pop, uh, people who is running for to be president, Tulsi Gabbard, is and she will not talk about this stuff. I've asked her questions about, or I've I've been in events where people have asked her about it. And she refuses. She yeah, she doesn't want to talk about. Which is she, you know, she needs to come out clean. What is her stand on this issue? Right, right. This is a major issue, and uh, there have been protests all over India about this. They've been going on for weeks now. Right. So it's not an issue that's isolated. All over India, it's being discussed. And if she has any roots to India, she should speak about this. So topic. I'm gonna. I'm from New Hampshire, and I go and talk to all the candidates. I will see Tulsi probably next week. Yep. If you had a question for her, what would it be? What is her stand about you know um, the current government and the right wing leaning of the government, right. and you know what is her stand on the new law right. that is discriminating against some of the citizens? Awesome. If you want, I want to yes. add one question. Sure. I want to add one more thing. Just ask her who is the killer of Gandhi. Who is the killer of Gandhi? Gandhi, Mahatma oh, Gandhi. Right, right, right. They, they are the one, RSS. Oh, really? And they are the one now ruling the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's where we are opposing. We are opposing Hindutva, not Hindus. How, can you be, how could you be against Gandhi? Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. They, they are like uh, double tongue. Here they speak. In, when they come to U.S., they show differently. Right. They, they, they say that as if they are uh, the peace-loving people, like we are Gandhi followers. Right. But, but no, it's But fake. when they go back, they get differently. But right, 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 right. The best question to ask to Shikabadis, who is the killer of Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi. Oh, thank you so much. And he is he uh, is Modi. He is a follower of uh, that killer. Right, 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 right. He, the killer is the ideal person for Modi. Right, 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 right. So he is kind of his guru. Right, 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 right. He is the one who is ruling and he wants to spread that same for the entire India, like to have that kind of a fascism. Yeah, and that's kind of happening in other places too. The fascism is growing all around the place. It's terrible, obviously, here and, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you guys for your time. Okay. We're uh, short on time. Let us now go to clipping letter four. Okay. Sure. Yeah, this is David Bigger with the David Feldman Show, and I'm at the uh, Biden event. It's uh, Feb, I don't know, four, three, something, what is it, five, Feb four. Um, I've been to a few events. I think there's 20-plus events today up here, and uh, there's a gentleman with a cowboy hat. I've seen him at three. I guess he went to four, but I took a break. He asked a question with uh, at Pete and also, I think, Yang, and he's wearing a coat and a uh, shirt. Cops say legalized heroin. Ask me why. And he's a Howard Cowboy Woodridge, retired police detective, and that was out of what was it, Michigan? Did you Lansing, say Michigan. Lansing, Michigan? So, what is your what is your uh, message and stuff that you're trying to? Uh... Sure. The, well, the war on drugs has been the most destructive, dysfunctional, and immoral policy 
since slavery and Jim Crow. Right. I fought in the trenches of that thing in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Right. I've seen it up close and personal. Right. And as a detective, I've seen the mass numbers of felony crimes committed. Right. But you're just incarcerating so many people for that. And what's right. the point? Yeah, yeah. And that makes money for people, too. Right. At $1.2 trillion later, drugs are readily available in every small town in New Hampshire and right. every state across the right. country. Right, exactly. We have been and continue to be a mosquito on the butt of an elephant. Right. We right. make zero difference. Right. And we need politicians to say the hardest three words in English. Right. I was wrong. Yeah, there you go. And, and Mr. Biden is, is, of course, one of the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, others like Mr. Yang, Mr. Buttigieg have been very good. I talked to Ms. Uh, Senator Klobuchar this, this afternoon. Nice. She's uh, she's ready to make it to a medical issue. Right, right, So right. we're making some progress here. Right, right, And I'm right. just here to, to you know bring awareness to the issue. Right. Because this is so distressing. People talk about we need more junior colleges for more trade schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We keep building $100 million prisons, prisons. as exactly. opposed to junior colleges. Exactly. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is there, also self, self-explanatory. self It's also simple. Right. And there's a country, I can't remember, there's at least one country I know that totally has legalized, legalized everything. Portugal has decriminalized. Decriminalized in Portugal, right. if you're caught with this much of anything, right. it's like a parking ticket. Right, right, it's right. It's a civil right, infraction. Right. Nobody tracks civil infractions. Right. You get as many as you want, and it'll never hurt you in employment, check the box, right. all that stuff. Right. And it hasn't, it's not like they've seen some big rise of crime, you know, all that kind of silliness. Drug consumption in Portugal in the last 19 years has gone slightly down. You know, this is a, this is a super odd fact. The fact, okay, I'm from New Hampshire. I've been, and I'm an auction person. I've been to this building for auctions. The last time I was here at an auction, it was an old pharmacy thing that had closed up a hundred, you know, for a gazillion years ago. And right over there was bottles of heroin. It was old, hundred-plus-year-old medicine, and it was a yeah. liquid heroin, yeah. you know, thing. And uh, because back in the day, of course, and you can sometimes even find the old syringe things that people. And it was a, so, it was like social. It wasn't until it became socially unacceptable that people had more of a problem with it. Supposedly, you could buy it out of the Sears Roebuck catalog, right, for right. your older crowd, right, 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 exactly. You could buy the heroin and the needle for a couple bucks out of Sears Roebuck, right, right, right. So until 1914, heroin and cocaine were legal, right, 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 and regulated. Right. Controlled by the government. Now they're in the hands of cartels, etc. Right. With exact same illicit black market forces that were enforced with, with alcohol prohibition. Right. The solution is the same. Right. It legalize, regulate, tax the drugs, and then let the medical community deal with those who abuse it. Sure, right, whether, exactly. Where there's alcohol, and the abuse goes down sure. often when the thing is like you can, you know, when it's just yeah. part of the and, thing. And for your audience, I've spoken to nine doctors, board certified in addiction psychology. Also, all nine said almost nobody from 16 to 90 is going to start using crack, meth, or heroin because you legalize. Right. Yeah, Same yeah. as most people won't smoke cigarettes. Even if you gave them away for yeah, free, they yeah, will yeah. not. Right. Why? Right. They're not that stupid. Right. Well, we've right. had politicians since Richard Nixon saying, well, most of us are so stupid. If you legalize these drugs, we'll all be heroin tomorrow. It's been nonsense since it started. It's nonsense today. Right, right. It's a power thing, too. It's a, you know, it's a power over people. But, you know. but, well, and the racism, let's not read that, right. leave that out. Right, yeah, exactly. Right, right. 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 So that's why I'm here. And I represent, there's an organization, my sister organization, 7,000 police officers, judges, and prosecutors right. who all say the same thing. Right. If a citizen has a drug problem, they should see a doctor at a clinic. No. Right. Let us get back to our true mission, which sure. is public safety. safety. Right, there you go. Drunk drivers, pedophiles.
pedophiles, terrorists. We can arrest more. And the Colorado's doing, by the way, Colorado detectives are arresting statistically uh-huh. more pedophiles and other violent felons, more than the states around them, because they legalized marijuana, ah. took, the, took the detectives out of the helicopter, right, 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 into right, the right, chat right. rooms, pretending to be a 14-year-old girl, and we're busting more pedophiles. Right, right, right. People who are actually causing harm to others. You know, yeah, exactly. yeah exactly. that's it. Exactly. exactly. Excellent. Well, it was good to see you, and it's noticeable with the hat, especially up here. You know, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the states that won't, where you won't be as noticeable, well, but yeah. up in New Hampshire, I totally will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, thank you awesome. for the interview. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's nice yes, to sir. meet you. Okay. Okay, and let's do our last <clears throat> clip. Why bother? What do you mean? Well, you're obviously not into it. It's like, I, I, we don't have to play these. I told you that earlier. I mean, what's the point? We just, you know. I'm, pl- I'm playing them. I know, but why? Who cares? We don't, you don't talk about it. We just, you just, I don't know. It doesn't seem to matter. I don't, whatever. What's the point? Are you turning on me, Bacon? I'm just saying, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. You don't care, so why? I do. Why bother? Um, why, why don't we I do it? About, I guess I'll talk to you about ICE or something. I mean, I got all kind of, you know. Has anyone talked on your show about Hernandez versus uh, Massa? Jesus Christ, that fucking case? What is that? The Supreme Court just came down with that, like, a couple, like, a week or two ago. That's the guy. That was the, uh border agent who shot the dude over, you know, he was on the U.S. side and he shot the teenager in the face. You know, that was Oh, right, in New York. In New York. No, 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 that was, that, this is, no, that's, this, this was a, this was on the U.S. board, this was the border, you know, I think, 2010. I think that's what it was. All right, well, let's regroup. Why don't you come back on Friday's show? I think... What we should do is pivot to ICE. I think you and I are both very passionate about ICE and abolishing it. I think that's yes. right. Already freaking, already, already this year. Oh my God. In January alone, 44, roughly 44,000 migrants were detained in 218 facilities as of January. 81% of those private freaking prisons. Well, this is isn't what... That, this is what... Isn't that nuts? What's nuts is that Citizen Bacon isn't covering this. This is the, the story that... Right, uh, right now. Right now. You're right pivoting. Now. You're pivoting I know. from We're politics right now. to policy. And yes. until we need you on the street... We're going to have you cover ICE. You're going to be our yeah. ICE correspondent, Citizen Bacon. Yes. Right? Yes. So listen, listen, yeah, yeah. The effort to limit private, private detentions came as the Trump administration has ratcheted up pressure on cities that declare themselves sanctuaries for immig- immigrants without legal authorization. A federal appeals court last week said President Trump had the authority to withhold funds from states that resist helping with immigration enforcement. All right, now we're talking. All right, stay on the line for one second. We're we're going to regroup. Let's yep. you and I talk, and uh, you have a, a theme song for Friday, yes. correct? Yes, yes, okay. I do. And maybe your new theme song will be "Ice Ice Baby." Yeah, because everyone likes that better than uh, the Queen. Uh, 
What was the what was the the feat? You know, I don't know. All right, stay on the yeah, line. We had the we had a good the Queen song. Yeah, we had a good right. They used the opening riff. Uh, exactly. We had a good real moment just now. Stay on the line, Citizen Bacon. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump.